I'd like to register for today's 11 a.m. $20,000 guaranteed poker tournament. I'm sorry, but the guarantee is $10,000. $10,000? But the flyer I have right here says $20,000. And I know I didn't get an A in algebra, but isn't it correct that $20,000 is greater than $10,000? <laughs> we weren't getting enough demand for this tournament, so we had to lower the guarantee. But the guarantee promises a $20,000 prize pool, even if you don't get enough entrance. <laughs> That's why it's called a guarantee. Sir, I know very well why it's called a guarantee. I don't think you do. Because if you did, the prize pool would be 20,000. Not 10,000. It seems the MGM Poker Room is very good at marketing the guarantee. But you're not very good at paying the guarantee. And paying the guarantee is the whole point of having the guarantee. Sir, I'm not going to debate this with you. The guarantee is 10,000. Now, do you want to register or, uh... Actually, wait one moment. Wait one moment? I just got a text from the manager that the guarantee is now 5,000. What? The registration period is about to close, and we've only collected a little more than 5,000 worth of buy-ins. Therefore, we're lowering the guarantee to 5,000. You guys are a bunch of crooks. I can't believe this. It's the only way a small poker room like ours can survive. Now, do you want to register or not? Yeah, I'll register. Okay, here's your chips. You're on table 35, seat 4. Thank you. I'll go take my seat. Wait, sir. You didn't pay your entry fee. That's okay. I'll pay you guys after the tournament. That's not how it works. You have to pay now. Don't worry. <laughs> I promise I'll pay you when it's over. I guarantee it. I bet you missed that episode of Seinfeld. It's a lost episode, and it was just revealed on the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel. A world exclusive of two and a half minutes of Seinfeld that's never been seen before, where he attempts to register to play in the controversial MGM Grand Las Vegas poker room. And that clip that I released, which has gone semi-viral, actually helped resolve the situation. So I'll tell you that as part of that topic tonight, which we are going to cover. Anyway, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. My name is Todd dandruff Wattellis. This is being brought to you live and recorded live on December 12, 2023. The time right now is 10.24 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We were on like two and a half weeks ago. We had a show planned for Friday. I hadn't announced it yet, but we were going to be on Friday the 8th. And it ended up not happening. And that was because I woke up on Thursday with a very weird pain I never had before. And that was in my tailbone. I've never had tailbone pain, at least when I didn't injure it in some way. I can't say it's never hurt, but I've never just had tailbone pain show up out of nowhere for no apparent reason. But that is what apparently happened. And I still can't exactly explain what happened, but it is just about gone now. But boy, it was tough for a few days. I could not sit for any length of time without it really hurting. And it's exactly as it sounds, just right where my tailbone is. It was just very, very sore. It hurt tremendously. And it was hard to sleep. It was hard to sit. 
and there was no way I could sit there and do radio for hours and hours because I'm sitting in one spot. So I said, all right, I just won't do the show until this gets good enough to where I can sit in one spot. And it hurt very badly for about two and a half to three days. And then by the time Sunday rolled around, it had improved. And then by Monday, it was almost gone. And I was going to do the show yesterday, Monday the 11th, but then I was just too tired. I just didn't get enough sleep. And this show requires a lot of energy because of its length. It's not because it's too taxing. It's just because of its length, because I'm talking the whole time and talking for eight hours takes a lot out of you. So I have to come into the show not feeling tired. Sometimes at the very end, I'm tired, as I've mentioned before. But as long as they don't start tired, I'm okay. And of course, if I get too tired, I can always just cut off topics and end the show. But starting tired is bad news because of the length of the program. So that's why we had a delay here. And if I had to guess what happened to me there, and I woke up with it, by the way. But if I had to guess what happened to me, because there's not really a muscle over there, it's not like a muscle that you might pull in your sleep, because I have pulled muscles in my sleep before. I've sprained things in my sleep before. And that is not entirely unusual. But that area is not something you can really hurt in your sleep. So I actually believe this is vaccine-related. Not that vaccine, not the COVID vaccine, but the Tdap vaccine, the tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis vaccine I got about a week and a half prior, or actually nine days prior. And even though the massive fatigue I got from that vaccine wore off by the time this had happened, I think this was kind of like a delayed effect. That would be my guess, because it was definitely some kind of inflammation, because when I took Advil, it did improve. It didn't get completely better or good enough to go sit down and do the show, but I did notice an improvement. So when you take Advil for something and it improves... It usually means there's inflammation there. So I think just inflammation showed up in that area as some kind of delayed side effect from that vaccine. That's my only guess, but I'll never know. So anyway, with uh, mostly better tailbone, I am doing the show tonight. And as usual, when we don't come on for over two weeks, we have a lot to cover. This is now a once every two to three weeks show now, though I'm going to try to do it every two, and that really was the attempt this week. It just didn't happen because of the tailbone. But when it gets to be more than two weeks, we really have a lot to cover, so the show gets very long. So I want to tell you about a free roll we have tonight, and I'm giving a little more time to get in there. Usually when I get on, it's already started, but this one's starting at 10.35. It's 10.28 p.m. right now, Pacific Standard Time. So there's uh, seven minutes left to get in there at the beginning, and over half an hour left to get in with late registration. So that is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen. W2Jesus gave $50, and I thank him for that. That is in honor of Vegas Matt, who is doing very well on YouTube. Very, very big channel on YouTube. I can only hope the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube gets as big as Vegas Matt's one day. Probably won't, but uh, a man can dream. But that's in honor of Vegas Matt. W2Jesus gave $50, and that will go towards the prize pool tonight of 25 for first, 15 for second, and 10 for third. And it's a $50 guarantee, and unlike the MGM Grand, I'm not going to reduce it. It starts at 10.35 p.m. Pacific, and late registration ends at 11 p.m. Pacific. A small group of people will be playing because the show was not announced in advance. I just basically turned it on. So... 
hopefully between now and 11, people will, will meander in. And, uh, you know, whoever plays, plays, and uh, the top three will end up getting those prizes. So thank you to W2Jesus. For rules about the free roll, go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. And if you have any issues with playing the free roll or getting validated, whatever, you can text me 775-372-8355. The phone numbers, I might as well give that now. The main number is the one I just gave out, 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355 is how that translates. You can text me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I will never get mad. If you text me when it's too late or too early, it's never an inappropriate time to text me on that number. I promise you that. And I will usually respond to you. And if you text me during the show, just if you don't want what you're texting me to be read on the air, then state so at the beginning of your text. Only if it's during the show. If it's not during the show, I won't read it. 775-372-8355 to either call the show or text the show. If you want to call the Mount Charleston line, that's an old 70s rotary phone we have on top of Mount Charleston. It is located in a cabin there, and it's another way into the show. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808, the Mount Charleston line. It cannot be texted, so don't text it. Then we have the call to listen line. It's very simple. That number you cannot use to interact with me. You can't text it, and you cannot speak to me to where I will hear you. But you can call up to listen. It's just very simple. You call up and you listen, and you'll hear either the live show, or if we're not live, you'll hear a rerun that's being streamed. That phone number is 518-931-1189, 518-931-1189. It is free to call as long as you can call the U.S. for free. Unless you have T-Mobile, they charge you one cent per minute because it's considered a high-volume number because we've had millions of minutes that have been listened to on that line, and T-Mobile wants to charge you for it. But everybody else will not, and I don't get any money. So if it's collected by your phone company, I won't get the money. I wish I did, but I don't. But most phone company is free. 518-931-1189. It does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require a computer or the internet. You don't even need to have a very good signal, nor will it cost you any data. And the best part is it never buffers and it never freezes. Just works. 518-931-1189, the call to listen line. Give it a try. We have a chat room. If you want to chat while you're listening live, you can do so. Won't be many people in there, but I will read it every so often. May even read your comments in there. If you're not listening live, then don't bother because nobody will be in there and I won't be in there. The show is available in archive format, and there's many, many places you can find it. First of all, YouTube is the one I would prefer you use, because YouTube will eventually, I hope, start paying me for this. Because when we get to monetization, then every time people listen to the show, I will get paid. Not a whole lot of money, but I'll get paid something. We're not there yet. But every minute you spend listening to the show helps me get there. And you subscribing helps me get there. So if you have not subscribed yet, please subscribe to the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash at Poker Fraud Alert. That's the at symbol. youtube.com slash at Poker Fraud Alert. Or just search Poker Fraud Alert on the YouTube search bar. You'll find it there too. Please subscribe to the channel. Even if you are going to listen some way else, please subscribe to our channel. And if you do listen, please hit the like button. That helps too. 
and every minute you listen helps because that brings us to the threshold where they will consider this a prominent enough channel to be monetized. And once I get past that, then they'll start paying me. So we're getting there. You know, I'd say we're about halfway there. So if everything continues on the pace it is, we'll get there sometime in uh, the spring of 2024 is my guess. Maybe March, maybe April, something like that. That's my guess here. But you can get me there faster if you listen, if you like and subscribe. That will help. So that's the one thing I ask of you if it's not too much trouble. If YouTube just is crappy for you or inconvenient or whatever it might be, that's fine. Then you can use the other platforms where we will continue to post the show. Here are the other platforms, though. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Podcasts. TuneIn, which is an app. iHeartMedia. Spotify. Now, I will say Spotify is a very nice app to listen to the show because it has clickable timestamps, which YouTube does also. If you go to the description in YouTube, you can click on those same timestamps and jump to the right part of the show that you want to listen to. So I provide that functionality on YouTube. But if you want to listen on Spotify, it does the same thing. Bullhorn, which is very similar to Spotify, except it has its own call to listen line for the archives. That's kind of cool. CastBox, we're on Amazon Alexa. You say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio Podcast. Say it very slowly so it understands. And then we're also on Audible, which is now owned by Amazon. And you can also download or play an MP3 file of the show by going to the Poker Fraud Alert Radio Archives Forum. We have a little player there, or you can just click on the MP3, and it'll play on any device. So I really provide you every way possible to listen to the show, even YouTube now. So now that I put the effort into YouTube, which, by the way, is effort, because I have to manually convert each show to YouTube format, because YouTube can't accept audio files, and this is an audio show. So I have to convert it to video, which is time-consuming, and then upload it to YouTube, which is time-consuming. Everything else automatically posts. Every other service we're using for the podcast automatically happens, and that's nice. But YouTube does not and cannot automatically happen. So I have to manually do it, and I have to manually convert the show. It's a pain in my butt, but I'm doing it because, one, a lot of you wanted it, and two, I'm hoping maybe I can start getting paid something for doing this, even though this is not something I'm doing for money. Of course, uh, I'm not going to turn down money, especially from Google. You know, I don't like really asking the listeners for money, but uh, if the money comes from something like Google, I'll be happy to take that. Because this is effort, this show. It's time and effort. So please listen on YouTube. Thank you. I love when people accuse me of doing things for clicks or to drive traffic to the site. I'm like, have you seen the site? <laughs> Do you notice we have no ads? Do you notice it's not monetized? Do you notice that I run this thing at a loss? Do you notice I don't try to make money here? So why would I be doing this for clicks? I'm not trying to make bank off this site, but it would be nice to at least break even. All right, so here's the agenda, then we'll get going. Free roll started two minutes ago, but you can still get in for another 23 minutes. So do it. Try to get in, see what happens. Okay, so here is the agenda. The main topic tonight is going to be about Wesley Fay and... Nick Airball, who are, of course, uh, personalities on the Hustler Casino Live game, the big game on Hustler Casino Live. You've seen them a lot if you've watched that show. They have accused three people of running a multi-million dollar home game cheating scheme. 
And one of them has appeared a number of times on Hustler Casino Live also. The main accused culprit is Mars, whose real name is Ye Shen, or Tony. So his real name is Ye Shen, but he's also known as Mars or Tony Mars. So he's considered the ringleader. And then Arnaud Matern, who was a successful tournament pro from France, but since then has kind of fallen on some hard times. And then Shane Hennin, who I hadn't heard of before, but was apparently in the Pittsburgh home game scene and has somewhat of a bad reputation. So I will tell you about the allegations that were made. I will read you various allegations. I will read you various texts and statements. I will also tell you about some counter-allegations that have been made against Wesley Fay by the accused. And by the way, it's very possible that nobody in this story is a good guy. (laughs) So just because someone is a cheater doesn't mean that his victims are also good people. Sometimes a cheater can cheat a cheater. So you have to keep that in mind as well. So we're going to discuss all of this in what is a very weird and complex story. It even involves death threats, supposedly. A lot of weird stuff going on. And I will even devote some time to talk about whether Hustler Casino Live is a good or bad thing for poker. Because some people are really sick of Hustler Casino Live and all the drama it brings and all the bad characters it seems to be bringing into the poker community. So I will discuss that as well. MGM Grand reneged on a guarantee and then put it back. And that's what that opening was, the Seinfeld opening that I played you, which, by the way, that was something I created. I personally created that. This isn't something I found on YouTube. It is on YouTube, but it's on the Poker Fraud Alert YouTube. I created this. And that actually had a part in this whole story having a happier ending. But while this is not the first poker room to renege on a guarantee, and while this seems to be happening over and over at rooms around California and Nevada. This one got put back, and this one also had the unusual circumstance of an employee publicly quitting over it. So I'll tell you that whole story, including the employee quitting and how Poker Fraud Alert's little Seinfeld parody had an impact in giving a happy ending to this whole story. Phil Galfond has announced a $10,000 Mastermind event for January in Palm Springs. So you can pay ten k and go to a mansion in Palm Springs that's being rented out for the event and hang out with Phil Galfond and supposedly learn all these life-changing things with him. It's not really a poker tutorial. It's like a Mastermind event where Phil Galfond teaches you the ways of the world. So I'll tell you about that. I'll tell you what gave him the idea I'll tell him, I'll tell you who he's modeling this after. And I'll even compare this to someone that we've talked about on the show much more negatively than Phil Galfon. You know, Galfon's a respected guy, but someone who's not respected at all. Christopher Mitchell, scammer Christopher Mitchell, has a mastermind every year in January. Now, I don't think Phil Galfon got the idea from Christopher Mitchell. He may not even know who Christopher Mitchell is, but I will compare the two masterminds. And I'll tell you what I think of these mastermind events in general. The WSOP Paradise has been taking place 
and it's competing directly with the WPT win. I had planned to go to this year's WPT win, and then it didn't really happen, so I ended up going to neither. I kind of wish I was at the WPT win. The WSOP Paradise, not so much, but the WPT win, I kind of regret missing, especially the seniors event, but I, I had just been away from home too much in the second half of this year, so it was time for me to stop doing that. So I decided to just stay home for December. And uh, anyway, that's not what I was going to talk about, though. At the WSOP Paradise, Phil Helmuth did his usual gimmicky crazy entrance to the main event, just as like he does to the main event of the regular WSB in the summer in Las Vegas. But this one caused some controversy because it came with a very loud band, and some people complained that they couldn't concentrate, and this was favoritism allowing him to do this. So I will play you a little clip of that band, and then I will comment on whether I feel this was okay for Phil to do. There's some debate on Twitter whether this was good or bad and whether Phil should be allowed to do this. EPT champ Jordan Sakuchi, who's from Canada, was wanted for a major robbery spree in Canada. He was alleged to be part of a robbery group that was just going around and uh, robbing a lot of places, and he was wanted. He was then arrested on December 5th, And then somehow, between December 5th and the start of WSOP Paradise a few days later, he made it out there to play the main event. So that's surprising to me, but he made it out there only to get banned for unknown reasons. I'll tell you this weird story about Jordan Sakuchi, who went from wanted criminal to arrested criminal to Atlantis poker player to disqualified. Very odd. Also... The WSOP Paradise offered some Seven Stars members, that is Caesars Seven Stars members, free entry into one of their events, the $5 million guarantee event. I will tell you how I feel about that, and I'll also tell you about the weird selection process as to who was offered that and who was not. It was not all Seven Stars, only some of them. Then we're going to bring back Druffy Time Theater. Now, Druffy Time Theater, if you remember, is an occasional segment we do where I tell you some stories about my life and things that have happened to me over time. And the stories can be about a lot of things. Sometimes they're about poker. Sometimes they're about casino gambling. Sometimes they have nothing to do with poker or casino gambling. Sometimes they have to do with my past dating life. This one is none of these. This one involves something very recent. Some of the Druffy Time Theater stuff goes back like 30 or more years. This one happened just a few weeks ago. And this was Druff versus a defiant Target employee and a customer playing hero. The customer playing hero was against me. He was trying to be heroic for me. He was against me. It almost resulted in a fistfight in Target involving me. So I'll tell you that disturbing story. And the story's concluded now, so I can even tell you how it ends. So that's this week's Druffy Time Theater. Christopher Mitchell's YouTube channel, his fourth channel, the previous three have been shut down for scamming, has been shut down for scamming. So Christopher Mitchell has no YouTube at the moment. He lost his fourth channel. I will tell you about that, and I will tell you what Poker Fraud Alert may or may not have had to do with that. Amit Patel, who was a Jacksonville Jaguars employee in the NFL, 
also a sometimes poker player. He was not a poker pro, but he did play poker and has some Hendon Mob tournament caches as recently as four years ago. He stole $22 million from the Jaguars before they realized what was going on. And he stole it mainly to shoot off on daily fantasy sports. So I'll tell you about that interesting story. ESPN Bet, which is a legalized ESPN-branded betting app, screwed a gambler on a same-game parlay. That's when you're making several bets at the same time on the same game that all have to win for you to win the bet. Now, usually in parlays, if one of the bets ties and everything else wins, they just take the tie out as if that wasn't part of the bet and pay you a lower amount, but you still win. In this case, one of the legs tied, and the whole thing was graded a tie. So that was not very good. That was very unfair, and I will talk a bit about that. BetMGM, of course, another legalized sports betting site and app, they were involved in a scam last year where money was stolen out of my account. $10,000 was stolen from me through BetMGM, and they were very poor in handling it, both in preventing it and after the fact. But that's not what this segment's going to be about. This is about a $214,000 parlay that they invalidated in August, where someone placed a parlay, they won, and they wouldn't pay that person. So... The question was, in this story, which I'll tell you when we get to it, was it justified that they invalidate a bet that they accepted and won? And you might be surprised about my opinion. Unemployed college professor Anthony Polito, who is 67 years old, killed three people and badly wounded another in a pre-planned UNLV shooting. I'm sure you heard about this. This was in mainstream news, of course. I looked a good deal into this shooting. It was pretty fascinating. And I will tell you what I discovered by looking into the shooting and Anthony Polito. And I've pretty much determined his motivation for the whole thing and who he chose to kill and who he chose not to kill. Well, I'm sure you've seen or at least heard of Tiger King. Remember that in 2020 when everyone was stuck home during COVID and then they found Tiger King on Netflix and it was pretty interesting. And then there was a Tiger King 2 that was released that wasn't as well received. Well, what about Tiger King 3? Well, maybe that could be made about the story we're going to talk about here. Dirk Arthur, who you may have seen advertised around Vegas or maybe even saw his show, he was a Vegas magician specializing in tigers. And in October of 2023, he died. But his death was very mysterious and has some people suspecting murder or suicide. So I'll tell you about this weird story about Dirk Arthur and his tigers and his death. Circa is facing a lawsuit regarding the taxation of comps, specifically comp meals. Now, I've talked before on this show about how Caesars sometimes accidentally taxes comps, both comp meals and comp rooms. And I will tell you if this lawsuit has any merit in my non-lawyerly opinion, and if I think Caesars might be next, because they are doing the same thing as Circa, in a way. So I'll 
talk about that. And I've researched this topic a good deal because it came up for me a while back. I didn't sue anyone, but I researched the legality of taxing comps in Nevada. And if we get to it, I know I keep kicking this can down the road. I've had this on several agendas. We just never get to it because my show's so long. And then by the time I get to the end of it, I'm just too exhausted to do this topic. But if we have time, no promises, we'll do the Hertz topic of them wrongly accusing people of not returning rental cars and getting them arrested when the people did everything they were supposed to. We'll get to that topic eventually. Just not sure if it'll be this week. So that is our agenda tonight. And... To give me a better chance of making it all the way through the agenda, I will get started right now. You still have nine minutes left to get into the free roll. So try to get over there. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, and it is running. It has 25 minutes of late registration that ends at 11 p.m. So let's get into the Wesley Fay, Nick Airball, Mars cheating topic. This is a very complex story. I will admit right up front here, I don't completely understand everything. Before I do any topic on this show, I like to believe that I understand what I'm talking about before I talk about it. There are other people, I won't name any names, but there are other people who do shows. Maybe you can think of who this might be, but it's actually more than one person. But there's other people, let's just say, who will do shows on topics and act like they know what they're talking about, act like they're an authority on the topic, and then they get all kinds of facts wrong. Now, I will admit, I sometimes get facts wrong because I have so many topics that I cover, and there's so much to learn about with each topic, sometimes I'll get the wrong details. But when I really look into something closely, usually I get it very close to correct factually, even if you don't agree with my opinions. And I strive to do that, and I strive to do it in a non-biased fashion, even if I'm discussing people that I don't like or do like. Now, in this story, I can not worry about any kind of bias, because I really don't have much of an opinion, good or bad, of any of the people in this story. I didn't know of these accused cheaters before this story came out. I don't really watch Hustler Casino Live much, so I didn't really know who the accused ringleader was, this Mars guy. If you pointed a gun to my head before the story came out and asked me, who is Mars in poker? I would have no idea. The other two I hadn't heard of. And while I am aware of Nick Airball and Wesley from Hustler Casino Live, you know, I'm kind of neutral on them, too. I mean, Nick Airball's a douchebag sometimes, but I don't hate him. I don't dislike him. I don't have any personal issues with a guy. And Wesley, you know, he just got some crypto guy who may or may not be shady. So whatever. Like, these are not guys I like. But they're not guys I hate or even dislike. So I'm just really neutral or, in the case of the accused, just not familiar with the people who are in this story. So there is no axe to grind to have with anyone here, nor is there anyone I'm close to or friends with. And that makes it easier to report in a completely unbiased fashion. But where I did have some difficulty was just trying to follow this whole thing. And some of it is because... A lot of the people involved do not speak English as their first language. And then just they don't communicate their side very well to where it's very easy to understand. And there's other side characters in this story, most of whom are Chinese, that are tweeting in Mandarin constantly. And it's hard to follow that as well. There's a lot of complexities to this whole thing, and it's sprung off into a number of different directions. In fact, at one point, there was even an argument that broke out between Daniel Anderson and Matt Berkey, neither of whom 
were cheated here nor are accused of cheating, but they had a big fight in relation to this whole thing. So I don't know how much we're going to get to with all that, but this was a fairly big story on Twitter for the last few weeks. In fact, it's not even a few weeks now. It's only about a week and a half. It was on December 3rd, this whole story broke. And it's been raging on Twitter ever since, but it's not as big as it could be. And I will explain that as well during our segment. So if I don't get some details right, or if I'm missing something, forgive me, because this whole thing's just so confusing and so hard to follow, and I've done my best to make sense of this whole thing. I'm going to get it mostly right factually here, but there might be some things which confuse me, because if you've been following this, I'm sure you're confused too. But I'll do my best to put this out in a way that's easily digestible and understandable, which is what I always strive for on this show. In fact, uh, some of the compliments I've gotten about this show, aside from it being something that puts people to sleep. And they say, no, 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 it's in a good way it puts me to sleep because you're relaxing. And Okay, whatever. But one of the compliments I've gotten is that I make it easy for people to understand the topics I'm talking about, even if they're not familiar with the characters, even if they're not familiar with poker, even if the topic itself is something new to them, that I do a good job explaining everything to where the typical person can understand. And that's why a lot of people have gotten their spouse into listening to the show or other relatives or other friends that are otherwise not into poker or gambling because they can find these topics interesting without having to know the background on these topics or know about the particular subject. So I'm glad people think that of this show. And I'm going to strive for that here in this very complex situation to make it easy for people to understand, at least from what I can understand of it. So with that said, let's get going. Nick Airball is kind of a mysterious character himself. He popped up on Hustler Casino Live when it started. And this is about two plus years ago. I'm not sure exactly when he came, but he was fairly early on in there. And he was someone who was young, brash. He had seemingly like an unlimited bankroll. He would just bring gobs of money to every game. In fact, people would sometimes borrow from him if they ran out of cash while they were there. He was almost like the bank there for a lot of players that got to know him. And it was never clear where he made the money. Because people found old YouTube videos of him as just a college student. And then he took some kind of, just kind of average out-of-college job. It wasn't a bad job, but it's not one that's going to make you rich. And then all of a sudden he's showing up to Hustler Casino Live with tons of money. And prior to that... People just weren't aware of him running it up anywhere in poker. So where did he get all the money? We still don't know. This topic really came to the forefront when he had his whole feud with Matt Berkey, which resulted in their million-dollar heads-up match, which Matt Berkey won fairly easily. So he lost a million to Matt Berkey, but no problem. (laughs) He's still very much in action. And no one's ever quite figured out his source of funds. The guess is that it's some kind of family money. Either he inherited it or has a trust, or maybe he's convinced his family to give him money that he's a profitable poker player. I don't know if he is or not. So where he gets his funds is unknown. And of course, there's always the chance that these are funds obtained in some shady fashion, some illegal fashion. And I'm not accusing him of that. I'm just saying there's always the possibility. And I say that because a lot of times these guys who just show up out of nowhere in poker with just endless money 
are getting the money in some way that they should not be getting the money. And we don't find that out until they get arrested. So would it surprise me one day Nick Airball gets arrested for something like that? No, it wouldn't surprise me. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. If I had to guess he's not doing anything illegal to obtain the money that he has, I'm guessing it is some kind of family money. Maybe it was some kind of just crypto heater where he cashed out at the right time. It's possible too. Something weird's going on, but it may not necessarily be illegal or unethical. But anyway, that's the background of Nick Airball. He was purposely obnoxious and kind of played the part of the heel on Hustler Casino Live. And, you know, I understand that. I understand that you can try to present yourself in one way on these poker streams and then actually be a nice guy in the background. And, of course, there's the reverse, where people who seem very nice on the streams are actually big jerks in the background. So it can go both ways. You can't believe the personality that you're seeing on the stream. So I'm not going to judge Nick Airball for his personality that you see on these streams because he insists this is an act. He is a fairly young guy. He is new to all this or somewhat new to all this. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that the personality that we see on there is not really him. People who are friendly with him, people that have gotten to know him in person say that he's a nice guy. So maybe he is. I've never met him in person. We've talked about him before in the show, and he is one of the alleged victims here. He's come forward and said that he was victimized. And I believe he probably was. Now, the second person claiming to have been a victim of this cheating ring is Wesley Fay. He's known as Wesley or Westside Wesley, Westside West, whatever. He appears on Hustler Casino Live. He is a crypto guy. He was actually involved in these weird allegations a little while back where this guy in the UK was claiming that Wesley scammed him. But then it turned out that guy was very shady himself and it looked like that these were false allegations. We covered that on the show. That was also a weird story. But at the same time, people have always been a little suspicious of Wesley, even though he seems like a nice guy generally on the surface. They're a little suspicious of him that something just doesn't seem quite trustworthy about him. Something seems a little shady about the guy. And I don't think either of these characters, Nick Airball or Wesley, are ones that anyone really trusts in the general poker public. They may have friends who trust them, but I'm saying like people who just observe these two don't see them as like very fine, upstanding characters in poker. They're just kind of guys who play high stakes, who may or may not be shady. That's generally the reputation they have in the poker scene right now, whether fair or unfair. That's the reputation they have, and that's kind of my impression of both of them as well. But I'll tell you right away here before we get into this whole story, I do believe that they were cheated here. I do believe they were victims here. So despite whatever else they may have going on, I do think they were cheated here. The main person being accused is named Ye Shen. Y-E is the first name. S-H-E-N is the last name. He is of Chinese descent. He also goes by the name Tony. He goes by the name Mars, or sometimes Tony Mars, on the Hustler Casino live streams where he has played a number of times. Not as much as Airball or Wesley, who are regulars, but when Mars came on, which was semi-frequent, he was known there as Mars. 
He had kind of a weird backstory. He claimed he was a snowboard instructor, which is a weird profession to have if you're going to be playing high-stakes poker. Like, How many snowboard instructors can afford to go on a high-stakes poker stream? But Mars was doing that. The, the snowboard instructor was coming to play on Hustler Casino Live. So he's the accused ringleader of this whole thing. He used to be at Mars Back to Earth. That is with number two, Mars Back to Earth on Twitter. But you won't find him now because he deleted his Twitter, which is, of course, always a great sign that you're innocent when you're accused of cheating, that you go and delete your Twitter. I don't think I've seen one case where someone deleted their Twitter when they were accused of cheating or scamming, and it turned out they were innocent. So that looks pretty bad for Mars, but a lot of things look pretty bad for Mars in this whole thing. So he's the accused ringleader, and then there are two others who are accused of major involvement here, and then there's others who are accused of minor involvement, but the two major accomplices are said to be Arnaud Matern. Arnaud is French, and that's spelled A-R-N-A-U-D, M-A-T-T-E-R-N. He had a lot of good hinted mob results in the 2000s and then kind of vanished. And he still plays. He just doesn't have the type of success he once did. And he was known in these games as Mike the Magician. And he was a dealer in these games, which is kind of weird. He has a $2.5 million of cash his lifetime, and he's dealing games. So he is accused of being involved in this ring. And then a guy who went by the name Peter, but whose name is actually Shane Hennon, is accused of being the other main accomplice, as is someone named Fam Long, who played as Bruce. So we're going to talk about all of them except for Bruce slash Fam Long, who I don't know anything about. But we will talk about all the others And we're going to talk about Wesley. Not that much about Airball, because he kind of started off with the whole thing, but then hasn't said that much since. But Wesley has been on a tear on Twitter, just constantly tweeting about this whole thing, sometimes in English, sometimes in Chinese. I even have a phone call to play you between Wesley and Mars. Now, it's in Mandarin, but I will stop it as it's playing and read you the translations that were done by some kind of AI tool. Poker News did this, not me, because that is an interesting phone call also. Usually it would not make good radio to play a phone call in Chinese for my English-speaking audience, but here I'll make an exception. So let's go to the beginning of this whole thing when it came out. This is on December 3rd. Nick Airball tweeted, Just found out that someone who I thought was a close friend of mine cheated me out of $1 million in a series of poker games. Very hurt and upset for obvious reasons. More details soon. Well, it, it didn't take very long for him to give the details. But he did write, All details and whatnot will be released soon in more digestible format. Short version is he brought a mechanic dealer and special cards that are see-through with special contacts. And then about an hour later, he decided he's not going to wait any longer. said, whatever, I have no patience or tolerance. It was Ye Shen, a.k.a. Tony, a.k.a. Mars. Pretty soon after that, a Chinese woman named Rina, who you can still find on Twitter at Rina Poker, R-I-N-A Poker. Never heard of her before, but she is real, and she is in the 
poker community. And apparently there's like a Chinese poker community in L.A. And there's definitely a ton of Asian poker players in L.A. I mean, like if you go to Commerce, you'll see that. In fact, the games I play in at Commerce, I'm just about always in the minority. Sometimes I'm the only white guy at the table. Often in the games I play, it's me and mostly Asians and then a few Middle Eastern people. And I'm like, like the one white American. Occasionally there's others, but it's very common for me to be the only white American in the game at Commerce and most of them being Asian. So Rena is part of the Chinese poker community and I guess they have their own games and there's a lot of people in that Chinese poker community that don't really have any notoriety in the poker community outside of it and a lot of them don't even speak English. So Rena, who apparently speaks uh, very little English herself. She went on a Twitter spaces and attempted to speak on there, but it's a lot easier for her to write because she can take more time and also use translation tools. But she tweeted, responding to Airball, I posted this on YouTube and my personal WeChat account one year ago, but not a lot of people cared. So this is what she posted a year ago. This is a YouTube comment. Now, Yes, a YouTube comment is not necessarily going to get a lot of interest from people. But this is what she posted when Mars appeared on the Hustler stream, and she posted a response to the Hustler stream. What I don't really understand is that Mars, a.k.a. Shanghai Nese Tony, as a private game host in Los Angeles who hosts games and calls players to come play and player wins money at his game, he just never pays. So, of course, this is broken English, so I'll try to make this a little more understandable. She's basically saying that what I don't understand is why you guys are having Mars, a.k.a. Tony, on your stream, because he hosts a private game in Los Angeles, and he calls players to come play, and if they lose, he keeps their money, and if they win, he never pays them. She wrote, he still owes me $25,000 and just never gave it to me. And also, he is involved in a lot of private game cheating scandals, which almost everyone in the Chinese community knows. I would not post this if he didn't block me on WeChat, which is a messaging app, which means I have no way of contacting him personally, and now he have not yet given me back my money. I really love Hustlers Casino Live, and I watch almost every episode, but I don't think people like this should be featured on stream and gaining popularity and famous for poker as well as getting to know more players who play bigger stakes, gets invited to his private games, and gets fucked up is what I hate seeing too. Okay, now, let's look at this realistically. So, a year ago she posted this when Mars appeared on Hustler Casino Live and basically was objecting to his appearance there calling him a scammer. Now, you can't just say, okay, well, Hustler should have disinvited him because one YouTube commenter said he's a scammer. Anyone could write that. Or... It could be a fake account, or it could be a false allegation. You don't know. But it is interesting that nobody really took any interest in this. There is no likes on the post, nobody responding to the post. So it's interesting that people scrolled through the comments on Hustler Casino Live, as I'm sure some people saw this, and no one took the time to stop and say, wait a minute, maybe we should ask about this. Because if I read this, I would have thought, you know what? This does kind of sound like a pretty specific allegation. It's not like, oh, Tony's a jerk. Tony's an asshole. Oh, I heard he cheats. Like, this is a very specific thing she put here. So if I had seen this, I would have wanted to know more here. But she was right. Nobody cared. Like, just nobody responded to it. So I asked her on Twitter. I said, do you know if any of 
more recent opponents of his saw your post last year. So I was wondering, may, you know, maybe did uh, Nick Airball see it? Maybe did somebody else see it that could have been influential in the situation? So she wrote, the players that knew about these are all San Gabriel, Arcadia, Walnut District Chinese players who don't play in casinos. After everyone finding out about it, Mars just quit these communities and stopped hosting games there. That's when he first started HCL, meaning that he moved over to play Hustler Casino Live after everyone in these areas in the San Gabriel Valley, everyone in those games saw he was a cheater. And he just bounced from these games and said, okay, well, time to move on to something else. And he moved to Hustler Casino Live. And then met people there, and then got him got these people invited to his other home games. The home games that are alleged to be the ones that were the cheating games involving Airball and Wesley took place in Yorba Linda, California. Yorba Linda is in eastern Orange County, actually northeastern Orange County. It is very close to Riverside County. It is east of Los Angeles. And it is the location of the Nixon Library and birthplace, and I believe he's buried there, too. So these games are known as the Yorba Linda Games. And that is where it is alleged that these things happened to Airball and Wesley. So basically, Rena saying that he quit the San Gabriel Games when people were wise to him. And then he went on Hustler Casino Live, made friends there, and then started inviting the friends to be victims at his new Yorba Linda games. Now, Poker News jumped and did an article about this pretty quickly. They had an article out about this before there was even a post on Poker Fraud Alert about it, so they were very quick. Sometimes Poker Fraud Alert gets these things up first, but they were very fast. John Sofen, who's a prolific writer on Poker News, did an article called Wesley Airball Accuse HCL Foe Mars of Cheating Private Poker Games Out of Millions. It says, Wesley told Poker News that he wants to do his part to ban cheaters from poker as he wants to clean up the game and ensure private games are legit and fair. He said the games played are mostly 2550 and 5100 blinds, that is no limit hold'em, between recreational players and a few known Hustler Casino Live regulars, such as Nick Airball. And how does a player win so much money at these stakes? John Sofen asked. Cheating, Wesley answered. On November 15th, inside Wesley's $400,000 Caesars Palace suite during the Las Vegas Grand Prix, I don't know where that comes from, the 400000 suite, the poker player invited Mars over to discuss the allegations. He attempted to get an admission of guilt, but Mars repeatedly denied any wrongdoing before leaving the casino. So, I guess during F1 that weekend, he, he brought Mars over to his expensive Caesars Palace suite or villa or whatever it was and tried to get Mars to own up to it. Mars said, nope, didn't do it. Wesley said that the Yorba Linda game he played in combined with another game in Southern California hosted by Zio, another Hustler Casino live player whom Wesley is confident had no involvement in the cheating scandal. That's interesting that the host of the game is not alleged to be part of it. According to Wesley, Mars offered to bring his own deck and suggested that others bring a dealer to the game, which runs two to three times per week. Wesley, who said he's lost about $1 million in the game, claims that Mars himself won about $1.6 million, and the players he brought 
two guys, one guy named Peter and an Australian guy named Bruce and three others. So his group is up $3.1 million. Now, let's stop here for a second. He said that Mars offered to bring his own deck to the game. (laughs) What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So they invite Mars to the game. I don't know if Zio invited him or if Mars was part of starting this game. I've never got a clear answer of whose game this actually was. And if Zio isn't involved, then, like, why don't they have their own decks there? It's very weird, but that's one of the things they don't understand. But anyway, what is definitely part of this story is that Mars offered to bring his own deck to the game. Now, how do you ever let somebody bring their own deck to an established home game? If someone says, hey, yeah, I'll come to your game, but I'll bring my own deck. Like, doesn't anyone say, hey, uh, why are you bringing your own deck of cards? Like, why can't you use the ones here? (laughs) Why did nobody stop and say, Mars, why are you bringing a deck here? So then Mars brought some guys with him, this Peter and this Bruce person and three others, and altogether they won over $3 million. Wes said the seven-figure profits have taken place over the course of the past seven months or so since March. The last time Mars played in the game was at some point in October. We asked Mars, why did you bring the deck? Wesley said. After the game, we found a cheating deck. The deck is a very good cheating deck that you can't find, but we went to a very dark room and we used a blue light and you can see the numbers on the back of the deck. So it looks like a pretty simple scheme here that allegedly Mars brought this deck to the game and it had numbers written in some kind of invisible ink that if you're wearing some kind of special contacts or whatever, special glasses, that you can see the numbers and the numbers tell you what card it is. So they found a cheating deck there with these numbers on the back. They didn't know 100% that it was the one Mars brought, but basically Mars is cleaning up in the game and he had brought a deck and then when they went through the decks, there one of them they found was a cheating deck. A screenshot was provided. This was from Wesley, and this was a screenshot that this Zio, the guy who started the game, sent to Wesley, where Zio and Mars were talking. In this screenshot, Zio says, Dan says he's going to call you. I'm not sure who Dan is. Do you want to bring your dealer? And then Mars says back, I can bring some decks from your Belinda. You can call your dealer. And then Zio says back, okay. Did JT respond to you? He's not responding to me. He says back, he didn't reply to me, and they go on talking. This was in October. So, I don't know if they're just kind of organizing the game together, and Mars is saying, hey, I'll bring the decks, you get the dealers. Maybe something like that, where it was Zio's game, but that they were just getting this stuff together. I don't know why it's so hard to have decks there. Whoever's running the game, why don't you just have decks with you? And they would think that would be the easiest thing to get. Why is anyone bringing decks to the game? Wesley said that Mars has continued to deny the cheating, but admitted the deck was marked after being confronted with the evidence. Mars said, maybe you're losing, you don't want to pay, so you're changing the deck. If we're cheating, how can we lose? And Wesley said that the deck in the game is a special deck that cannot be purchased at a store, and that Mars brought it to the game. So whatever this deck was, is some kind of deck that he's claiming has to be the one that Wesley brought, because... 
this is one you can't just buy somewhere in the store. He says, we never use this kind of deck. It's a new deck, and Mars admits this deck is never our game's deck. It's a special deck. He admitted the deck has a problem, but he doesn't know who brought the deck. The text message showed, I can bring the deck to you. And Wesley said it's confirmed he cheated. So that was the end of the initial Poker News article. But this, of course, is the first day of the whole thing on December 3rd. A lot has happened since then. Another person is facing some allegations in the whole thing. If you've watched Hustler Casino Live, there is a female player named Sia, S-I-A, who goes by Sia the Bot on Hustler Casino Live. She is an attractive young Asian female, and she apparently is an ex-girlfriend of Mars, the accused cheater. Her first comment on the situation was a cryptic defense of Mars. She said, wait for the truth. Someone responded back to her saying, you're a mechanic. You as the dealer and Mars as a player cheated in a private game and were caught. Someone first beat the shit out of Mars. Police was involved. I was the witness. Rena then chimed in and said, yes, he was beat in a plaza. He was also locked up by someone for a month. Now, this is not related to this cheating situation that's alleged by Wesley, but that's something that happened previously, maybe back last year in the San Gabriel Valley. So she's saying that, yes, he was beat up in a plaza, and then also someone locked him up for a month, which I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means he went to jail or if someone actually kidnapped him and locked him up for a month, but uh, that's what Rena is claiming. And this person Sargis, which is S-A-R-G-I-S, Russ, R-U-S-S, on Twitter, was saying that Sia dealt in some of these games and that she's a mechanic, meaning a dealer who can deal cards in a cheating fashion where they can arrange the deck or deal from the bottom or use various dealing tricks to make sure that preferred players get the best hands. So this person's alleging that Sia was part of a cheating scheme by Mars to be the mechanic dealer in these games and that they were doing this together while they were a couple. It's not clear where they broke up, but the breakup was fairly recent. Wesley then showed up on Twitter to comment on this, and this just started a big storm of tweets, which continue to this day. He wrote, The cheater is Mars, and I will publish all the evidence and people related to him involved in this later. Then he wrote something in Chinese, which I'll translate here. Recently, I have been thinking about whether I was right or wrong to enter the poker circle. I have been the top poker player in the world and created the world's largest pot and the legendary Poison King. I don't know what that is. And the second largest pot. But recently I discovered that I've been cheated out of millions of dollars online and offline and I lost interest in this game. I gambled and cheated nine times out of ten. I think he's trying to say I gambled and was cheated. <laughs> I gambled and cheated. No matter how good the technology is, what's the use? As a result, I lost millions of dollars in the poker world and the B circle also failed in the big bull market of BRC20 with an implied loss of $7 million. He's talking about the uh, crypto loss he took. But the process is very happy. I have lived a comfortable life in the past two years, and I've also achieved a certain degree of success in another field. I don't know if it's good or bad. So this is kind of him sitting and evaluating whether he should have gotten involved with poker in the first place. Nick Vertucci was originally accused by some people in this whole thing of being involved with cheating on the Hustler Casino live stream with Mars. The accuser here, none other than Prahlad Friedman. Yes, he is back in our stories. 
Perlot Friedman, who's had this weird bug up his ass about cheating on live streams, and it seems like conspiracy stuff. Like he really doesn't have any evidence. He thinks it's so obvious, but then he can't really prove anything. This is what Perlot Friedman tweeted. Mars was receiving signals on a live stream, and I tried to alert the poke world. People called me crazy. Y'all folks need to improve on your reads. So then people were interested in this claim. Like, is it possible that Perlod, even if paranoid, is it possible that a long time ago, or at least not that long ago, but before all this came out, was trying to tell everyone that he's noticed that Mars is sending or receiving signals at the Hustler Casino streams, and that everyone thought he was nuts? So someone named RJ asked, can you link to your warning about him? Which is a good question. Okay, Prahlad, you've been warning everyone so much and we've been ignoring you. Let's see the warning. Link to a warning you previously gave. So this is Prahlad's response. I got sick of telling people about cheating and nobody listening and many calling me nuts. Deleted all my tweets. You can certainly ask around, though. I was reposting a video with Mars receiving signals from... Nick Vitucci. (laughs) You've got to be kidding me. He's been warning everybody all this time, but he deleted his tweets for some reason. He got tired of people saying he's nuts, so he just removed the whole thing. Isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? So that's what someone said back. Someone named PLO God wrote, ha 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 ha, convenient. So then Perlod responded, you can ask around. I was tweeting nonstop about it. Poker community is completely naive or in on many of the scams. So this, this is what I mean by the conspiracy nonsense. It's one thing to say the poker community is naive. It's another to say that most of the community is in on so many of the scams, that's why they're all playing dumb. But he really thinks this. So he was tweeting a lot about what he thought was obvious cheating on Hustler Casino Live, but he would never clarify, he never presented anything concrete. It was more along the lines of, yeah, it's so obvious cheating's happening there. You're also stupid to not notice that. How can you not believe that there's cheating here? How, how can you not see it? How is it not obvious to you guys? Because I can see it. It's all cheating, guys. None of it's legit. Like the, the, He just kept saying that over and over. But he wasn't presenting anything. Anyone can say, oh, I think there's cheating in such and such place, but you've got to have some kind of evidence. At least circumstantial evidence. You can't just say, oh, it's obvious. Well, then show us. <laughs> I mean, so I, I don't know. So then uh, PLO God said, show the video now then. So then Prahlad says back, find it yourself. I don't care. <laughs> I love the find it yourself. So he makes the allegation that he's been screaming to everyone that Nick Fertucci and Mars have been cheating. And then people are like, okay, show us when you said that. <laughs> He's like, I'll go find it yourself. Yeah, great. So Dalai Man then asked, how was he receiving these signals and who did you tell? And he wrote, Nick Vertucci was signaling him many times. So nothing really came of that. And you know, Nick Vertucci has people that dislike him and people that don't trust him. So some people tried to jump on this initially saying that Nick may have been part of this, but it really didn't go anywhere because there's no evidence, and this stuff is not alleged to have occurred on Hustler Casino Live. Nick Airball's not saying he was cheated on Hustler. Wesley's not saying he was cheated on Hustler. They're claiming they got cheated in your Belinda at a private game. So the Vertucci part kind of died out after he was originally taking some heat for this, 
mainly because Perlot is not very reliable, as you might guess. Perlot's kind of a crazy person. But I'll tell you what did start to get some traction, and that is the backlash against Hustler Casino Live in general. Because it is true that Hustler Casino Live has brought a lot of people into the stream and into the poker world who have turned out to be criminals. Some of them have cheated on stream and were caught. Some of them were ones who had a very bad history and were uh, then banned from the stream, ones with pretty serious criminal histories. The cheater that was caught is not who you might think. I'm not talking about like Robbie J. Lou or anything. I'm talking about there was a guy, I'm forgetting his name, he kept looking over to look at people's whole cards and doing stuff like that. And it was caught on the stream and they threw him off. And it turned out that guy had a very bad reputation in home games of being a cheater. So it just seems like one scandal after another there where shitty people are brought into the poker world via Hustler Casino Live. Hustler Casino Live has a lot of big games, a lot of money flying back and forth, but the truth is that most of the players on there are ones we didn't know before. And you do have to wonder about these people that come on there who really were not part of poker beforehand. Why are they sitting down with this huge money to play at these type of stakes when they are not very experienced players? And this is why it was so valuable for good players like Garrett Adelstein to be part of the stream. And why it was such a big deal for Garrett to no longer be on the stream after the whole Robbie Jade Lou thing. In fact, Robbie herself was one of these unknowns who came out of nowhere with big money to play. So there's a lot of people who played on that stream who just showed up that weren't previously known in poker and had big money to play there. And that's never really made a lot of sense to me, but at the same time, you have to understand that Ryan Feldman is the one who sets up these lineups, and he's got a giant list of people in the poker community to contact to come onto the stream. And what Ryan's looking to do is to set up an interesting game, a game that people want to watch. He doesn't want to put on nine nitty pros in hoodies who are going to take forever to make decisions and barely put money in the pot unless they think they have the best of it, because that doesn't make for a very interesting stream. He wants action players. He wants people who splash money around. He wants people that make bad plays. He wants rich whales in the game. And then you mix in a few good pros like Garrett, and it can become an interesting and very watchable stream. And as we've seen, it quickly rose to the top as far as popularity of poker streams to watch. It came really from nowhere to become the top stream. So where does Ryan find these people? Well, if Ryan has enough connections in the LA poker scene, which he does, he has a ton of connections, people he knows can recommend those that have the money to come play the game. So Ryan knows such and such person. They say, hey, I know this guy. He's got a lot of money. He splashes around. He plays home games all the time. Not really a known player, but he'd be great for the stream. Ryan talks to him. The person says, yes, I'd like to come on. And they bring the person on. Like That's basically the process. So then the question comes, how much responsibility does Hustler Casino Live have for these players? What if they turn out to be horrible people or criminals or cheaters? Now, once they discover this, they usually throw these people off. But bringing them on in the first place, should they be expected to do any kind of due diligence about the character of these people? 
Or is this not their responsibility, much like it's not commerce's responsibility if a shady person sits down to play poker with you? Because I've played with a lot of shady people at commerce before. People I'm pretty sure have a criminal background. I don't know for sure, but you know, just from getting to know these people, I'm pretty sure some of them probably have a criminal background. Some of them may have been playing with money that was gotten in an illegal fashion, but commerce doesn't bother to vet that. They're required to, to some extent by law, if the person keeps buying in for a lot of money, that's the know your customer procedures, source of funds verification, casinos are expected to do. But aside from that, they're not expected to background check anyone there. So Hustler Casino Live should have a duty beyond that because it is a broadcasted stream and these people do get publicity. But at the same time, I don't think it's that fair to blame Hustler Casino Live because some of the people who play on there are scumbags. And there are a lot of people who play on Hustler Casino Live, and a certain percentage is going to be shady, especially at the higher stakes where you need a lot of money to play there. And if you're not going to just put on the pros who are known to the public, where we know where they got their money, if it's just kind of randoms who have a lot of money that show up and play, yeah, it's going to turn out some of them are not very good people. So I don't blame Hustler Casino so much for this, even though there are people who are complaining that they're bringing a bad element into poker. So Matt Salzberg, M. Salzberg on Twitter, wrote, Hustler live stream sure knows how to recruit some top-tier scumbags. It's actually impressive. Then a person named Magic R 99 wrote, it's all just a coincidence the people they invite on the show just happen to be career criminals. And then Salzburg says back, not to mention the one they hired to man the stream, referring to Brian Sagbixall, who was a criminal who stole money off of Robbie J. Lou's stack and who knows may have been involved in some kind of cheating there. So I'm not as strong of the belief that Hustler Casino Live is at fault for bringing these people in for the reasons I stated. But these people, they do have a point that there's been a lot of scumbags that have entered poker through Hustler Casino Live, or at least come to the public knowledge and appeared on stream, that otherwise would have kind of been in the home game world and we wouldn't have seen anything of them because of Hustler Casino Live. So I will say they brought a lot of bad people to the forefront. Whether it's their responsibility to vet, well... I have to say, for the most part, it isn't. But yeah, maybe they should start doing better with at least doing a little bit of looking into who they're bringing in and whether everything checks out. For example, the snowboard instructor with a lot of money to sit down at these high-stakes games, you got to say, okay, he's not making this money coaching snowboarding for amateurs at the ski resorts. Like, There's not big money in that. Maybe if you're involved with a professional snowboarder who's bringing in a lot of money and endorsements but just a, a, you know, when someone shows up to the ski resort and says i want to learn how to snowboard those instructors make very little money they're not going to be playing high stakes anything so the, when someone shows up like that and that's their backstory and they've got tons of money that's when you may want to say you know what uh something isn't right here maybe we shouldn't have this person on i asked rena why she didn't tell hustler casino live about mars and what she knew about him when he was appearing on the stream. She said, I was new to poker. I didn't know people in Hustler Casino Live. I could not just go to HCL and start telling them about it. Well, yes, you could. I mean, that's, that's, not a good exam- that's not a good excuse. You could have just tweeted to these people and said, hey, I want to talk to you about someone on the stream. 
they would say, I'm crazy. I'm glad Nick and Wesley are calling him out. A person named Charles, who's at Uchow, Y-U-C-H-A-O, tweeted, I was playing in the game once and lost 67k. Now I would say they're suspicious hands, which I cannot escape from losing all my stack. Also, I introduced my friends to that game. They played two days and refused to play the second day for some reason, and they agreed. So after my friends told me all what happened, I felt like I might be cheated. And at the same time, I thought Wesley might be part of this since the home game was in his good friend's house. I warned Nick, and he didn't listen to me. So this Charles guy is some friend of Nick Airballs who played in the game and lost 67K, and his friends played and wouldn't even come back the second day and said something was wrong here. So then he tried to go back to Nick and say, hey, there's something wrong with this game. I think it's a cheating game, and I think Wesley's cheating too. And Nick's like, no, 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 these are all my friends, you know, no problems. So, so Charles is annoyed here that he warned Nick a long time ago and he, he didn't listen to it. So what about Mars, though? Did Mars respond to the allegations? Yes, he did. So he talked to Poker News. And he sent a long, rambling statement to Poker News, of which some of it was published. So I'm going to read this to you. You can tell me how convinced you are. This is the part that Poker News published. October 14th, Zgo, Z-G-U-O, who's also Zio, that's the Zio guy, called me to co-host a game with him at his apartment. I told Zio we will both bring players to the game. When we both spoke about it, he asked me if I wanted to bring the dealer. I responded to him, I can bring cards from your Belinda. You can call your dealers. Now, he's admitting to this part because it's right there in the text. So he's basically confirming that screenshot was real. After a couple of hours passed, Zio and myself agreed to change the game location to your Belinda. So since we are playing at your Belinda, there's no need to bring cards because they already have multiple decks there at the game. When I arrived at the game, there were six to seven people already sitting at the table. So there's no way I could have switched or brought cards since everyone was there. After the game, we found out the cards were marked. At that time, I thought Zio brought the deck, but he arrived around the same time I did, so that changed my mind about accusing Zio. Three weeks later, one of the players who went back to China confessed to me on the phone and said he was sorry for all the players blaming me. Uh, isn't that convenient? He went on to tell me that he switched the cards because he was losing so much recently. His name is Parentheses Son. <laughs> Not just son, but Parentheses Son. His, his name is Open parentheses, son, close parentheses. I don't know what that means. Maybe he's trying to say, like, son is his English name and it's something else in Chinese. I don't know. But his name is parentheses, son. After I received this information, I went directly to the owner of the house and explained everything. Two other people other than me can confirm this. So this son that, that nobody else remembers seeing there, by the way, but, but supposedly this son guy brought the cheating deck and switched cards in. So I guess... He wasn't allowed to bring a deck, but he brought his own cards and switched them in. So, you know, if he was dealt Eight of Hearts, he would surreptitiously take out the Eight of Hearts he was dealt and slip in the Eight of Hearts that he brought with the markings on it. And then he cheated using that deck. He does not indicate whether Sun, or sorry, parentheses Sun, won money using this cheating deck. And then he conveniently went to China and conveniently confessed to Mars that he did it. Mars went on to write, I feel bad that I did not arrive earlier to the game, so there would have been a chance that I could have prevented this situation from even happening. I'd like to apologize to the following players who are at the game. Pink, Brick, Chris, Zio, Jason, and Joey. What? <laughs> that, 
That's his explanation. That that this parentheses sun guy, who nobody remembers, and went back to China, and you can't find him now. He's gone. He confessed he did it. So sorry I didn't get there in time to prevent this from happening. But how would that have stopped it? Let's say this story's true. And let's say Mars got there early to the game. Like if Sun was going to bring, sorry, parentheses Sun. If parentheses Sun brought his cards to swap in that were marked, it doesn't matter how early Mars would have been at the game. Parentheses Sun still would have done what he did and gotten away with it, right? So what is he talking about? But it's not convenient. He's in China, and there's no further information given. It's not like he's saying, well, here's Sun, here's a picture of him, here's where you can find him in China, here's where he lived before, like nothing. Just parentheses, Sun did it. Yeah, seems legit. And the fact that Mars is also accused of having cheated last year, what, is that going to be blamed on parentheses, Sun also? Is parentheses, Sun just going to every game in Southern California and cheating? And somehow Mars is getting blamed? Is he Mars's evil twin brother with parentheses? Like, what's going on here? How does he think this is going to convince anyone? So, of course, it didn't. People were confused and angry. And just got more pissed at Mars. So, I think that's around the time Mars gave up and deleted his Twitter. He did make a statement on 2 plus 2, which I suppose I should read you guys. This is written on December 5th. 2023, 7.26 p.m. I'm writing this statement to set the record straight on some false accusations that have personally damaged my reputation. When the accusers make these statements, it's important to judge both parties' characters. So I'm going to start with myself. I have won and lost huge amounts numerous times in my poker career, but I have never cheated in a game, and I've always paid when I lost. Now, regarding the people accusing me, it's the opposite. And I'm going to bring to light everything needed so that you can know their character better. Here are some facts about Wesley Fay that very few people know. There has been some accusations against Wesley for scamming people in the crypto community, the poker community, and some of his closest friends. In early May 2023, Wesley invited a lot of his friends to his online poker club, Easy Poker Club. And then he posted a picture of the advertisement for Easy Poker Club which even has like an animated drawing of Wesley. And it shows the animated Wesley holding up a 9-2 offsuit, holding a billion-dollar chip, and it says, Poker is so easy. It's (laughs) E-A-Z-Y. Dumb. But that does appear to be like a real online flyer for the game. He goes on to write, One of these players was a big VIP, meaning fish, called Mr. F, who is a mutual friend of myself and Wesley. It became apparent very quickly that something was wrong with the game, and Mr. F brought his concerns to me since he was the main target. When he got confronted by Mr. F, Wesley admitted using multiple RTA GTO, that means real-time assistance, game theory optimal, colluding robots against all of the players. Remember, this is an online game in May of 2023 on his private game. Mr. F told Wesley he was going to expose him for cheating out of $1.5 million before the million-dollar cash game at Hustler Casino Live. Wesley paid back the cheated money to prevent getting exposed. Here comes a text conversation from Wesley and Mr. F, who was the victim. And then he shows texts back and forth in Mandarin 
and then posts a translation of the text, which I'll assume are accurate or mostly accurate because someone probably would have said otherwise by now. He said, after Wesley lost $1.5 billion to Dylan Heads Up, Wesley started working on developing a Heads Up RTA tool, which he said would connect to GG Poker. I have screenshots of a conversation between me and Wesley where he brags about how he's going to cheat and beat everybody Heads Up and be the top one in the world. Now, before I get to that part, uh, let me read you the translation of the conversations with Wesley and this uh, Mr. F. You're talking about no partnering alliance, catching partnering. And then Wesley said back, I've been lied to. And then Mr. F said back, you said it yourself. Wesley says back, you just don't want to believe it. What's the point of sticking around like this? Am I not allowed to make a mistake once? So that's implying like Wesley was admitting that he ran bots against people in this game and that he made a mistake once and should be forgiven. Then Mr. F said back, I believe so did not ask for compensation for the principal. I'm sorry. The money I do not want. I want the truth. What's wrong with you? Wesley responds back, the money is not for you to play all. And then Mr. F says back, I played more than 50000 I'll transfer you to you. Give me the address. I don't want it. And then Wesley writes question marks. What the hell are you doing, Mr. Fong? Which is Mr. F. Mr. F says back, I want a reason. And then... Wesley says back, it is not reasonable to give you back the full amount. I'm going to ask for a reason. And then Mr. F says back, the question is, did you give me the full amount? I want too much. I want to get back my own capital that was killed by the piggy bank too much. So basically he's asking, is it too much to ask at least back what I lost? I'm not asking for more than that, but I just want to get back what I lost in the game. So then Wesley wrote, yes, I pay you back in full. You've got a point. Don't be so unreasonable, he says to Mr. F. It's like when Great White pulls you in and you both get ripped off. I don't know what Great White is. You ask him to pay for your losses. I said yes. You give me a couple more days. Is that too much? Mr. F says back, no money. I can take it. What if you have money and don't give it to me? So this is kind of hard to follow, obviously. But the claim here is that Wesley in this conversation with Mr. F was basically admitting that he quote made a mistake and was offering to give him back money. So Mars is saying here, Hey, look, Wesley's no saint in May of 2023. He ran one of these online poker clubs and then ran bots and beat people and even refunded somebody who was a friend of his that lost a bunch of money there when the guy figured out that he was being cheated with a bot. So again, he wrote, uh, after Wesley lost $1.5 million to Dylan, heads up. I'm not sure who Dylan is. I think it was someone on the stream. Wesley started working on developing a heads up RTA tool, which he said would connect to GG Poker. I have screenshots of a conversation between me and Wesley where he brags how he's going to cheat and beat everybody heads up and being the top one in the world. And again, that's in Chinese. But then here's the translation. Wesley says, as long as this thing has its interface open by now, GTO Wizard, you can use the API. You can use the API with your own plugin. But I had a dedicated one. I didn't want to open it because I had to port it to GTO. And then Mars says back, it's complicated. It's offline. You can see it and you can lose it. And Wesley says, I spent a million dollars on a server. 
I don't use wizards. I have a specialized one, meaning he's not using GTO wizard. He, he has his own specialized GTO, Game Theory Optimal Tool. I'll show you next time. I didn't even think about it. There's a lot of cheating offline, too. And then Mars says back, it's not like the RTA is a guaranteed win even when it's open, right? So it's basically Mars saying, well, yeah, you think this tool is so great, but you're not guaranteed to win every time. This just allows you to play Game Theory Optimal, but there's still a lot of luck in poker. And then Wesley says back, guaranteed win. Heads up is solved. Indeed it is. Otherwise, everyone would have it turned on. No one can beat this in heads up. Mars says back, it's too deep online. And then Wesley says back, if you can open it, then open it. Poker stars, they shut down the heads up tables. It's because GTO solved the heads up game. Supposedly, the plan here by Wesley was to run this on GG Poker, which does have heads up games. He's claiming that can't run this on Poker Stars because they took down the heads up games exactly for this reason. But GG Poker hasn't. We're going to run it on GG, make a bunch of money. So you may stop and say, wait a minute, what are we talking about here? Why are we going on about uh, bots on heads up games on GG Poker and this Mr. F character and this online app that Wesley was running back in May? What does this have to do with Mars allegedly cheating with this marked deck in the Orbelinda game? And the answer is, it doesn't. And that's the very important thing to take away here. Because Mars's main defense, and when I read you the statement from Arnaud, his alleged accomplice, you'll hear a lot of the same stuff. The main defense is, Wesley is shady, Wesley's a piece of shit, Wesley cheats his own friends. You can't believe a word he has to say. And here's the evidence that Wesley's a shady guy. And my response is, no. <laughs> like, that just means that all of you are willing to cheat if you're telling the truth. This does not mean you're not a cheater. When you have a reputation as a cheater, when there's a number of people claiming you cheated them, both last year and this year, when a marked deck was found that you admit was found there, you're not even disputing that a Mark Deck was found there in that game. When you're seen in a text message saying you're going to bring the deck, these are all very big reasons to suspect it was you. When you're saying that you and only you know the real cheater. It's kind of like OJ with the real killers. When, when you're the only one who knows who the real cheater is, this parenthesis son guy, it's not like you're saying, hey, this game was on the up and up. I don't know what he's talking about. He's just a sore loser. You're like, yeah, there was cheating. Yeah, there's a marked deck. But no, it was this parenthesis son guy. So even if Wesley's the most shady piece of shit in the world, that doesn't mean you couldn't have cheated him. So the evidence, Mars, really does point to you having been a cheater. Now, you do seem to be bringing a compelling argument that Wesley is also not a very good person. But you're not bringing a compelling argument that Wesley made all this up, just that his character sucks too. But there's enough that even you've admitted to here that was going on that makes you look very, very suspicious. Mars went on to write, Wesley's on a major downswing. He lost $1.8 million since the Hustler Casino million-dollar game. He lost a million in PLO. He lost $1.5 million to Dylan Heads Up. He lost a couple hundred thousand in Vegas. He's close to broke. Nevertheless, he posts pictures of himself on social media with super luxury cars, mansions, and $400,000 suites at Caesars Palace. None of these assets are his. They belong to our mutual friend. And Wesley just lies to everyone to portray a certain image and to deceive people. 
This can be confirmed by most high-stakes players. So basically, he's saying Wesley's not even rich, that he's chunked off everything he had. Now he's posting pictures of himself in very high-stakes-looking luxury spots, which are actually paid for by his buddy. So it's all his buddy's stuff. Expensive cars, expensive, expensive villas, expensive homes. This is all his friend's stuff that he's pretending is his. Then he finishes off saying, On this day, there were two Chinese dealers named Andy and Kay. No white dealer was there. <laughs> no white dealer. I think he's trying to do this to get the heat off of Arnaud Matern, who's French and white. I didn't bring any cards anywhere. And regarding the dealers, there are baseless accusations. Moreover, I'm not even in charge of hiring any staff. The only conclusion I can think is that Wesley's broke, desperate, and tries not to pay the money he owes me. He's making accusations regarding a game he was not even at. He's trying to poison the mind of anyone that will listen. All these are confirmed facts and not baseless accusations. So that was Mars' statement on 2 Plus 2. He never came back to respond to anybody, so in case you're wondering if people grilled him and what he had to say. No, he didn't respond to anybody, and then he deleted his Twitter shortly after that, which, of course, is very suspect. So, of course, this is all over the place, and it, it's weird because like, he's talking about how he did bring the deck, but then he's saying he didn't bring the deck, so it, it's just lots of contradictions. Never explains the sun thing. Like That should be the most important part. Forget all this other nonsense about Wesley. Even if it's true, let's forget all that stuff. The thing he should be focusing on is that he knows the identity of the cheater, he claims. So, like, why not just dump all this guy's info out there? Why not say, okay, here's his name, here's parentheses son, here's a picture of him, here's the games he was at, here's who can verify he was there, here's where you can find him, here's where I think he is in China, here's where he lived before. Like, that would be the relevant information here, not just rambling about Wesley. So this dumb statement didn't really help him. It became more and more crazy on Twitter and harder and harder to follow. And then came the whole thing where Wesley started getting threats from Mars. So on December 5th, same day, Wesley wrote, I bet Mars wants to kill me right now after scamming me millions of dollars and now wants to change public attention to me by defame me. It's okay. Maybe Mars is going to hire some gangsters watching me because I destroy his career as a professional cheater for many years. But I'm not scared. I'm just doing the right thing. So then Jay Bills, who is a guy on Twitter who I've interacted with somewhat over the last year or so, he wrote, clearly he was posturing, especially the way he was trying to say you're broke, Wes. A downswing isn't going to break you. So the fact that he was trying to speak on your finances, I thought was especially heinous and shows how mad he is that you outed him. Stay safe out there, bruh. And then Wesley wrote back, he wants to call me being cheated as a downswing, and I don't even know my, he's my financial advisor. So he's trying to say, yeah, I'm on a downswing because he cheated me, and he doesn't know how much money I have. He's not my financial advisor. Then Wesley wrote, now the cheater Mars is trying to move public attention to others. One, I didn't cheat. This is a screenshot taken out of context. Mars distorted the fact. Second, Fang is not his friend. He cheated Fang, and Fang lost $1.8 in the Yorba Linda Game 2. I can even ask Fang to make a video to clarify. Two, how the thing related to Mars is the cheater himself, LMAO. And then he showed a screenshot of something Mars posted. And by this point, Mars had deleted his 
Twitter account, but Wesley had taken a screenshot of this, so you can still see it. He wrote, at CryptoApprenti1, which is Wesley's Twitter account, C-R-Y-P-T-O-A-P-P-R-E-N-T-I-1, CryptoApprenti, like Apprentice1. He wrote, at CryptoApprenti1, you cheated our friend Mr. F. Here's proof from your mouth. You paid back the money to keep him quiet. Like I said, facts, hashtag proof. So basically, uh, Wesley is saying that it was Mars that cheated Mr. F, not him, and that Mr. F lost $1.8 million in that Yorba Linda game, and that, he, that Mr. F will even make a video to clarify. He never did, but he's saying he could make it if he wanted him to. And he's trying to say that Mars is just trashing him to get the heat off himself, which is probably true. But that also doesn't mean that Wesley's innocent. They can both be true at once. He also showed a screenshot from Twitter, again, before Mars removed his own Twitter, where he wrote full version of the story with a link to the 2 plus 2 thing I just read to you. There's no evidence whatsoever I'm involved in any cheating. Everything they're saying is just a random guess without any grounds. I'm waiting for anyone to bring any proof I'm guilty of something. And then someone wrote back in Chinese, Stop washing it. We all know you were beaten until your teeth were all over the floor and you were photographed. Do you want me to send you a picture? Let the bullets fly for a while. <laughs> so this person, is a Chinese person, is basically saying, look, you, you were beaten up really badly for cheating before, and they even photographed you like this. Do you want me to send you a picture that I have of you having been beat up like this? So why don't you shut up and just let everything come out for a while instead of trying to trash Wesley now? So then Zeo came out, who's G-U-O-Z-E-O on Twitter, and wrote, I met Mr. F post-stream at Hustler Casino Live. We became really close friends. Mr. F trusts me and wants me to share this. The following screenshots are from Mr. F with Tony, as with him and uh, Mars. But then it was all in Chinese, so that wasn't very useful. <laughs> but then... Wesley, quote, tweeted it and said, thanks for speaking out for me. So I guess if you translated it, it would be something that shows in Wesley's favor and against Mars. So now let's get to the alleged accomplices. So Wesley claimed that there were accomplices Mike the Magician and a guy named Peter. Now, at the time Wesley first posted about this, he didn't know who either of them really were, but we eventually found this out. So he posted a picture of Mike the Magician. He said, this is Mike the Magician who disappeared already. Then he posted a picture of this Peter and circled him. So then Antoine Saoud, who was the third place main event finisher in 2007 at the WSOP main event, he pointed out that he recognized Mike as French pro poker player Arnaud Matern. So then Wesley tweeted, wow, this is super pro Arnaud Matern. He's Mike the Magician. What the fuck? He's up $2.5 million in tournaments and is a dealer mechanic in our 2550 game and called himself Mike and made their team $3.1 million. Looks like tournament is way harder than becoming a mechanic dealer. So he's basically saying that Arnaud went from being a tournament player to a mechanic, a dealer mechanic, that is, who helps cheat in games. This is the allegation by Wesley about Arnaud Matern, who is supposedly an accomplice in cheating in those games. Now, you may say, wait a minute. Well, why do they need a mechanic if they have this deck where they can see the backs of cards? Why do they even need a mechanic? And that, that's a good question. So I guess the allegation is that when that deck wasn't there, that's when they would have 
these mechanic dealers like Arno and maybe even Mars's girlfriend Sia dealing and of course setting up hands to where the preferred players would win. Now Arnaud Matern had a pretty good start in poker. He was a winner of an EPT event in 2007 for a million dollars. He then had a number of other five-figure scores. He finally had his first six-figure score after that in 2010. Again at the uh, this time at the WPT in Paris. Remember, he's French, so that's where he's based out of. Later in 2010 at the EPT, he was third in the 4,000 euro main event for 212k. And then he had a 120k score in October 2011 at the WSOP Europe at uh, the 10k limit hold main event. No limit hold main event. And then things weren't going as well. And the big cash is dried up. And I have to imagine, given that he was entering a lot of events, that things started to hurt. Because the last decent score he had was in January 2012. And that was for 32500 at the PCA. Which was a 10k buy-in, so he only made 22. But after that, it really dried up. And he had a 13K score, if you want to call it a score, in May of 2012. And then after that, you saw nothing till 2014. So over two years passed, and then he appeared at the Vegas WSOP and had a cash for 9K, and then cash somewhat deep in the main event at 165th place in 2014 for 44K. But then again, went dry... And the next time he had a cash that was even five figures was in 2021. So that 44K that he cashed at the main event in 14, it would be another seven years until he'd even see 10K in any tournaments. And he cashed in the 2021 main event again for 44K, 167th place in 2021. And he's done okay since then, but he hasn't won big money. He's kind of getting some caches here and there, but you have to imagine there's a lot of losing in between because he's entering some big events. So I don't know how often he's playing. He did get 12th in the 2023 Millionaire Maker event for 85k, so that was a nice score. And he did manage to get 816th place in the main event this year for 25k. Something happened in those years where he just wasn't hitting much. And it wasn't that he stopped playing because he was getting a lot of like four-figure caches. Not a lot, but he, you know, there's every few months a four-figure cash here and there between 2014 and 2017. And then he just vanished from cashing anything tournament-wise for four more years until that next main event cash in 2021. So what was he doing all this time? Well, we'll get to that. He will tell you somewhat what he was doing and why he was dealing in this game, because he did admit that he was dealing. Kind of weird for someone with these poker credentials to be dealing at this point. But that part he admitted to, which we'll get to shortly. So Arnaud definitely was the one who was accused of being Mike the Magician. Whether he actually cheated in the game is in question, but he definitely was there, and he admitted he was there. 
And then this Peter, he was claiming the name was Dasha Henderson, D-A-C-I-A Henderson. Well, that's not true. Peter was not Dasha Henderson. His real name was Shane Hannon. And then Bruce was really someone named Fam Long. And I don't know much about uh, Fam Long, but uh, Shane Hennon even popped back up on Twitter, even though he really doesn't tweet very much. And then apparently some people had history with Shane from the past and didn't have very good things to say about him. And people in France did not care for Arnaud very much. So none of these characters have a strong reputation. Let's just say that. Very strong, good reputation. (laughs) But we'll get back to Arnaud and Shane shortly. But let's talk about the phone conversation. I'm going to play you the phone conversation. Wesley claimed he had a phone conversation with Mars where Mars admitted to the cheating. And this is then pretty recent because when Wesley was first going off about this whole thing on Twitter, he had not yet talked to Mars and Mars had not yet admitted it. But Mars basically flipped out that Wesley was hammering Twitter this hard calling him a cheater over and over and over again. So Mars called him up to basically say, stop. And Wesley secretly recorded it. So this is what Wesley tweeted about that on December 6th. He wrote, basically, Mars called me and admitted everything, including he's a cheater and Arnaud Matern, and their cheating syndicate now is very mad. They are going to leave the U.S. today now and threaten me that I, to delete tweets about them. Otherwise, they're going to kill me. Mars said he wants to save my life and that he's going to go back to China. Other members are going to leave the U.S. today and find mafia to kill me. Wow. Arnaud Matern is now dealing Baccarat at the win. So does their cheating group is there. Mars, Dasha Henderson... I and my friend got scammed 3.1 million and they want to kill me. I'm not scared. I will call the police right now. I have all the voice recording and can prove that. Justice will ultimately prevail over evil. I'm going to give all evidence to police. Hashtag justice. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty dramatic stuff going on there. Then he identified that Peter is not Dashia Henderson, but rather Shane Hennon and showed a screenshot from Google that Shane Hennon has at least one violent felony on his record, that in 2009, Hennon was arrested for stabbing somebody, I think in a Pittsburgh bar fight or something, but he, that uh, Shane Hennon had been previously arrested for stabbing someone back in 2009. Arnaud Matern quickly responded back, saying, accusing people without evidence is slander, I never did any of the things you're accusing me. I contacted my lawyer. We're filing a civil lawsuit for defamation. (laughs) Not defamation, but defamation. In case you don't retract pictures and false statements about me, this legal procedure will go till the end. So then Wesley wrote, Sure, I'm calling the police. You gangsters can't escape. Then he wrote... All the conversation is recorded, including they are going to try to kill me. I'm not scared of them. I'm not scared of dying. I want the justice, which they cannot cheat anymore in their whole life. Justice is going to win. If I die because of this, it's fine. At least I'm doing the right thing. I destroyed an international fraud syndicate. 
Mars said they have bigger games to cheat, so I'm cutting off the cheaters' means of livelihood. But I'm doing the right thing. I believe justice. I give up to ask $3.1 million back and expose the International Cheating Syndicate, risking my life too, but I'm doing the right thing. They can never cheat anyone. You cheaters, come try to kill me. So basically, he's trying to say here, I'm risking my own life to out this, and I'm giving up the chance of getting the money back. I could have just said, hey, give me the money back, and then I won't out you, but I'm not doing that. I'm actually giving up the money, knowing they'll never pay me once I accuse them like this, and they're threatening to kill me, and I'm willing to just keep going forward with this, even if they do kill me, because I'm trying to get justice. Well, let me tell you why this kind of doesn't work, what he's claiming. Number one, I believe he's been asking for the $3.1 million for a long time. Like the, It's not like this just came out, he just discovered he was cheated. This goes back a number of weeks prior to when it was exposed. And remember, back during the F1 in mid-November, he had Mars come down to his villa at Caesars and confronted him and tried to get him to admit it, and Mars said he didn't do it at the time. So Wesley's been asking them for some time, give back the money you stole from me, and they say, F you, we didn't cheat you, we're not giving you anything. So after no progress was made in getting the money back, that is when he and Airball came forward, which is fine, but he can't say, oh, I gave up the money and I'd rather out them than get the money back. That's not true. He tried to get the money back first. They wouldn't give him the money back. That's why he outed them. That's number one. And and number two, uh, I don't think he's risking his life so much. Now, yes, it does require some degree of bravery to just aggressively out this when you have people threatening to kill you for it. But he might be taking the position of, hey, look, I was cheated out of so much money that I've got to call this out. I can't stay silent. I'm willing to take the risk of calling these people out because they cheated me out of so much. It's not like they stole a thousand bucks from me and they're dangerous people. These people stole millions. So since they won't give it back to me, F them. I'm going to call it out, and if, if they kill me, they kill me, but I don't think it's likely they will. And by putting it out here that they are threatening to kill me, then they're going to be less likely to do it because they'll be the first one suspected of it. Then he, re- he tweeted, they're in Wynn, Las Vegas right now. If anyone saw them, please call the police. By the way, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> you can't just call the police. Hey, I see Mars over at Wynn, Las Vegas. The police would say, okay, what? What are we supposed to do here? You can't just have them come arrest Mars and win Las Vegas because Wesley says so. Mars also said in the video that Peter Dasha Henderson, the white guy I posted, he has a murder case linked to him. Seems like they have other cases other than cheating. I don't know about a murder case. I mean, there was that stabbing, like a bar fight or something, but uh, it's possible that Mars said that to scare Wesley, just exaggerated it. Then Wesley posted... Where is Bruce Fam Long yesterday? And he shows that Bruce Fam deleted his Twitter, much like Mars did. So where is Bruce Fam Long? Well, I don't know, but it seems like Bruce Fam Long is Fam Long gone. <laughs> So then people asked Wesley, hey, if you have this recorded conversation, you're going to show the police. Why not just post it here? You're talking about it. Why not just post the recorded conversation? 
person named Chirp Monster asked, Wesley, you got to show the factual proof for your allegations. I want to believe you, but up to this point, nothing's factual. Who the cheaters are, who brought the deck, and who brought the dealers. And Wesley wrote back, it's all in Mandarin. I sent this to the journalist. So who's the journalist? Well, it turned out the journalist was Poker, poker News. I didn't know at the time. I was trying to get him to send it to me. In fact, there were people volunteering to translate it if he were to send it to me, but he didn't send it to me. He kept saying, just wait, just wait, be patient, be patient, which is weird. Like, why not send it to more people? Why only give it to Poker News? But okay, fine. You know, Poker News published it faster than Wesley thought they would. He kept saying, wait a few days. Poker News then published pretty quickly. So I'm going to play that to you, but one second. Let me read you one other thing. Blank Check Ben, whose name is Benjamin Lee, is also a regular in the Hustler Casino Live game. And he and Wesley were actually pitted against one another semi-recently. I talked about that on the show, where that UK scammer was pretending like uh, Wesley cheated him and then was involving Benjamin Lee in the whole thing and basically making it look like the two were both telling the scammer that the other was guilty, and then the whole thing kind of fell apart. But here's what Benjamin Lee wrote, who has gotten on better terms with Wesley since then. They, they never liked each other too much, but they got on better terms because they were both manipulated by this scammer in the UK recently. But this is what Benjamin Lee tweeted. He quote tweeted a hand which Brown Ball, you know the friend of uh, Nick Airball's? Brown Ball is the best buddy there. I guess Brown Ball was in a hand at one of these games where he felt that he was cheated. This is what Brown Ball wrote, and then it was quote tweeted by Benjamin Lee. Brown Ball wrote, Hey everyone, so I'm going to weigh in my perspective on the Mars scandal. I didn't play much on the Chinese home games, but I did a couple times. There was one time when I lost 100k where in retrospect it was extremely likely I was cheated. It was a big straddle pot. 800 straddle was on. That means that the person who is under the gun, the one right next to the blind, has to put in a blind raise, basically. That's called a straddle before the cards are even dealt. So I guess it was like a 200, 400 no limit game. So he straddled to 800. So it was a big straddle pot where another player opened like 3K. One calls in the middle and I squeezed pocket kings to 14k in the button. So he's basically saying that someone straddled for 800 because they had to. Then someone raised the straddle to 3k and then he made it 14k because he was on the button with kings. So-called whale that Mars later stacked in a different hand that made no sense cold called and the opener folded. So he's saying that Mars brought some guy there who supposedly was a terrible player and that this guy called the 14k and the guy who uh, originally made a 3K folded. So I guess it was just Brown Baller versus this friend of Mars that was supposedly a whale in the game. Flop, Queen A2 Rainbow. He donks, meaning he bets out 12K. I jam my remaining 35K or so. He calls and has eight twos of hearts. So he's flop bottom two pair. And of course, Brown Baller has pocket kings for the over pair. I was suspicious, but since that whale just dusted his 200k stack to Mars later, I assumed he was just a mega whale and didn't know what he was doing. At the time, I didn't consider they could have been cheating together. I've talked to other players that know the so-called whale since, and they told me he's extremely tight. Mars defending himself by denying the allegations and trying to defame West in return leaves an extremely bad taste in my mouth. 
We all considered Mars our friend, and this entire situation is very disheartening. So basically, he's trying to allege that this whale knew what was coming. So the guy called with an eight deuce of hearts to the four bet by Brown Bala, knowing that he was going to flop two pair in some way. That's what's being alleged here. So maybe the sides of the cards are marked, or maybe enough of this was visible to where he could see that the eight and deuce were going to come out on the flop. So then, getting back to Wesley, he commented on that hand. He said, I was in this hand too. I was the player who open-raised. So remember, there was a talk in, by Brown Bala of the guy who made it 3K and folded with ace-queen offsuit. After Brown Bala three bets and the whale cold call, I folded because they didn't have enough behind. The flop was queen a2 rainbow, and Brown Bala stacked off with kings against a2. I did, probably didn't think I'd fold ace-queen after opening from the hijack, so I got away, but in one orbit later, something even crazier happened. Shortly after Brown Bala got felted, I was dealt 6-4 suited in the small blind. The whale opens to 1,000, Next player calls, I call. Flop is 357 rainbow. So, of course, he's flopped the nuts here with 64, the nuts straight. I check. The whale bets 3,000 into a $5,000 pot. I check raised to 30,000. The whale snap jams 150,000 without thinking. I call. He tables pocket eights. I ask to run it twice. He says no. Turn six, river four. I quit the game after that. So basically what's being alleged here, again, is that this whale knew what was coming. This guy who was a friend of Mars, who's supposedly a fish, he puts in 150k with just the pocket eights over pair when Ben check raised him on a 357 board. And then he gets there with a 6 and a 4 on the Turner River. At about 5 a.m., Nick Airball calls and tells me that the whale has been felted and lost it all to Mars in one of the last hands of the night. I called Mars and the other game host the next day apologized for, quote, overreacting. Okay, so a few problems with this story, though. Uh, first of all, they've never quite explained how this whale can see what's coming. It's one thing for there to be markings on the deck so you can see what your opponents have or you can see what's on the flop. But to see what's going to be dealt next, how are you going to do that? Unless the marks are maybe on the sides of the cards, but it was never really explained how they could have done this. Unless there's some kind of markings on the sides of the cards, and if they're clear enough, because the sides of the card, of course, are very thin. It's not like on top of the card you can write something. The sides of the cards, it's very hard to read when someone's holding a deck together. So they never quite explained how this whale pulled that off. The other problem here is why would the whale have to lose it all back to Mars at the end if they're in cahoots? Why wouldn't this whale just settle up after the game and say, okay, here, Mars, here's your money? Like, why, why would he have to dump it to Mars? That doesn't make a lot of sense either. So who knows? Now, it's also possible there could have been a mechanic dealing this game, and that's how he knew. But these are kind of anecdotal I mean, it's suspicious, but it's kind of anecdotal. So it is hard to give much credit to these hand history stories. And I would love to know if this cheating deck had marks on the sides or if it was just on the top. If it's just on the top, I can't see how this whale could have seen what was coming. But now um, let's get to the phone call 
which I'm going to have to stop or at least talk over to tell you what they're saying to each other. So this is a recorded phone call that Wesley secretly recorded with Mars and then was given to Poker News and then Poker News translated with some kind of tool. I don't think anyone at Poker News spoke Mandarin, but they used some kind of tool to translate it. And someone who listened to the call who does speak Mandarin said it's mostly correct, but there are some errors in the translation, but we'll just ignore that, and I will read you the translation as it plays. Okay, so let's say, hello, hello, I can hear you. Go ahead. So Mars is the one who's softer. He's on the other end. You know, the louder is Wesley because he's recording himself speaking and he's got a speakerphone on. So it's going to be kind of in the background where you hear Mars talking. So he says, I won, I won. It doesn't matter who lost or won anymore. I'm making this call now. I believe I already explained the reasons before. I don't want any more extreme actions to happen. It's because I can no longer control things on my side. Okay, let's stop right there. So, provided that translation is correct or mostly correct, that's already kind of suspicious. So, he's saying, yeah, basically, I'm having this conversation from what I told you before. I don't want it to get more extreme. I can't control things on my side. Now, that's a common way where people will make threats, where rather than directly threatening someone, like, if you do this, I'm going to kill you. If you do this, I'm going to really hurt you. It's, well, there's some people who are really angry about this, and if you continue what you're doing, I can't control them. If you moderate yourself right now, then I can convince these people not to do these bad things to you. But if you continue on this path, I won't be able to control them. So that's really what it seems like Mars is saying to Wes here. That there's things getting more and more extreme, and I'm not going to be able to control people on my side. That these people are going to do bad things to Wesley, and that Mars is concerned here and wants us all to stop. While he can still control these people. I can't control the foreigners anymore, he said. Now, foreigners doesn't mean foreign to America. It means foreign to China. You know, forward, foreigners to them. That the, Basically, non-Asians. People like maybe Arno. He doesn't say who they are. Maybe this uh, Shane guy. But, you know, people that are not Chinese like they are. I can't control them anymore. These foreigners, they're, they're going to do something bad if you don't stop. I'll be back in Los Angeles tonight and meet with you to discuss this matter, okay? So that's what he's saying to Wesley. So Wesley says, no, no, no. I don't quite understand. There's no need to pretend anymore. Because like this, I won't act out anything else with you. I've been acting for you to propose a solution. Because cheating is your profession. You talk to me, you talk to me. So, propose a solution to me really sounds like this is your chance to give the money back. This is your chance to come up with something to get out of this. So, again, I don't believe that Wesley is selfless here and just wants to stop a cheating ring. I think he wants his money back. So, he's saying, you're not proposing a solution here. Give me a solution. Talk to me. Talk to me. 
But you guys never talk, always battle with me. Why are you confronting me? There's no need. And so then Mars says, it's no longer about confronting each other online now. The things we've been swearing at each other, now it's about personal safety. Okay, so that's, again, an implied threat. It's now about personal safety. So you know, let's forget all the battling we're doing online right now. It's not about your personal safety now. Now, now that's what we've got to think about. Now the big thing we've got to worry about here, Wesley, is your personal safety. That's why we're talking. So we've got to find a way to stop you from getting hurt, Wesley. He says, I, I don't want to affect you. It's escalated to this level, so what is it? So then Wesley responds. Lego, 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 Whatever that means, Lego, Lego, Lego. Peter or Bruce... It's the foreigners, the foreigners, says back Mars. The foreigners are just really about to take action. I can't stop them anymore. And now I'm calling you, meaning I will delete everything online now. You delete everything too. I'll show an attitude. I'll try to suppress this matter with them for now. Now, I'm not sure what he means by attitude. Maybe that's a weird translation. But... He's saying, I'll try to suppress them, meaning the foreigners for now, so they won't do anything to you. If you just delete everything online, I'll, I'll be able to stop the foreigners, probably, from doing anything further to you and hurting you. So then Wesley asks back, what attitude have you shown? And so Mars says, I'm now saying I'll make peace. But he says, you don't even sleep. Always talking about this matter. Now, it is true, Wesley was you know, pounding this on Twitter over and over and over again. I don't care about this matter anymore. When I call you, whether this call is recorded or not, the matter now is about you losing, not about you losing, you winning, whether I cheat or not, whether I admit it or not. I don't really care anymore. Do you understand? I don't want this matter to escalate further. They've already told me they don't want the money anymore. So then Wesley says, what do you mean they don't want the money anymore? So then he said, so did you or did you not block people's paths, block them completely? Now, I don't know what he means by block people's paths. I'm prepared to not play poker for the rest of my life, says Mars. Do you understand? I'm ready to not play poker anymore, but listen to me. This is for your own good, too. I really don't want things to escalate further. I will come back to meet you and talk about the remaining matters. But I think now I've already deleted all my tweets. He just deleted his whole account, Mars. I hope you delete everything, too. So that I can continue with the foreigners. I'll settle this matter with them. So Wesley said back, didn't they already settle this matter? Once started, how can't it be stopped? So he's basically saying here, what do you mean you can stop them? If I outed them here and ruined their reputation already, why wouldn't they already come after me if I delete everything? The cat's out of the bag, basically, saying, how can it be stopped if I've already said this about them? We can't unsay this. So what do you mean I should delete everything? Aren't they coming after me? So then Mara said, yes, I can try to mediate. If I can persuade them, I want to try to persuade them. 
So you say, but but they've already started. Are they willing to talk directly with me? And Mars just ignores that and says, we can't continue like this. And he asks again, are they willing to talk directly with me? He said, they aren't willing to talk directly with you, now only me. Referring to, the foreigners will not talk directly with Wesley, they will only talk to Mars as an intermediary here. So he says, when I'm willing to talk to them, they don't talk to me, and Mars says, right. He said, I said I'm going to post it. I said I'm going to post this. I'm not sending it now. I've sent it to him. He won't talk. I'm not sure what he's talking about. He said, let's talk. Let's talk. Okay. He says, now you come to L.A., I dare not see you now. You come to L.A., what if they come after me? So I basically saying, I don't want to meet with you in L.A., uh, what if I show up there and these people are there and they come after me? Which is a good point. Like, if, if Mars is threatening him through other people, and then Mars is like, oh, and by the way, come meet me in L.A. It's like, no, I, I don't want to meet you in L.A., I'm afraid you're going to bring them. These people that supposedly want to kill me that are your friends, so no, I'm not meeting you. He said, I talk to the boss, I come to the boss's house, I come alone. I don't know who the boss is supposed to be. He says, he says why, 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 you say that? I'm, about, I'm scared now, he says. So now there's a boss. Now this is really making Mars look guilty. Because notice Mars isn't saying, what are you doing, Wesley? I didn't cheat you. Why do you keep saying that? I didn't do anything. Why do you keep putting that out there about me? It's really hurting my reputation it's making everybody hate me. Why are you doing this, Wesley? It wasn't like that. It's like, hey, you know, let's not talk about who cheated, who didn't cheat, who won, who didn't win. Let's just talk about your health now. Let's just talk about whether foreigners are going to hurt you. Those foreigners you've been accusing, if they're going to hurt you. And, you know, and, and my boss this, my boss that. Like, this really sounds like it really is a cheating ring. You say they're coming after me, damn, he says. Then you come to see me, damn it. So you're with them. So then Mars says, listen to me. Since I called you, what follows is not a trap. I'm just telling you this. It's not a trap. I really can't stop it. I know this matter is going to get bigger. So he says, then you shouldn't confront me. Isn't it over if you admit it? So he's trying to get, of course, he's recording this. And Mars suspects he's recording this. He even mentioned at the beginning that you might be recording this. But he's like, this will be over if you just admit the whole thing. That's what Wesley's trying to say. So, so this is interesting. So then Mars says, yes, I admit it. I admit it. I was wrong. So, so Wesley says, why didn't you admit it before, but now you do? So Mars says, because if it continues like this, there will be bloodshed. So that's pretty incriminating here. Basically, Wesley's saying, hey, you've denied the whole way that you cheated. Now suddenly you're admitting it? Why is that? And he's like, well, because if it continues this way, there's going to be bloodshed. So now I'm telling you the truth. I cheated, but if you keep telling everyone this, there's going to be bloodshed. Look, I don't want this matter to escalate to that level. Do you understand, Mars says. I already, they've clearly told me, I said, give me some time, right? I'll be the mediator. I'll see if I can. So, so then Wesley interrupts him and says, wait, 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 the deal, are they willing to refund the money? So he's basically saying, look, if you want me to stop talking about this, 
refund the money? Is that what you guys are offering here? And then Mars says, "Are they referring to? Are they willing to refund the money? I'll talk to you about all this when I come back. But you need to show your attitude now. I'll show my attitude. I think by show your attitude, they're trying to say like we need to not show an attitude to one another. We need to bring down the anger here. We need to both calm down. I think is what he's trying to say." I'll call them later to discuss this, Mars said, referring to the foreigners. He said, do you agree? If you don't agree, I can't do anything. I really can't do anything. It's impossible. I was sleeping and I get up. I called the boss to talk about this. Mm. Mm, he says, <laughs> Wesley, I think you shouldn't pressure me. I'm being pressured. Don't think of foreigners as so simple. You're pushing them into a corner. So... Again, he's threatening Wesley with the foreigners. Then you're pushing them into a corner. They're about to do something bad. So then, referring to Arnaud, presumably, he says, that person's in France. They're ruined. So Mars says, yeah, they're ruined right now. They're ruined. But aren't you... You know they have over 2.5 million in prize money, right? <laughs> Which isn't true. He has 2.5 million in cashes since the 2000s. And clearly... He doesn't seem to have a lot of money anymore, as he'll even admit to in his post later, Arno. So he says, spending 500000 to a million to come after you for real, right? I say a word now, you die. Wow. I'm the one who's responsible now. The police will come after me, but I agree with you every day. So then Wesley says... What if we team up and deal with them together? <laughs> I'll spend some money. Get them taken care of. You spend money to get them taken care of. So he's basically saying, okay, if there's so much the problem, if you can't control them, why don't we just get together, we'll both put money into it, have them killed? So then Mars doesn't know what to say. He says, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. Because I know that I know, I know what situation I'm in now. I know that I'm very serious in telling you this now. You know, when I chat with you, all your recordings are on or whatever. I don't care anymore. Right now, I'm just talking to you about this matter. Now, everyone should make this matter a small issue in our discussion. So Wesley says, I'm telling you, it's been sent for so many hours now. I think he's referring to the tweets. Like, this has already been up for so many hours now. Why do they want it down so badly? It's meaningless. You delete it. Mara says, delete this. is not about making sense to others. Does it make any sense to others? But what I want is to hang up the phone and talk to them immediately. I'll tell them not to proceed any further. I said, Wesley, I've already made a stance. The rest I'll talk to you when I get back to Los Angeles. All right? I'm coming back tonight. I'm up now. I'm already up. I fucking slept. Slept for three hours. I've jumped up to see you not sleeping. Referring to that he's still tweeting. So basically, Wesley keeps asking, why is it so important to delete these tweets when everybody knows already? Everybody's seen this already. What good is this going to accomplish? And Mars says, 
look, it's not for you to understand. They just want the tweets down. And then maybe I can control them with convincing them to not come hurt you. If you won't remove the tweets and you just keep hammering them out here, there's going to be bloodshed. That's basically what he's saying. So then Mars says, I can make this call to you. I'm showing sincerity. It's not that I'm telling you I have a problem. I really have a problem. So then Wesley says, first, this money, they won't refund it. Second, I have another problem. What do they mean by not wanting any money at all? What does that mean? Is the money with you now? So he's like, wait a minute. Why would these people? Why would these people be asking for money? They're the ones who owe me money. So what do you mean they don't want money? And also, are they saying they're not going to give me the money back? So he's saying no. They're saying they don't want the money they're going to earn in the future, referring to whatever cheating that he thinks they're going to do in the future. He's saying that these people are basically willing to give up the cheating. They're, they're going to give up the money they can earn in the future from all their cheating, but they just want this whole thing to stop. So then Wesley says they won't make money in the future, so that means they won't make money anymore, right? So Mara says they won't make money in the future. They can't make money anymore because this is you. If you send it, others will forward it too, right? Everything is there. Even if you delete it now, these things are still there now. You only show one attitude. So, yeah, he's kind of acknowledging what Wesley was saying, that this is already out there. He's saying these people basically can't cheat anymore because their names have been put out there and no one will play with them. So they're not going to make money in the future. Wesley's saying, well, how are they going to make money at all? But he's like, look, they're not going to make money this way in the future. They they can't cheat in the future because you've already ruined their name. So I think the point Mars is trying to raise here is that You've already ruined it for them. They can't cheat anymore. Their their cheating days are over. This income source for them is gone. Because now it's out everywhere in poker. So you don't have to have concern about them still cheating people going forward because they can't because their names are too known now. So just stop pushing this. Stop putting their names out there so much and keeping this on everyone's minds. And they'll probably leave you alone but if you don't and you don't delete what you've already written, then they're going to take this offensively and come after you. That's, I think, what he's trying to say. He said, the bottom line is, how many people are in our group exactly? Wesley asked. You, Peter, Bruce, Mike, Zhang, Zhang, Sia, JT, right? JT and Zhang, you. So Mara says, none of them, none of these people, I'm telling you, just the three of us. I'm telling you very clearly now about this matter. So, so, so he says, wait a minute, the three of you, aren't there four of you? So Mara says, will you just let me finish speaking? He says, no, I want to know after all this time. I want to know exactly who's involved. He says, no, if this wasn't an emergency, I wouldn't be calling you. So it's funny how Mars won't even clarify. He's like, wait, who are the three? You're saying the f- that there's three people, but I think there's four people. I think it's you and Arnaud and Shane and this Fam Long guy, Bruce. So which one of you is not included in this is what he seems to be asking. And Mars is like, oh, will you let me finish? I'm calling you because it's an emergency. Please don't don't bother me with these details. 
So he says, I understand. Mars says, I'll go back to sleep then. I don't play poker anymore. I'll just disappear. I'm already prepared to go back to my country. Wesley says, hmm. I'll go to, back to my country. What happens on your side? I don't want to continue this anymore. I've already talked about this. Boss said, hmm. Said he'd like to call you to talk about this matter. Wesley says, hmm. Mars says, if you agree, you now take this. Today we delete everything from Twitter. I delete it too, okay? So then Wesley says, then how do I explain this to the public? Which is a, a very good question. After you've aggressively called out this group for cheating you, if you just delete everything, everyone's going to ask Wesley, okay, why did you delete everything? How do I explain to the public? He asks again. Mars says, listen to me, listen to me. Listen to me. I just finished a call with a foreigner. I'll call you back. If you think, if you feel that I'm deceiving you, then post all these things again. If everything's still here, isn't it true that you haven't lost anything? Now you have an extra recording referring to this call. Mm. Wesley says, hmm. Wouldn't they be willing to pay in this case, he asked. Like, if this is so important to them, why won't they pay me back? So then Mars says, let's not talk about the compensation first. What I want to discuss now is I don't want you guys to fight. Wesley says, can you give us how many people are they? Mars says, what? No, not now. He's not going to give him numbers. It's not about how many people... He was just released today, and previously on his body, he was accused in the past of a homicide. Now, he's referring to Shane now, the one who went by Peter. And, again, he wasn't accused of a homicide. He was accused of a stabbing. So, Wesley says, you're talking about him, you're talking about Peter. Mars says, I'll tell you when I come back. If you are at ease, we can let the situation escalate. I have no objections. Starting from tomorrow, I will disappear. I won't handle this matter. This is the last time I'm calling you. So basically, he's saying to Wesley, this is your last chance. I'm disappearing after tomorrow. You won't hear from me again. No one will hear from me. I'm just going to be gone. I'm probably going to go back to my home country. I'm just going to be gone. And then you will be left to deal with the fallout of the others who are mad at you who are going to hurt you. Mars says, okay, you make a decision. So Wesley says, can't you help us deal with them? Referring to the foreigners. Mars says, I can't get involved. I don't know if I can win if I get involved. So he says back, Wesley, isn't it over if you deal with them? What do they have? What things to deal with? Isn't it over if you deal with them? The few people they have after they deal with you will be trying to, to redeem themselves. So then Mars says, listen to me, after they deal with you, they're not Americans. And Wesley says, again, can't I just deal with them? Can't you just deal with them? Mars says, what I'm telling you now, he's on his way, if he flew away on a plane tonight, then someone will come after you. Mm. What will you do? So then, I don't know who they're talking about, but one of the people after Wesley. So Wesley says, well, 
where did he fly to after he left? Mars says he flew back to France, presumably talking about Arnaud. He flew back to Europe. Flying back to the UK is also possible. Right? Once someone leaves, they'll send someone to handle the matter. So basically he's saying they'll be out of U.S. jurisdiction. They'll send someone that they hire in the U.S. to kill you, and they'll be gone. So even if they're suspected, it'll be hard to arrest them. He says, listen to me, I need to call them back right now, and I will tell him to give me 10 minutes, and I'll discuss this matter. Wesley says, okay, you can call him, have a chat. So then Mars says, first you delete the photos of all these people. Now, I don't know if this is before or after these people were identified. I don't know if this is before or after that Peter was identified as Shane Hennon, and... Arnaud was identified as the one who was called uh, Mike the Mechanic. I don't know if this was before or after this phone call. I'm, I'm assuming this is before because Mars was saying that he wants the pictures down. He says, everything, can you delete it all at once? Referring to all the tweets. So then he says back, Wesley says back, just delete the photos, right? So then Mars says back, yes, delete the photos, delete all the photos, everything. I argued with you. This is between you and me. So then Wesley says back, right, what about the money owed? So Mars is acting like, okay, you know, you want to leave the tweets up about me. It's not that big of a deal. Remove all the photos of these other people. The ones of Shane, the ones of Arnaud. Those need to come down. Take those photos down. Make it look like an argument just between like the, just the two of us together. So then Wesley says, okay, but what about the money? What about the money owed to me? The con team also made money, right? So he's basically saying, these people cheated me too. They're all part of your team. So I don't want to make it look like it's just between me and you and let these people off the hook because they made money and they're not going to pay me back. They stole money from me. They're not paying me. So then Mars says it's no longer about the money for them now. So Wesley says, why would they do this then? Why do they want to mess with people after taking their money? <laughs> He's like, isn't it enough they stole from me? Why are they now trying to kill me? Because Mars says, because you've blocked their future path, referring to future cheating. The money they earn here, it's not their big money. Referring that they have a bigger game that could be cheating. Mm. So Wesley says, hmm, they still have to go to other card games, right? Mars says, I think you shouldn't push them too hard. If pushed too hard, if cornered, mm. a dog will jump all over a, a wall and bite someone. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. Wesley says, hmm. Mm. Fine, you talk to them first. Mars says, okay, I'll hang up now. I'll delete all my tweets first, Mars is saying. I will tell them that I have reconciled with Wesley. They see the tweets are all deleted. I'll say the rest of the matter I will discuss with him when we return to Los Angeles. So he's kind of contradicting himself. At first he's saying just remove the photos of these other people. Now he's saying delete all the tweets again. So Wesley says, what are you planning to do? And Mars says, I bet you agreed. I hope Wesley, because Boss has also told me before, I said, I think Wesley is a person without a spirit of contract. He might just do it today, right now. 
he agreed to record the audio directly with me, but now I'm saying I'm not afraid of him recording. And then so Wesley says, you've already reached the point of having nothing to lose. So Mars says, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, I don't care anymore. For me, it won't matter in my life to play poker again. Wesley says, the question is, why did you try to explain yourself yesterday? Isn't the problem solved if you just admit it? Did they ask you to do it? Referring to, were you asked not to admit yesterday that you cheated? Why, why would you yesterday say you didn't do it and now today you're saying you did it? He said, right, but you, you admitted it, but then you came over, I spoke a few words with Peter. It got heated, damn. There's a pause here. Sitting here. Mars says, okay, I'm asking you now. I give a definite answer. Then I go to Peter and the others about the rest. Give me a chance to be the mediator, okay? So Wesley says, yes. Mars says, okay, then think about it now. If anything happens to you now, or if it involves the boss or makes things worse and escalates the situation, wouldn't I be the most unlucky one? So Wesley says, you're not afraid when you're back in China. And then Mars says, I don't want the police bothering me. No. Hold on. It's hard to read this because Wesley had his phone up. Wesley has his phone up blocking the subtitles. He says, if I return to China, it's very hard to read this because now the white of the phone is blocking the white subtitles. So I can't really read this part. You should be in black. You can read him. Put your phone down, Wesley. It's almost over anyway. So then Wesley says, give me five minutes. I'll think about it. After this matter, okay? Okay, Mars says. I very sincerely talk to you about this matter, including everything from start to finish. Now I apologize to you first. Now just consider what they have apologized to you. I apologize to you first. Let's handle the main issue at hand now, meaning the tweets. So then Wesley said, without you, I just had to deal with your team members. Even if they're not mentioned in the final resolution, you still have to explain about your other team members, like Zilong, Zilong, and Sia. So then Morris says, Zilong is not part of my team. When Zhang Zilong came up, he came, he came up to me, he kept asking me where Mike is from. He said, how did he win? Referring to this as a long guy. Like he thinks that that guy is part of, part of the whole thing too. You tell me how does he win in a game of a cheater? Sia, Zhang, Zlong, and JT. He's like, how are these people like Sia the bot, Zhang, Zlong, and this JT, how are they always winning in these games where there's cheating going on? How come they're not getting cheated if they're not part with the cheaters? JT. He said, I'll come back and discuss this matter properly with you. So notice he's not saying these people weren't involved except for Zhang Zhilong. He's not even saying that Sia wasn't involved or that JT wasn't involved. <laughs> he's just saying, oh, it was Zhang Zhilong coming to me going, oh, what's all this about? But then Wesley brought up a good point. How come these people are always winning if you're admitting they're cheating in the game? How come it wasn't affecting them? 
So Mars says, I'll just tell you this. These are the people involved now. But Zhang Zhulong is not one of them, nor is Sia. So then, so then Wesley says, I'll forget it. You drop it first. Let's talk about this matter later, all right? And then so Mars says, I've admitted all these things. Do I need to protect Zhang? Wesley says, forget it. Let's not talk about this anymore. That you talk to them first, think a while, give me five minutes. So Mars says goodbye. Now, I'm not sure why Wesley rushed him off the phone at that point. It's kind of weird. Like, why not just let him further hang himself? But it's a pretty convincing conversation. Yeah, the translation may not have been perfect, but it's close enough to where you can see that Mars is not denying that anything happened there or that he was involved. He's just saying, everybody's mad. You ruined their reputation. They can't do this anymore. There were bigger games than this to hit, and they can't do it anymore. You posted pictures of them. You won't remove it. You keep tweeting about it, and they're going to hurt you. Why don't you stop this? Forget the discussion of what they owe you and how much you got cheated and who cheated. If you don't stop saying this, they're going to come after you. That's the thing to worry about right now. That's basically what he was saying. So that's not the actions of an innocent man. Let's just go to an alternate universe where Mars is innocent and is being wrongly accused by Wesley, who's just bitter that he has been losing. The phone call would be totally different. The phone call would be Mars saying, none of us did this. We were all innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. Arnaud didn't do anything wrong. Shane didn't do anything wrong. All these guys here were innocent, and you are dragging their names through the mud. And they're really mad about this because they didn't do anything wrong. And so some of them want to come after you because they did nothing and you're falsely accusing them. That's what he would be saying. He wouldn't be saying, well, no, 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 let's not talk about you getting cheated. Let's just talk about how mad they are. Nobody would put it that way if they hadn't done anything. The main focus would be you're ruining men's reputations when they were innocent. But Mars is very careful not to say that. He's basically saying the opposite. He's saying, look, forget if you were cheated. You need to worry about your safety now. You need to worry that you're ruining future opportunities for them. Because really the strongest argument to delete all this would be if these accusations are false. But if the accusations are true, then the only argument that can be made is, hey, if you continue outing them, something's going to happen to you. And that's apparently what was said on that conversation. So let's get back to Arnaud, who spoke out. This is Arnaud's statement, also posted to 2 Plus 2. This was posted on December 11th. He said, first of all, I have to tell you that I'm shocked by the allegations and that the last six days have been very trying. Now, after reading Mr. Tony Mars' denial and statement on 2 Plus 2, which I already read, you guys, I have been able to discover and understand the true character of Wesley Fay and how he could possibly fabricate false allegations against me from his own selfish motivation. The point of all of this is clear. Wesley is a cheat and a thief by his own admission in text messages, yet he makes unsupported allegations against me in a game when I wasn't even in the country. This is clearly upsetting, especially considering the character of the person making these false allegations. 
I've read allegations and seen the supporting evidence, text messages online from the 2 plus 2 forum, showing that Wesley Fay has been accused of scamming people in cryptocurrency, as well as in the poker community, and scammed some of his close friends. Mr. Tony Mars has documented these accusations with extremely incriminating evidence and posted them here. The first piece of evidence shows Wesley was cheating against one of his friends, Mr. F., who was invited by Wesley to play in an online club set up by Wesley himself. According to the evidence presented as an attachment to this article, Wesley used several GTO-RTA robots in collusion with each other to fleece Mr. F., who lost 200K. Mr. F., with the help of Mr. Mars, demonstrated this to Wesley and threatened to denounce him publicly during the Hustler Casino live stream. Wesley begged Mr. F. not to say anything and gave him the money back. A screenshot of the text conversation between Wesley and Mr. F. posted to support this claim. Enclosed here are the original text messages depicted on 2 Plus 2 forum in Mr. Mars' original post. I attached underneath the English translation to make it easier to read for everyone. I, I read this stuff to you guys, so I won't read it again. A second screenshot shows an exchange of text messages between Wesley and Mr. Tony Mars, where Wesley boasts about having invested a lot of money in the development of a new RTA tool. Wesley says he can't use it on Poker Stars because they've removed the heads-up games as the game is solved. However, Wesley says he's been able to use it by connecting to GG Poker. He says there's a 100% chance of winning. It's impossible to lose with this robot against a human, and he's going to become the biggest heads-up winner in poker history. A third passage mentioned the fact that all the possessions Wesley bragged about on social networks, such as ultra-luxury cars, Ferraris, Bentley, Lamborghini, the Villas, the 400K spent at the Caesars Palace during the Formula One weekend, all of which are not owned by Wesley, but by a player who's in the game who would call Mr. Boss. I guess that's the same boss they were talking about on the phone call. All this incriminating evidence against Wesley was published by Mr. Mars on 2 Plus 2. I was shocked to see it. The point is I'm making that this very person that's making this unfounded allegation against me is a cheat and a thief by his own admission in his text messages. Clearly, Wesley, the accuser, is not an honorable or credible person. At no time ever was I dealing at your Belinda. Did anyone allege that there is any cheating going on? But when I'm out of the country and there are other dealers, players, etc., and Wesley does not want to pay his debts, it is truly convenient for him to say, quote, I am not paying because months ago I think I was cheated. So let's stop right here. He's doing similar to what Mars did, and that is trying to make Wesley look like a complete scumbag, and therefore we can't trust Wesley. That, that's really the theme of this statement by Arnaud, very much like Mars, which, again, is not a good defense. You can include this in your defense. You can say Wesley's not a good person. He's not a trustworthy person. Don't believe everything he says. But you've got to defend what you are accused of, and you've got to present things that would depict you favorably, that would make it clear that Wesley's not telling the truth, things that would contradict Wesley's claims, and so far we're not seeing that. He goes on to write, In addition, Poker News took Tony's statement, Tony being Mars, and copied it onto their site, but what's very upsetting is they removed the allegations of cheating against Wesley supported by evidence provided by Mr. Mars. If they're objective reporters, why would they not put in the entire response in the site as opposed to removing anything about the accuser? Now, John Sofin actually responded to this, actually responded to this as part of one of my tweets, strangely enough. And John Sofin basically said that he was telling Mars that he'll investigate the thing about Wesley, but he doesn't want to complicate the whole thing by putting a bunch of allegations against Wesley there, that he basically just wanted to cover the allegations against Mars and what Mars had to say back and not start a whole separate topic in the same article about Wesley. So, okay, reasonable. But, okay, you know, it's out now. You know, you guys posted it to 2 plus 2, so we see it. 
Arnaud goes on to write, Can you imagine the accuser admitted to being a cheater where he gave back money so it would not go public, now makes the allegation against me when I wasn't even in the country? To say this is upsetting is an understatement. Why would Poker News not be fair and balanced and put Mr. Mars' entire statement so everyone can make up their own minds when they find out who this guy really is? Now, I will say that Poker News should have just published the statement in its entirety. It was weird to me that Poker News just like took a snippet of it and posted it. When I read that, I'm like, well, where's the rest of the statement? So he does have a point there, that if they're going to post part of a statement from Mars, they might as well just like post a link to the whole statement. And if it has shit talk about Wesley, so be it. From reviewing what Mr. Mars wrote on 2 Plus 2 Forum and then on Poker News, it is clear that Poker News took out the first paragraph and last paragraph about Wesley's Instagram account, but removed everything else. The evidence Mr. Mars posted shows Wesley cheated against one of his friends in the Orba Linda to the tune of 200k, intends to cheat other people online at GG Poker Heads Up, and is trying to pass himself as a millionaire on Instagram with assets that aren't his, so I highly doubt the credibility and integrity of such a person. He recently lost a few million dollars, owes money to Mars, as was said in the Spaces podcast, and so this isn't the kind of person who accuses me of embezzlement at a poker game when I wasn't even there. It's obvious to me that he's trying to create an excuse not to pay his debts, he's creating false accusations, and he's ruining my reputation in the process. I'm very upset about this, and I'm taking legal action against him. Now that I know a little more about Wesley Fay's character and his past, I'm less surprised about his dishonest actions against me and his false allegations. Here are a few facts worth mentioning. On October 14, 2023, the day a deck of marked cards was apparently discovered in Yorba Linda, I was in Toulouse, in France, and had participated in a free flight experience. I have full proof of my presence on French territory. I have plane tickets to Toulouse and passport stamps attesting of me being on French soil. I was in Yorba Linda from May 12, 2023 to October 1st, 2023, but I was sometimes in the U.S. and sometimes in Europe, generally for periods of two to three weeks in Yorba and then five to six weeks outside the U.S. The game took place about two to four times a week. When I was in Yorba Linda, I didn't deal every day. I only dealt when the chip runner M. June called me to deal the game. Sometimes he had other dealers and didn't call me, and sometimes there were no games at all. I believe there is between 5 to 10 dealers who worked the game over that period of time. So if you count the times I wasn't invited, the times the game didn't run, or the times I was physically out of the States, I must have dealt about 15 to 20% of the games at Yorba Linda during that period, which must represent about 20 to 25 of the games out of the 80 or 100 games they played by estimation. Okay, so this is a weird defense. So he's saying on October 14th, when they found this cheating deck, he wasn't there. Okay. And then he he goes overboard. Oh, I was doing a free flight experience, and I can prove I was in France that day, blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. You were in France on that particular day. And if that was the only day that cheating was alleged to have occurred in that game, then you'd be in the clear. But what has been said here, what's been accused, what has been alleged, is that cheating has been taking place in that game the entire time. And it was on that day they caught the cheating. So it doesn't matter if you weren't there on the day they caught the cheating. It matters if you were there when the cheating was going on. So you admitting that you were dealing there 15 to 20% of the time, and more than that with the games that uh, these people played, he's saying 20 to 25 games out of 80 to 100 games. So probably somewhere between a quarter and like, a third of the games that were going with his group, that makes you someone who was there a lot. So who cares if you were there on October 14th? That's not the only day that cheating supposedly took place. 
And they were not alleging that if you weren't there, cheating couldn't happen. So it's very possible that Arnaud was part of the cheating ring, but he just didn't have to be there for it. And sometimes he wasn't there for it. But that doesn't mean when he was there that he wasn't part of it. So that's not a good defense. Now, if he were to say, I never dealt in that game, I was never at that game, and anytime you said cheating was happening, I wasn't there, or anytime Wesley was there, I wasn't, well, that would be a stronger defense. But he's not saying that. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I was only there for about a third of the time when you guys were all there, so that makes me innocent. I wasn't there when you caught it, so that makes me innocent. It doesn't make any sense. He goes on to write, some people have asked me why I sometimes deal, deal at games instead of playing them. The reason is quite simple. First of all, soft games where the players are weak are much harder to find than they were 20 years ago. But the main reason is this. Most people would be shocked to see how much these super VIPs can tip over the course of an evening if they like you. You can easily earn between five and six big blinds an hour dealing these games, and you're guaranteed not to lose. Six big blinds per hour is a very decent win rate, especially if you can't lose. Now, some people might say it's not sexy to be a dealer and not a player, and not me, I'm referring to, he's not saying that. And if you have a sensitive ego, you might want to use an alias to avoid scornful players making fun of you for demoting from player to dealer. I've been the victim of these bullying attacks, and it's not very flattering. But to be pragmatic, there are times in your life and age where you'd rather deal and win a third of a high-stakes buy-in over 12 or 15 hours than play and risk losing. There's no reason to criticize someone for trying to make a decent living, having lower expectations, and locking in a smaller win instead of risking one's bankroll and playing in a game where you might not be a solid favorite. So... What's funny, he's like, uh, hey, you may wonder why I'm dealing instead of playing, and it's not an ego thing. You know, I, I don't have an ego, but uh, here's the reasons I'm doing it. Like, like, what? Why not just admit the game's too big for you? You can't afford to play these stakes, so you're dealing. He didn't want to say that. That's not a huge deal. I and mean, if he can't afford it, fine, but it's kind of funny how he's dancing around that. But of course, the allegation against him is he was dealing because he's a mechanic, so he's needed to deal. He goes on to write, What's more, these days, most pros don't rely solely on their winnings at the table. Some produce content in the form of streaming or podcasts. Some promote a Twitch or YouTube channel. Others try to increase their number of followers on social networks and increase their influence. Others rely on sponsorships with online poker rooms and sports betting rooms. Others are commentating online or on TV. And others get staked by rich people to be able to play without paying buy-ins or sell shares of themselves with markup. Others sell coaching online or face-to-face. Still others like me sometimes decide to play or deal when their bankrolls a bit lower to a downswing or they don't want to deal with the variance at the moment when super VIPs are at the table giving huge tips. Yes, I admit it's not great for the ego sometimes, but... It's not one thing I necessarily put forward. It's easy to get mocked meanly. So I have to take the ha-ha-ha, he's, he's supposedly an EPT prog winner, but he doesn't have the guts to play 400-800, so he's bumming around dealing to claw back a few thousand a night. Well, I'll take it. But I would never condemn anyone who wants to earn a consistent living, whether it's $50 a day, maybe a few thousand a day if they're lucky enough to deal in games like this, where gamblers only talk in millions and are totally disconnected from reality. I don't need millions to be happy. Okay, let me stop right there. This is overcompensation. If he wants to quickly say, I was dealing because the tips are very big from these whales and the variance is too high in these games and I'd rather just deal and have a guaranteed income than have these giant swings in this very high and crazy variance game, then say that. He goes on and on and on about his ego and what people will think of him and why he's dealing instead of playing and why he doesn't need millions to be happy, blah, blah, blah. This is like too much. He's trying too hard to convince you that he doesn't care about big money. 
Now, the reason he might be doing this is if he really was involved in this ring, and if he really was involved in the cheating, by explaining why he was dealing, and if you believe him, this takes out of your mind that he was dealing as part of the whole cheating scheme. What if his mechanic dealing was necessary for this to work? What if they had to have mechanic dealers as part of this? It looks like he's trying to distract people from the whole why was Arnaud dealing if he's a player thing. It's okay to answer to this because it is a good question. Why would an EPT Prague winner who's still playing tournaments to this day and still running deep in the main event two of the last three years, why is he dealing? But that's answered very quickly. The game is huge, very high variance. The tips are big. I'd rather just take the guaranteed payment. He seems a bit too eager to explain this over and over and over again. Wesley made the ridiculous declaration on Twitter that I was a Baccarat dealer at the win. I've never dealt at the win, as Wesley said. That's a total lie, and you can go check their records. When you find out that he's lying about me dealing at the win, then you'll have one more reason to understand this guy's a cheater and a liar. Ah, see, that is a common tactic of someone who's not telling the truth, where they hone in on a mistake that was put out by their accuser, where they can prove themselves. So, let's say I went out and I killed someone tonight, and then someone saw it and posted about it, and said, I saw Todd kill this guy tonight, and then, afterwards, he walked into 7-Eleven, and he stole a soda, and then when the cashier yelled at him, hey, aren't you going to pay for that, Todd gave him the finger and walked out. And I respond back, hey, I can prove I paid for that soda. I've got a receipt for that soda. So you have this guy saying I killed someone, and he's saying I stole this soda, and I can prove I didn't steal that soda, so that means I didn't murder anybody. Well, it doesn't work. It might raise a small question why that detail was put out there when it wasn't correct. But okay, you know, probably Wesley was told incorrectly that he works at the win when he doesn't work at the win. I think he's probably right. I think he wouldn't put this out here if he really did work at the win, because that would come out pretty quickly. So he's honing in on something here, a very minor detail. Like, who cares if he deals Baccarat at the win? That's that's totally irrelevant here. <laughs> like, who cares? Like, maybe if he's a cheater, the win wouldn't want to hire him. But if he's not dealing at the win, okay. And if he is dealing at the win, that has nothing to do with the rest of this. So, whatever. I, I think that that part was wrong. And he's seizing upon this by jumping on this irrelevant detail and saying, hey, Wesley was wrong about that, so he's wrong about everything. He goes on to write, regarding that video recording, I don't know if it's authentic or not, but I'll tell you one thing. I am a poker player and a poker dealer. I'm not a gangster. I don't threaten people physically. He's referring to that recording I just played you of the Mars and Wesley conversation. It's not who I am, but on another note, I will not let these lies be unanswered. I will file a legal action to clear my name against the liars Wesley Fay and Nick Airball Arcot. Let me stop right here. First of all, he definitely knows Mars and Wesley and knows their voices. So he should be able to tell right away if it's authentic or not. Now, I don't know Mars's voice, so... I guess there's a small chance it could be someone besides Mars who's just pretending to be him on the phone. I don't think that's very likely. But as someone who doesn't know Mars' voice, and since it's on speaker and not all that clear, I I guess that's a a small possibility. But for someone like Arnaud, who knows Mars very well, 
What do you mean he doesn't know if that's authentic or not? He hears the conversation. He knows both voices. So that's BS. He does know it's a real call. And he's basically saying, hey, what, what they're claiming about me, what Mars is saying that I'm really mad and I'm going to hurt Wesley, that's not true. That's not me. I don't do things. I don't commit acts of violence. But I am going to sue Wesley and sue Nick Airball for what they've been saying about me. That's what he's saying here. That regardless of what Mars said, if it was Mars, he's not even admitting it was Mars, but if it was Mars, and regardless of what Mars said, that I'm really mad and I'm going to come after Wesley, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. I'm just putting that out here right now. Now, I will say that it's very possible that this is just all scare tactics, that Mars was playing the good cop and Arnaud was supposed to be the bad cop. So Mars maybe talked to Arnaud and said, hey, let's try to scare Wesley into taking this stuff down. I'll call up and say, you're really, really mad and you're going to do something bad to him, and maybe that'll scare him. When in reality, neither of them had any plans to actually physically harm anybody. So it's very possible that this is just complete scare tactic and that Arnaud was portrayed as this very violent guy when in reality he's not. So it's very possible that Arnaud's telling the truth that he never had any desire to physically hurt anybody and that he never has. Even though Arnaud does not have a good reputation in France, others have accused him of various misdeeds over there, I will say that I haven't read anything about Arnaud being violent. I did read about this Shane guy, a.k.a. Peter. I've heard about him being violent, but I haven't read about Arnaud being violent. So, so maybe that is just something to scare Wesley. He finishes off writing, I have dealt that game between 20 to 25 times out of approximately 80 to 100 games in a period of seven months. Nick and Wesley never complained when I was dealing. No one ever questioned the integrity of the game nor told me anything. But months later, a known cheater by his own admission in his text messages, referring to Wesley, who owes money and doesn't want to pay his debts, is making the accusations when I'm not even in the country without any evidence except the fact that he lost. This is absurd. I will let people be the judge. I will post updates in the future. This isn't convincing, I'm sorry. He admits he was dealing in the game. He goes overboard to explain why he was dealing in the game. Mars admits there was cheating in the game. Arnaud's main defense is, hey, I wasn't there the day the cheating was caught. I'm sorry, I'm not convinced here. Shouldn't he be angry that Mars was saying this stuff to Wesley, that he's this violent guy who's going to kill him? Why is he defending Mars so much? Why isn't he calling Mars and say, hey, why would you claim I do things like this? I'm not a violent guy. Why would you claim I'm going to come after Wesley and kill him? I wouldn't do that. That's not me. Why would you say that, Mars? Especially knowing he might be recording it. Like He's not even expressing any anger at Mars. He's like, you know, whether that call's real or not, I don't really do things like this. So if you believe that whole statement, you're pretty gullible. Also, most of that statement is discrediting Wesley as a cheat and a scumbag. And it's fine to bring up issues with Wesley's credibility. But not enough of this statement addresses the cheating alleged. They spend very little time addressing that cheating. And the obsession over the day he was out of the country, on that one particular day, that, that means nothing. So, on a completely separate note, in a completely separate matter... I agree that Wesley's alleged scheme to build a bot to cheat on GG Poker needs to be investigated. And if you ask me, do I believe that Wesley was trying to build a bot to cheat on GG Poker? I would say yes. 
In fact, I said that on Twitter to Wesley. I asked, hey, it, it looks like this is true. These screenshots look pretty authentic. Were you building a bot to cheat on GG Poker? And he said something to me like, oh, well, I, I've actually been losing a lot of money on GG Poker. <laughs> well, that doesn't answer it. That doesn't deny it. That's just saying he's not winning at the moment. Like, why not just say, no, I never built a bot? Like, he won't answer anyone who's trying to pin him down on whether he was trying to build a bot to cheat on GG Poker. So, to me, it looks like Wesley was trying to build a bot to cheat on GG Poker, and Mars had these discussions with him about it when they were friends, and now is putting it out there to discredit Wesley once Mars was outed as a cheater. So, to me, it kind of looks like a scumbag who was going to use a bot to cheat people heads up on GG Poker and may have run RTA on his own app site to cheat his friends, got cheated himself, and now is crying foul about it. So do I believe Mars cheated in that game? Yes. I mean, I don't have the smoking gun proof, but it looks pretty bad for him in all the ways I described. Do I think that Arnaud was involved? Yes. Again, I don't have any kind of concrete proof, but my opinion is yes. This Shane Hannon guy, a lot of bad things being said about him. Berkey went back and forth with him because Berkey used to be from Pittsburgh. So Berkey used to play in the underground Pittsburgh scene and claim that Shane Hannon cheated him directly. They went back and forth. Hannon denied it. Hannon like, revived a Twitter account that he doesn't use and went on it to deny a lot of these things. But not very convincingly. So do I believe that Shane Hennon was involved here? Yes. By the way, if you want to look at Shane Hennon, you can find him as a Big Bank Hank 6885. Doesn't have many followers, but he's kind of taunting Berkey about this whole thing. When Berkey did a show about this, Hennon responded back, definitely salty for sure, referring to Berkey. To somebody else, he wrote, you sound like everyone just flapping your lips just to say shit, LOL. Someone asked Hennon, you're a killer and a drug dealer then? A bit of honesty can go a long way here. Hennon says, used to be, sir. <laughs> Hennon also said regarding Berkey, now he goes on a video saying I for sure, for sure cheated at Chad's, referring to Chad Powers' game. So which one is it? Did he feel like he was cheated or did I cheat? Pretty sure... Viffer, you posted that they took all the card chips and tore tables up, examined shufflers, and the guy Bill Perkins came back and said the game was clean. So was the game clean or cheated? Because back then they came back with the game is clean. Now, four years later, they say they cheated. So they're talking about some other game that Shane was involved in. Shane also said to Berkey, please explain how I'm a long, outstanding cheat. A pair of lips can say anything. Has anyone brought you any physical evidence of me cheating at cards in Pittsburgh 15 years ago? Just curious. I'll answer you. It's no. That's why you deflect from the question. Shane says, he said he played with me one time. I hit set over set on him, then a gut shot. He said he felt like he was cheated, referring to Berkey. Then today he said I up and quit after I won the hand, but he's asking everyone if I'm coming back. If you felt like you were cheated, why would you want me to come back? I'm not convinced by any of this. You know, like, I don't know about this Pittsburgh stuff. I, I don't really care about the Pittsburgh stuff. Notice again, Shane is not addressing the recent allegations. He's not addressing what he was doing in these games, whether he's friends with Mars, how he got in these games, 
what he was doing there, whether he won or lost. We're not getting any of this. We're just getting him arguing with, with Verky about what happened 15 years ago in a Pittsburgh game. I don't think anyone's coming for Wesley. I don't think Wesley's going to be found dead somewhere. But here's the bottom line with these private games. These private games, the very big ones I'm talking about, they're of course not regulated. There's a lot of money at stake. And it is worth cheating it if you are a criminal who is willing to do such things. I would not cheat one of these games, even if I could, even if I could make a lot of money doing it. But there's a lot of people in poker who would. There's a lot of scumbags in poker who will cheat. There are some good people in poker who won't cheat, but there are some scumbags who will cheat. And the bigger the money that there is to be made, the more willing they are to risk getting caught, and the more tempting it is to cheat the game. So if it's a low or middle stakes game, they may skip the opportunity to cheat because the downside is too high. But when there's a lot of money to be made, when there's seven figures to be made, a lot of people can go over to the dark side and join in one of these cheating rings. It's even easier for them to do it if they can rationalize that the people they're cheating are scumbags themselves. So if they think that Wesley's a crypto scammer and he's someone who cheats his friends and he's a piece of shit, well, then they feel especially justified to cheat him. And maybe same thing with Airball. They think he's a scumbag and might as well cheat him. Maybe they feel that most of the people in these games are pieces of shit, so screw them. Let's cheat them anyway. That might be the attitude. Or they may not care. They may be happy to cheat anybody because some criminals are just very happy to steal from anybody. The bottom line is, there's a reason why these private games, which were very big all the way through the 1990s, died out in the 2000s. And the 2000s, all of this moved to the casinos. I'm not saying there were no private games, but the private games declined tremendously and the vast majority of high-stakes action was in the casino, was in the licensed card rooms. And that's the way it was throughout the 2000s, throughout some of the 2010s. And then we started to hear about these private games starting up within card rooms, like in the Aria, where even though it's not supposed to be happening the card rooms would find loopholes to allow it to happen to pacify certain players there that had influence. And they would basically hold private games in the casino. But that wasn't enough. Then, in order to poach the fish even more, they would start moving these games to home game settings and just take the whole thing out of the casino. And then that really accelerated during covid Because during COVID, you couldn't play in the casino. So those home games really ramped up at that point. The online clubs ramped up, as did the actual home games. And especially once all these lockdown restrictions were lifted, and people could freely move about again, these home games were a, a very strong thing. What was already moving that direction in the late 2010s became even bigger in the 2020s. So the 2020s has really been the decade of home games so far. How many times have you heard people say that the good action is not at the casino anymore in poker? That you're not going to find the good games in middle stakes and up at the casino anymore? 
that if you want to make good money playing poker, you have to find your way into these home games. You've probably heard this said if you've been following poker Twitter at all in the last few years. That the big money is in the home games, that that's where the fish have been moved to, that the fish have been convinced to go to the home games instead of the casino, and they find ways in these home games to keep the fish happy, and they keep the alcohol flowing, they have food that you can grab anytime, they have pretty girls with their tits out dealing you. So it's a much nicer environment, the fish like it much better, everything's a lot more friendly. Everything's a lot more informal. They don't allow people there that the fish don't like. So the fish are happy. So what they end up doing is they poach the fish from these casinos by kissing up to them and convincing them that the casino is a shitty place to play and they should go to this home game. When I say this, I mean any of these home games. So that's where the high stakes action is these days, is at these home games. But why did the home games die in the first place? That's where the high stakes action was in the 90s as well. So what happened? Why did it change? It changed because of this type of shit. And there was no social media in the 90s. But people realized in the 2000s that it was much safer to play in a casino environment. There's much less of a chance you're being cheated in a casino environment. Oh, it still happens, but it's much harder to do. And it happened much less often. So as the poker boom unfolded, it was finally understood that the proper place, the proper venue for these high-stakes games was in a regulated casino environment. And that it's silly to have that kind of money wagered back and forth in a home game with no security run by people who might be shady with often nothing to lose. But somehow this became a good idea. And a lot of these people weren't around back in the 90s. A lot of them weren't old enough to play in the 90s. So they don't remember all the cheating that was going on back in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and the 60s. But it did. It's been happening forever. And that's why it moved away. That's why it moved to the casino. Especially in venues that had a casino. Yeah, there were home games in places that didn't have any else to play, anywhere else to play poker. And there were some home games here and there in the 2000s and the early 2010s. But they weren't that dominant. There were nosebleed games all over in the casino. Because they hadn't been moved yet. But now they've been moved. And this is the problem. This, this is the issue. This is why you don't want them moving. Aside from the whole thing where a few assholes control... Who gets to play with the fish and who does not? That's not good either. But even if you put that aside, it's obvious that these type of games are going to tempt the people running it to cheat. It's obvious. There's too much money involved. A lot of times people forget the lessons that have been learned over time and are convinced that today is different. Today, whatever lessons were learned decades ago, don't apply anymore. I see this with things like Airbnb. I'm not saying that all Airbnb places are bad, but there's a lot of scams on Airbnb. And you know what? A very long time ago, it pretty much was like Airbnb, where there were not any kind of regulations 
regarding hotels. Whereas pretty much just whoever owns the place can rent out a room to somebody. And then it was found that there were a lot of problems with this. And there did have to be regulations regarding the way hotels operate. So then those were developed. And then a long time later, a very long time later, people thought, hey, why can't we just run our own little hotel? Why can't people just rent out their place and have a middleman site collect the money? And then we find out why, because there's tons of scams. Because there's a reason it's a lot safer, as far as not being scammed, to get a room through a hotel than just some asshole who posts on Airbnb and claims that his place is great. But people just assume, okay, well, you know, back many years ago, when they established these rules about hotels and uh, established laws surrounding how they can operate, this, this is just antiquated stuff we don't need anymore. That's just stupid stuff our grandparents did, or that was something we needed at the time, but not anymore. No, it's not true. It's the same with these poker games. These poker games had cheating back then, and they have cheating now. And you know what? The money's much bigger now, even inflation adjusted. There's a lot of money going to these games now. Way more than back in the day. Because poker is much more visible now. And people who have a lot of money are more likely to want to play. And there's so much money to be made by cheating these games. People will do it. Especially people already with a criminal background. People who already committed crimes for much, much less money. Of course they'll cheat here. So that's why this is not a good idea. But all these greedy pros, all they can see is what's right in front of their face. So they see that if they can get the fish out of the casino environment and away from other good players, and if they can choose the lineup, and if it can just be them and their friends and the fish, that it's a much better situation than them and the fish and seven other pros trying to also beat the fish. So they say, hey, if we can convince this fish to leave and play in our game... Well, that's much better. And I guess if you're running the home game and doing it honestly, I guess it is better. But what if you're one of the people invited to one of these games? And you think, oh, great, I'm one of the chosen ones. I get to come and play in these great soft games. But in reality, you're just being set up. You're the mark, and you don't even know it. You're not a mark because you're a bad player. You're a mark because you want to come in to these restricted games, play against a soft lineup for high stakes, and you just can't figure out why your luck is so damn bad. I'm not saying I don't feel sorry for these people, because no one should get cheated. But it's stupid this is happening in the first place. It's stupid that these very high stakes games are going on in a private setting in places like L.A., where there's tons of card rooms, where they can spread the exact same game. There's no reason for this. So this should be a lesson. People should realize that the poker games moved from the home game to the casino 20 years ago for a reason. And that was because that was the better place to play. That was the safer place to play. So it needs to move back. So if anything comes of this whole mess, hopefully it will be that people stop trusting these home games. And start playing more in the casino. It's funny seeing the revelations on Twitter like, wow, these home games aren't very safe, are they? 
Wow, so much money being stolen from these home games. Yes! That's why you don't play in them. That's why you stop encouraging this shit from happening. That's why you start giving a hard time to people who are trying to poach the fish out of these high-stakes games in the casino instead of kissing those people's asses to get into their home game. Because there was a time that was frowned upon. Now it's like, okay, cool. As long as I can get myself in that home game, that's a great thing. Really crappy. By the way, uh, congratulations to Longhair5150. He says he won the free roll. So probably wasn't a huge field, but congratulations to you either way. Before I stop this topic completely, I do want to say one more thing. This story is not as big as it could be. Because if you think about it, that's a pretty big scandal with millions of dollars being stolen out of a home game and the victims are two well-known people from Hustler Casino Live and maybe even some others like Blank Check Ben and Brown Bala. But how come this is not a gigantic story where everybody's talking about it? Yeah, people took notice of it, but aside from Wesley still hammering this and aside from some of the fighting this spawned from this, it's not a gigantic topic. It's not like the Robbie J. Lou hand. It's not like the Apostle story. It's kind of like a medium to big topic, but not a gigantic topic. And it's already starting to die down. The reason this isn't a bigger topic, the reason there's still a lot of people in poker who haven't heard of this topic, I've actually spoken to some people who usually keep up on poker news pretty well who don't even know this is happening. There'll be some of you that are hearing about this for the first time, Whereas other stories I've talked about on the show that are very big, you, you heard a lot about it before I did my broadcast. This is something you may have learned about for the first time on this show. So the reason it's not a bigger story, despite the money involved, is because people have Hustler Casino Live fatigue regarding scandals that sprung from that show. Even though this didn't happen on Hustler Casino Live, people are getting sick of all the different characters on there being shady and cheating each other. It's just kind of getting on everyone's nerves. And people also see through these victim sob stories and they don't really trust anybody involved here. To a lot of people, there are no good guys here. They don't think Nick Airball's a good guy. They don't think the Wesley's a good guy. They don't think any of the accused are good guys. So I think the general public just thinks everyone here is a piece of shit. Also, the general public doesn't have a lot of sympathy for these home games. Some of them feel that you're just gullible to go to one and wager a lot of money at one. And others feel like it should be obvious it's so shady. And if you're dumb enough to get ripped off in one of these games, then tough luck. That's not my attitude. I do think these games should stop, but... I don't think you deserve to get cheated if you go to one. But I understand how the public has limited sympathy for these people, especially because a lot of them are seen as greedy, that they're going to them to try to play in an environment where the rest of the pros are shut out. So in general, there's just not much sympathy here. The victims are not seen as clean people. It occurred in a private game setting. And then there were these dumb details like the deck that was brought in. Like, how can anyone be allowed to bring in their own deck? There's just dumb stuff like this. And people are like shrugging their shoulders going, you know what? This is just all so stupid. This is just unbelievable that this can even happen in the first place. That people would play for this type of money and then let some guy bring his own deck into the game. I mean, you know, whatever. 
we're not going to shed a lot of tears over this one. And I can understand that sentiment. And if you want to know my opinion, I think the guys who were accused are probably guilty. I think Sia, the ex-girlfriend of Mars, probably had something to do with this. I think that some of these other people I don't really know, but are accused here, probably did have some part in this. I think Wesley is kind of a shady character. I think he probably was building a bot to cheat online. I wouldn't be surprised if he was already running some kind of bot on his own club like they were accusing, like the text messages seem to show. He doesn't seem to want to answer these questions directly. So how sorry can I feel for him, you know? Now, Airball, he's not accused of all those things, but, you know, where'd the guy's money come from? Like, what's his deal? And then there's allegations that these guys were poaching from Hustler Casino Live in the first place. So really, nobody here is a very sympathetic character, and I just can't feel very outraged. I'm not saying anybody deserves it, but it's hard to feel too outraged. This is kind of like, okay, criminals are going to criminal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what do you expect? Do you go play a home game run by shady people, run by a guy who's a snowboard instructor that just seems to have unlimited money? Like, yeah, what do you expect is going to happen? Come on. I do play in home games occasionally, but it's just for like low stakes where no one's going to cheat. That's the only home games I'll play in. Unbelievable. By the way, I was invited to a lot of these app games back in 2020. It was tempting. I had people telling me the action is sick. These are great games. They're cashing people out reliably. How could there be cheating because people are winning so much? I was given the sales pitch from a lot of people who probably were going to get a percentage of the rake I was going to pay, but... It was tempting, but I said, nope, I'll have to pass on this one because I couldn't trust any of them. And these were the online clubs. These weren't actual home games. But yeah, I can't trust any of this stuff. Just the money's too big. And I wasn't going to play at the stakes anywhere near what they were playing here. But the stakes I was going to play were big enough to where cheating would still be worth it. Only home games I'm going to play are low stakes ones where nobody's going to cheat. All right, so I'm going to take a break here. This is a very long topic. This was a about a three-hour topic. A little bit less, but close to it. Okay, so let's talk about the MGM Grand guarantee situation. And I'm glad that this one became as big of a story as it did, because this has been a big pet peeve of mine for a while, as a lot of you know, this has just really gotten on my nerves. And it's not just MGM Grand who does it, though they've done it before. But a lot of card rooms do this, both in Nevada and California and elsewhere. But I see it the most in Nevada and California. And this is just outright dishonest. This is something that really is a case of card rooms cheating players. And it might be funny to hear me say this on the heels of my criticism of private games saying that you're better off playing in the casino. Now, you are, but card rooms also will do unethical things. And <clears throat> and the changing of guarantees or the canceling of guarantees is one of them. Now, for those of you that don't know, a guarantee tournament is where 
a minimum prize pool is established as soon as the tournament is announced. And it doesn't matter what kind of participation the tournament gets, it is guaranteed to have that minimum prize pool. Now, if they get enough entrance to where the prize pool is that amount anyway, or larger, well, then the guarantee doesn't matter because it reached that amount anyway. But if it doesn't reach there, then the casino makes up the difference. So I'll give you a very simple example. Let's take a $100 tournament. And let's just ignore the rake for the purposes of this. Let's say a $100 buy-in tournament, and there's a $10,000 guarantee. Well, that would mean to reach a $10,000 prize pool, they would need 100 entrants, because $100 times 100 entrants is 10000 So if it's a 10000 guarantee tournament for a $100 buy-in, if they get 100 or more entrants, then the guarantee doesn't really matter. But if they get fewer than 100 entrants, then it does matter because the prize pool is still 10000 So let's say in this example they get 60 entrants, meaning they collect $6,000. Well, the casino will chip in the other 4000 Of course, this means the casino loses money on the tournament. Not only do they have to chip in 4000 to the prize pool, but they also don't make any money from running the tournament. They actually lose money. So all their operating costs running the tournament, such as keeping the lights on, such as paying employees, etc., etc., that figures into it too. So obviously that's not a good thing for the casino when this happens. So casinos do want to avoid this situation, which is called an overlay, to where they set guarantees realistically to where overlays aren't that common. See, setting a guarantee, the upside for the casino is that it brings people in. So there will be some people who will show up to play either thinking there might be an overlay or just because they're happy that they know that no matter what, the prize pool will be a certain amount. So they don't have the disappointment of showing up and the tournament gets very little response and then the prize pool is very small and they're like, why am I even here? What's the point? This way, you know, at minimum, the prize pool is going to be whatever the guarantee is. So that's where the casino gains is that people show up who otherwise might not because it's a guarantee tournament. But it is a risk. Holding a guarantee tournament is gambling for the casino. But you know what? If the casino doesn't want to gamble, if the casino does not want to risk an overlay situation, then it's very simple. Then just don't hold guarantee tournaments. But a lot of the casinos these days want to have their cake and eat it too. They want all the benefits of running a guarantee tournament, but then they don't want to pay the guarantee if it looks like they're going to fall short. So there's various ways that casinos get around having to honor these guarantees. One of the ways they do it is by adding extra starting flights. Now, this only works if there are multiple starting flights. So let's say there's three multiple starting flights, then they'll add a fourth flight or a fifth flight or a sixth flight until they get enough people to where the guarantee is reached. That is very dishonest. That is not only showing disrespect to the time of the people playing who expect them to adhere to a certain schedule and then day two gets delayed because they keep adding these flights, but it's also running it dishonestly regarding the guarantee. Because again, a lot of players will play a guarantee tournament in the hopes that they'll get an overlay. And if the casino artificially manipulates things to where they don't have an overlay when one's about to happen, then the guarantee really means nothing. So that is unethical, but it gets even worse. Sometimes casinos simply just won't pay the guarantee. They'll cancel the guarantee. 
They'll cancel the tournament. They'll lower the guarantee. Whatever it might be. They'll do anything they have to do to not have to pay the guarantee if it does not naturally reach there from the number of entries they get. And I have no sympathy for card rooms that do this, who then plead poverty and say, well, look, we're a small card room, so we can't take a hit like this. We didn't expect the turnout's going to be this way. Or sometimes they'll blame the weather. Oh, the weather was really bad. People didn't want to go out in the rain or the wind or the cold. We didn't expect the weather like this, and this is going to ruin us. We're not a big room that can absorb this type of loss. Well, my answer's tough luck. It's the same answer I give to gamblers who go out and lose. I'll say, well, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have gone to the casino and risked money that you cannot afford to lose. So next time, don't do it. So that's what I say to the casino. If you run a guaranteed tournament and you get burned by it because something unexpected happened and you didn't end up getting anywhere near the entries you thought you would and you lost a lot of money, okay, lesson learned, don't run these again. (laughs) That's the answer. Nobody has to run a guaranteed tournament. So if you cannot afford the risk then don't run it. It's perfectly acceptable to never run a guarantee tournament in your card room. No one's ever going to say, I won't play in this card room because they won't run guarantee tournaments. This is something that is strictly up to the tournament director, whether they want to run a guarantee tournament or not. And if they simply don't want to take the risk because there's a small room, they can't absorb an overlay, that's fine. Then don't run them. But whatever you do, you have to run honestly. You have to Be clear and transparent with your players at all times. And this is my position with everything involving poker tournaments. The player has to always fully know and understand what they're getting into when they register. You can't bury things in the fine print. You can't do things to worm out of guarantees just because it's technically legal. You don't do things like that if you're an ethical room. If you're an ethical room, then... Whatever the typical player is believing or expecting when they register, you need to stick to. That includes guarantees. That includes other things. Like, I'll see things like there's hidden fees or hidden things that come out of the prize pool that they bury in the fine print. Don't do that. Make it very obvious. Make it very clear. If there's something non-standard, make it very clear. And if you're going to run a guaranteed tournament, always honor it. Always pay it. Do not ever lower it. Do not ever cancel the tournament. So this has been happening for a long time. It's been happening in Nevada. It's been happening in California. Commerce Casino just recently added a flight to one of their tournaments to avoid paying a guarantee. Someone complained about that on Poker Fraud Alert, and rightfully so. And they said, hey, Truff, why aren't you making a big deal out of this? Why aren't you calling out Commerce about this? And you know what the answer is? I've just had guarantee fatigue. I've called this out so many times. Nothing happens. No one does anything. A limited number of people get outraged about it, but not enough to really make a difference. You know, you have Alan Kessler complaining, but not many other people. And by the way, you know, Kessler's totally right about this. I'm not making fun of him here. I'm agreeing with him. I wish there were more people like Kessler that would complain. I complained about it loudly when it happens, even when I don't play. But there's not enough people who cared, and there were too many people who were accepting the excuses. So... I just kind of gave up. The gaming commissions don't care. Nevada gaming doesn't care. California gaming especially doesn't care. They're especially weak and apathetic. So, you know, what can I do? If the poker community doesn't care and the gaming commissions don't care, then what the hell can I do? So that's that's why I didn't really say anything about the commerce thing when it happened. It just is something I'm getting sick of talking about and not enough people care. 
And that's why I was pleasantly surprised at what happened involving this MGM shenanigan where people did care. And for that reason, I did get involved. So it started when an employee at MGM Grand Poker named Tony Burns posted this on his Facebook. And this was on December 10th he posted it. And December 9th is when this occurred. He said, as of last night, I'm no longer working at MGM Grand for the Winter Poker Challenge. My resignation was based on their decision to reduce guarantees on their 11 a.m. events after the main event. Changing guarantees after starting a series is a practice that I or the Moneymaker Tour do not embrace. Now, let me stop here. The Moneymaker Tour is exactly what it sounds like. Chris Moneymaker has a poker tour now. Chris Moneymaker, who, you know, he's looking for any marketing opportunities he can find because, you know, he won the event 20 years ago, the main event, and uh, big name in poker for that reason. He was one of the reasons the poker boom of the 2000s happened. But, you know, he's looking for anything to continue using his name to bring in an income, and that's fine. But he decided that he's going to start, I think, along with some other people who are helping organize it, he's going to start one of these poker tours called the Moneymaker Tour. And MGM Grand was one of the venues where it was taking place. So Tony Burns was saying that changing the guarantees, which they did for the 11 a.m. events, the ones that began after the main event, which weren't getting a very good response, that Tony Burns did not agree with this. And he said that the Moneymaker Tour, I'm not sure if Tony Burns is associated with them, but he's saying he does not like it, nor does the Moneymaker Tour like it. So he said, I wish everyone at MGM Grand all the best and appreciated the opportunity to work there both this December and the past summer. Looks like I'll be headed back home to Florida in the next day or two. Yes, this is the fraud show before you ask. Now listen, I can't I can't really be up late. You know, as you get older, you just have to kind of keep a certain kind of schedule. But what I do want to say, it's more of a public service thing than anything else. When people see you in person, what are you, 6263, I don't think they really realize how just how fast you were when you were younger. You know what I mean? They don't. I mean, I just, I can't emphasize that enough, and that's really all I have to say. Okay. Have a good night. Have a good show. Th- thank you, Brandon. Brandon's referring to the fact that not only was I a runner when I was younger, a decent one, not great, but decent, and I ran track and cross country in high school, but I can also still run fast now. Not like I could back then, but like a lot faster than you would expect that I could at this age and weight. And I've talked about that on the forum, and people kind of laugh at that, but it's true. Oh, here, here comes Brandon back on Skype this time. Yeah, in all seriousness, I I, it, I call on the phone, obviously, and A, I remember you didn't want me to do that, and B, it sounded awful. It was an echo, so I just figured I'd hang up, and then, it, to be honest, it was it was really only 50-50 whether I was even going to call back. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, it but in all seriousness, it is a little late, but I would like to, you know, be afforded the opportunity to maybe, you know, do a segment or so, if there's anything good left on the on the docket. How are you looking? Yeah, that's fine. We're, we're just at the beginning of the topic speeds, that very long one about the Hustler Casino 
uh, private games cheating that guy took forever going through that. We're done with that, but I'm on to other things now. So I'm talking about the MGM right now. Um, Brandon, did you see the Seinfeld thing that I made? Well, to be honest, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this Mickey Mars character. Oh, so you know this Mars person? No, I don't know him at all. Okay. I mean, I know what you know. I've read. Or okay. You know more than me, but no, I'm just I'm kidding. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm done with the time. I'm burnt out on the topic. Enough, yeah. I want to talk about it some more now. Um, I, you sent me. I don't know if this is supposed to be a bit or I'm supposed to not tell the truth, but you did send me the Seinfeld thing, and I listened to it. I actually played it for two other people, and we all laughed. It was quite hysterical. And uh, the laugh track is what makes it. That's what. Did you play it on the air yet? I played it as the opening. I'm going to play it again, but I, I played it as the opening to the show, yeah, so people hilarious. have heard it already. It's absolutely hilarious. It's very, very funny. Now, what is funny to me is I didn't know. And in fact, another person that knows you, I won't say who it is, but I mean, I'll tell you off the air, but another person that knows you, that, you know, I had no idea this was going on, heard it, and said the same thing I said with independently of me, which was, I had no idea Todd was a Seinfeld fan. Or maybe you're not even a fan, but that you'd even know, you know, that that because that's one of the more famous bits uh, on the show, in the history of the show. I've seen every episode. I've seen every episode countless times. I mean, I can sit here and take on the best in Seinfeld trivia and, and you know. Anyhow, before you even get to all that, tell me, you know, I've known you a long time. You, we've never discussed it. You've never brought it up. Are you a Seinfeld fan? Not that much. Uh, I just am aware enough of it. Yeah, I'm aware enough of it, and I was aware enough of that bit beforehand. But have you seen episodes, or did you just yeah. kind of catch that? Oh, yeah, no, I, I've seen I, I've seen episodes, yeah, start to finish. I have seen some episodes. Uh, I didn't see the full episode with the bit that I parodied, and I had been brought to it by somebody else when I was discussing about the whole rental car situation and how they never have the cars you reserve and then someone pointed to me and I thought that bit was funny. I never saw the full episode that contained that, but that's what I immediately thought of. Uh, I mean, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves here, but but to answer your question, I, I, I had a feeling you would be uh, having this question because I know you were a big Seinfeld fan and I had never said... Well, you know what, it doesn't even matter, so I'll just tell you, it was actually uh, my little buddy, it was Alec, it was PLOL. That's what most people on the site, well, that, I guess, doesn't matter. People that listen here don't even follow the site. But it was a user named PLOL who said to me, which I said out loud to myself prior, I didn't even think Todd liked Seinfeld. And I said, no, I, I said the same thing. So anyhow, yeah, it was him. And I thought the same thing, and I still meant to ask you that. Um, I don't even know, like maybe 100, I think there's like 170, 180 episodes. It was like nine seasons. If you had to guess. How many say this is say this 180 it's somewhere in that ballpark out of 180. How many episodes start to finish? Do you think you've seen lifetime? I've probably seen fewer than 10. So I really haven't seen okay, that. That's many. what I think. Yeah, I would have put you on that. OK. All right. But, but the thing is, it, I, wasn't, I, it wasn't your cup of tea. I mean, the show just wasn't like, you know, you know, it was one of these things like when I'd watch it, I would enjoy it. But then I just didn't have this much motivation to watch it, like to seek it out. So when it happened to be on. I would watch it. So that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, well, hold on. Was this when it was in syndication, or is this when it was being first? Well, run? you know, both, because, you know, I'm an older guy here, so I was around the entire time, you know, as an adult the entire time it was running. So, right. uh, so I would catch it both when it was first run and also sometimes in reruns when I just have the TV on. So <laughs> that's, that's how I saw some full episodes. I even saw some partial episodes that way. And then I've seen clips on YouTube. So I'm aware enough of the show and all its characters and the idiosyncrasies of the characters to where 
I'm not going to win any Seinfeld trivia contest for sure, but right. that that having seen that scene and knowing the character, like I was able to construct this thing to where it it sounded pretty authentic for like what what a fan well, would have made. Every real true Seinfeld, I guess, trivia aficionado knows this, but you may still know it anyhow. Uh, Seinfeld famously, when it was on, when it first came on the air. Uh, for a number of reasons, it struggled the first year. And in fact, there was actually the first year and a half, season and a half. In fact, there was talk later, like who knows how accurate it was. But, you know, when people do like, you know, like on the DVDs and Blu-rays where they interview, you know, stories and so on. They had claimed that, you know, network executives had claimed that the show was very, very close a couple times to being canceled. Okay. Again, this is a long, long time ago. So anyhow, it struggled. So one of the things, besides, in my opinion, it just getting more, you know, more funny. If you watch like the first season, I didn't think even now, like you can always just tell. Like the first season's funny because you know the show and you know the characters, but it's not as funny. It really hits, you know, some momentum towards the end of season two. But anyhow, one thing changed that really brought a whole new audience to start watching Seinfeld, and it was a lead-in that you know that that brought it meaning the show before it and people just kind of you know not change the channel so on and so forth do you know what the lead-in famously was that changed the fortunes of seinfeld no i don't well you i mean i know you know the show i'm sure i would know the show when you tell me either huh yeah i'm sure when you tell me i'll know the show okay well what was the big thursday night show on nbc in the early mid to late 80s well the cosby show was huge wasn't the cosby show and that wasn't on nbc yeah, it was. Yes. No, 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 no. no. Cosby Show 100% was NBC. Oh, no, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm thinking of the, the later Cosby Show, the one with, okay. But either way, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the Cosby Show 100%. I think what else? This on? is what started, this is what started with NBC build for like, Jesus, feels like forever, but I think it was a good 15-year run as must-see TV. Their Thursday night must-see TV. Because I remember the Cosby Show on, and a different world that spun from it, and then... At nine o'clock, what was there? I'm trying to remember and then, now. And then afterwards, Seinfeld came on, starting like in season two. Um, what was it? Cheers on at nine? It it was Cheers. Yeah, there you go. Okay. You know, it's funny. I don't think you've ever mentioned it, so I don't even know. I've known you almost twenty twenty years now, eighteen years. Were you a fan of Cheers? Don't I, actually don't answer. Don't answer. I'm gonna guess, and I really don't know this because you've never mentioned it. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna kind of guess it's along the lines of Seinfeld that you've seen it. Same thing, you know, maybe 10 episodes, you know, like the main characters, you know, the, the stories, but you're, you weren't like a big fan. You never saw it out. You never would sit at home and watch it back in the day. Is that you're right? mostly correct? I, I saw more of that than I did Seinfeld, but not a whole lot more. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if you had to watch a marathon, like one of those Memorial Day or whatever, and sit through it for like a day and a half, you, know, you get to eat take a nap whatever seinfeld or, or cheers which one do you watch i probably pick seinfeld at this point yeah hmm. interesting well anyhow so that's you know one of the things that they claim changed its fortunes you know how to i mean which that's really helped a lot of shows you know just having that lead in oh yeah that was huge yeah 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 so anyhow all right uh i don't even remember what was he what was what led to all this so what led to all this well we, i was just beginning the topic as you called in was about the MGM Grand and the controversy about the reduced guarantees of the 11 a.m. events that began after the main in their Winter Poker Challenge that was part of the Money Moker, Money Maker Poker Tour. 
and that this employee Tony Burns. Are, are you familiar with him, Tony Burns? Um, I'll be honest. I mean, I know the name. I've heard the name for a while. I knew I knew him from the Moneymaker tour, uh, but I couldn't pick him out of a police lineup, a photo lineup. I don't think I've ever spoke with him, um, but I do know the name. Yeah, I I really didn't uh, know him either, but uh, he got kind of pushed into the limelight in the past week because of this post he made where he was quitting working at the MGM Grand, and he actually said he's going to be going back to Florida because he's quitting working there. I don't know if he's a permanent employee or if he was just there because of the Moneymaker Tour, but whatever it is, he, he resigned from the MGM Grand because of their reduction of the guarantees. So Kessler then was screenshotting this Facebook post he made and showing that Tony Burns quit over the reduction of the guarantees. And this actually helped the story catch on because there's been so many of these stories about reduced guarantees and most people, they kind of shrug their shoulders. They go, well, it's kind of shitty, but we don't care. This one made an impact because you had an employee or at least a contract employee. I don't know what type of employee he was, but someone who was working there who actually quit over this and then announced it publicly. So this started to get some momentum, and people started to get pissed off that MGM Grand did this. And to be honest, this room has had not a very good reputation for a long time for how they've treated players, how they've handled things, how they've been... uh, uh, People accuse them of some uh, unethical behavior, let's just say, over time. And the manager now is a different manager than... So it is a small little room. It's the only way they can make money. Well, <laughs> I, that, unfortunately, that, that is the excuse of a lot of these rooms. So uh, they had a different manager of the room than the one that's there today. But with that manager, the same type of allegations were going on. So basically, the, the room has had a pretty bad rep for a while here. And yet it is an MGM property. It's operating under the MGM umbrella that's managed by uh, Sean McCormack. He's the one in charge of all the MGM rooms now at the upper level. So they do have someone to answer to, but this room has always operated in a fashion, at least in the last several years, that people haven't been very happy with. So anyway, this started to get some attention. So I just was sitting there, and I had just made a post about it on Poker Fraud Alert. I posted about this on uh, the early morning of December 11th, so about 48 hours ago I posted about this. And I actually put a link to the video of Seinfeld, the famous clip you were talking about, where Seinfeld and Elaine went to go rent a car, and Seinfeld had a reservation for a mid-sized car, and he gets there, and the woman tells him that there's no mid-sized cars anymore. And he says, well, what about my reservation? And she says, well, we see you have a reservation, we don't have cars anymore. And then they have this funny debate where he's saying, well, you know, you you know how to take the reservation, but you don't know how to keep the reservation. And that's kind of the most important part of the reservation. So the audience was laughing at this very vigorously, as were people watching this clip at home, because so many people have really been through this, including me. And the truth is, and I'm sure this is what was the inspiration for the bit, that's probably really happened to Seinfeld or one of the, ra- the writers, that reservations for rental cars really do mean very little. So there's a good and bad side to this. The good side is that they usually don't take payment up front, so if you just don't show, nothing happens to you. The bad side is they're not really holding your car. So I've had it a lot of times where I get there and they don't have the car I reserved, and then they try to push me onto something else. Once in a while, I get something better that 
I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. But a lot of times they try to push me to something I don't want. The worst one was when I was renting a car to drive to the airport and they didn't have the car I reserved or any other car except a pickup truck and it was going to rain that day. And I keep saying, I can't put my luggage in a pickup truck when it's going to rain driving to the airport. And and the company was being very difficult with me. I finally browbeat them into giving me a, a car. They found one somewhere at a different location to give to me. But it was very frustrating. I've had this happen multiple times. I'm sure a lot of people have had this. And it happened enough to where even Seinfeld did a bit on this, which is one of the most famous bits, because everybody can relate to it who's rented cars. So I've thought about this bit before when these guarantee tournaments happen, because it's the same concept. Like Seinfeld says, you guys can take the reservation, but you don't keep the reservation, and that's the most important part of the reservation. Well, same thing with a guarantee. You can announce a guarantee, but if you don't actually pay the guarantee, then what's the point of having a guarantee? So it's really a similar concept. And I've thought about this every time I see the situation with these guarantees that are either canceled or reduced. So I thought, you know, wouldn't it be funny if I made my own version of this Seinfeld bit with this AI tool I have that can imitate people's voices? And you guys have heard me use this tool before for intros of the show. I've had Vin Scully introducing the show. I've had Casey Kasem introducing the show. I've had uh, even poker players like Eric Person introducing the show. So I've done things like this, and some of them sound very convincing. So I thought, could I do one of Seinfeld and really recreate this rental car bit And in fact, you know, instead of just talking about it, let me play you this rental car bit first, and then you'll hear the similarity to my bit. I'll play them both back to back, and then I'll go into how this actually had an effect on how the MGM handled this matter. Because up till now, there's never been a situation, to my knowledge, where a guarantee was lowered or canceled, and then the room about faced and put it back. But that's actually what happened here. And it partially has to do with the Seinfeld bit. But let's, uh, I'm going to play you the, the part of the Seinfeld bit here. Let me put on the sound for you, Brandon, so you can hear it too, even though I'm sure you've seen it a million times. And here it comes. When he talks, it sounds like Let he's reading. fast forward a little bit to where they're past this part. Next, please. Go. 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 Can I help you? Name, please. Uh, Seinfeld, uh, you made a reservation for a midsize, and she's a small. I'm kidding around, of course. Um, Okay, let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry. We have no midsize available at the moment. I don't understand. I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? Yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservations. I know why we have reservations. I don't think you do. If you did, I'd have a car. (laughs) See, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody can just take them. Let me uh, speak with my supervisor. Okay, so that's the relevant part here. So I thought, you know, this so much reminds me of the situation with the guarantees. So what, what if I made my own version of this bit? with the AI. Now, there's a lot of challenges to doing this. First of all, the AI can imitate voices, but it can't necessarily put on the proper inflection or the right timing. And in comedy, timing is super important. You have to have the exact right timing for something to be funny. Of course, the laugh track can't be part 
of the whole thing with the AI. The AI can't do that. And also, sometimes the AI just messes things up. The voice isn't right, or it pronounces things wrong. There's a lot of different issues with the AI. So it takes a lot of work. This thing I produced that took... Uh, it, it, it takes two minutes and 20 seconds to listen to. It took me hours to create. So that's why I don't do more of these. Some people say, why don't you do more of these? It's because it's a lot of work. And I just kind of decided to do it. I thought it would be funny. And I, I originally intended for this to be an opening to the show. But when I was done with it, I'm like, you know what? I don't want this just to be something that people who listen to this show hear and laugh at. Like, it's different than the Casey Kasem opening, which is like a joke about me. That's something the general public's not going to appreciate. I thought this is something the general public would appreciate. And maybe, just maybe, if this gets back to MGM, and if this becomes popular enough, maybe you can actually make an impact. So I then made it into a YouTube, which I didn't really animate anything. Like, I didn't actually have uh, the words coming out of Seinfeld's mouth. I just uh, did a quick Photoshop of one of the scenes from this rental and I change it to say MGM grand poker in the back and then just stamp that up there. And I put a little intro there saying Seinfeld plays at MGM poker. So I did my own version of this and it was, it was hard. This is the toughest AI voice thing I've done so far. And I also had to be like a comedy writer because I had to write the whole skit. Yes. It was based on the one that they did about the rental car, but I had to write my own version. And I was trying to make it funny. I was trying to make it like in the style Seinfeld would make it. I was really trying to make it like something that you would really see on Seinfeld. And when it was done, I was pretty happy with it. So I'm going to play it to you guys again. I know it opened the show, but you just heard the version that I based it on. So listen to this. This is my version of it. Two minutes and 20 seconds. I'd like to register for today's 11 a.m. $20,000 guaranteed poker tournament. I'm sorry, but the guarantee is 10000 10000 But the flyer I have right here says 20000 And I know I didn't get an A in algebra, but isn't it correct that 20000 is greater than 10000 We weren't getting enough demand for this tournament, so we had to lower the guarantee. But the guarantee promises a $20,000 prize pool, even if you don't get enough entrance. That's why it's called a guarantee. Sir, I know very well why it's called a guarantee. I don't think you do. Because if you did, the prize pool would be 20,000. Not 10,000. It seems the MGM Poker Room is very good at marketing the guarantee. But you're not very good at paying the guarantee. And paying the guarantee is the whole point of having the guarantee. Sir, I'm not going to debate this with you. The guarantee is 10000 Now, do you want to register or, uh... Actually, wait one moment. Wait one moment? I just got a text from the manager that the guarantee is now 5000 What? The registration period is about to close, and we've only collected a little more than 5000 worth of buy-ins. Therefore, we're lowering the guarantee to 5000 You guys are a bunch of crooks. I can't believe this. It's the only way a small poker room like ours can survive. Now, do you want to register or not? Yeah, I'll register. Okay, here's your chips. You're on table 35, seat 4. Thank you. I'll go take my seat. Wait, sir. You didn't pay your entry fee. 
That's okay. I'll pay you guys after the tournament. That's not how it works. You have to pay now. Don't worry. <laughs> I promise I'll pay you when it's over. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> So you see the similar format between the two. And I even had a little ending where Seinfeld ends up on top by not paying them the entry fee and guaranteeing he'll pay it after he's out of there. It was a lot of work to do all this, to put the laugh track in, to have the timing right. I had to keep entering different things into the AI when it didn't sound right. So you, you can't just type this all in and it hammers out a Seinfeld bit. It, uh, it's a lot of work, but I got it done. But anyway... What impact did it have? Well, first of all, I tweeted this out. You know, I made it to a YouTube video, so it's easy for people to watch, even though it's mostly listening. And it did very, very well. I wasn't sure what the reaction was going to be. I had a feeling it would be positive. I wasn't sure, though. So I put it out, and people started liking it. People started sharing it. And by the time we started broadcasting this show, and keep in mind, I put this out on uh, yesterday morning. So it's been out, uh, getting close to 48 hours now. And it has 50,400 views, that tweet, 220 likes, 25 retweets, and a lot of positive comments on the YouTube video itself. So very well received. So I was happy about that, that I didn't waste my time with this. And importantly, I made a mistake. This was not an intentional mistake, but it may have been fortunate. I wrote, I just found out that Jerry Seinfeld attempted to register for a 20K guarantee tournament at BetMGM Poker and found out the bad news that they were refusing to honor it. Fortunately, someone recorded the incident, and I had a link to the video. Well, the BetMGM Poker thing was just a typo on my part. I was trying to do at MGM Grand Poker, and somehow it ended up posting as at BetMGM Poker. And because I was very tired when I tweeted this at 8 a.m., I didn't notice that until a few hours later after people had already shared the tweet and everything. And because I'm too cheap to actually pay for Twitter blue, I could not edit it. You can't edit on Twitter. So I was stuck with it. So bet MGM poker is totally different from MGM grand poker. Bet MGM poker is online. So <laughs> bet MGM poker itself actually responded and said, MGM grand Las Vegas and bet MGM poker are not the same tag the wrong handle here. And I said, yeah, I messed up. I can't edit it. Sorry about that. This was meant for at, at, MGM Grand Poker. So why might this have been a fortunate mistake? Well, Bet MGM Poker couldn't have been happy about this. Again, I didn't do this on purpose. Now, I don't feel terrible for Bet MGM because they screwed me with that whole thing that happened with uh, stealing money out of my account. And they were not particularly helpful when I brought it to their attention last year. It wasn't the poker part of it, but it was still Bet MGM. So, you know, I, I don't feel terrible, but I, I didn't mean to do this. I'm not going to blame the wrong room. And Truthfully, BetMGM Poker did nothing wrong here. So I'll say that. I want to be very clear. This is not BetMGM Poker's fault, and they're totally separate. But they are both the same company of MGM. So I think the fortunate thing out of that, which was a true accident, was that they might have put some pressure on MGM Grand to make this right because this makes them look bad because of my accidental wrong tag. But also, because this went relatively viral because the poker community is not huge. This got viewed by 50,000 plus people. 
And you can look right there. If you don't believe me, look at the tweet that I made at 8 a.m. on December 11th. You'll see it right now it says 50,400 views. So can you imagine how many poker players saw this? So this makes them look very bad. And it makes them look bad in a very good way in that it's, it's humorous. It's, uh, it's parody of them. It's making fun of them. People are laughing at them. They're laughing at, at how shady they were acting. So this is more effective than just coming out and say, hey, bet MGM poker is screwing people. This is making people laugh at the whole thing because you get to feel Seinfeld's frustration. And by the way, the woman in that video was the exact same woman from the video about the car rental. I took her exact voice, if, if you noticed. Sounded identical. Yeah, it sounded identical. And uh, yeah, so the whole thing was a lot of work, but uh, this landed very well and it really drove the point home. And I think that MGM realized this. So Sean McCormack tweeted on the same afternoon. I released this at 8 a.m. around 5 p.m. Sean McCormack, who does not direct the MGM Grand Room, but is the boss of the director of the MGM Grand Room. He's the head of all MGM poker, Sean McCormack. He moved up from like an assistant director of the Bellagio Room to being the director when the director there got fired. And then he moved up from there. Then he moved to the Aria, and then he moved to uh, then he moved up from there to be the director of poker for MGM, which is his current title. So he's very powerful in the Vegas poker world. He oversees all MGM rooms. So I have a feeling that Sean McCormack saw this because you know, he reads Twitter. He's part of Twitter, and he I'm sure he saw this with this going so viral around poker, around poker Twitter. So this plus one of their own employees publicly quitting over this made them look awful. So what I'm hearing is that it was kind of the combination of these two things that finally made MGM Grand Poker change the policy back to honoring all originally stated guarantees. So those 11 a.m. tournaments that they had lowered the guarantees, they raised them back up to what they were originally supposed to be. This is at 5 p.m. the same day that I had released this nine hours prior. So it wasn't just for my Seinfeld video. It was kind of the combination of these two things. And I think they had enough. I think they decided this is making them look too bad. This is becoming too big of a story. They were kind of hoping this is just going to go away with a few people like Kessler gr- grumbling about it. And instead, what they got was a guy publicly quitting over it and then a Seinfeld video where Seinfeld is arguing with a woman about uh, what a guarantee means and then her lowering the guarantee further while they're t- discussing it, which, of course, that part didn't really happen. So they didn't lower the guarantee twice, but I thought it would just be funny for the video. In fact, to me, listening back, and I, of course, it's harder for me to judge what's funny because I wrote it myself. But for me, the funniest part was when it got lowered a second time down to 5,000 when he was, she's like, are you going to register? Or, uh, wait, hang on a second. Like to me, that was the, that was the funniest part to me in the whole thing. I think this just made them look very bad between this and the guy quitting and they finally had enough. They finally said, you know what? Let's not let the snowball any further. <laughs> we've, we've got the guy quitting. We've got a Seinfeld video. This is not worth the hit to our reputation for these guarantees because these weren't huge tournaments these were like little 11 a.m tournaments that they had after the main so it's not like they're going to lose a ton of money by bringing the guarantee back they just were trying to warm out of losing any money and it cost them way more in pr and they were realizing that so they put it back so i heard that that was the reason it happened it was a combination of the guy quitting and the seinfeld video so the seinfeld video actually made an impact from what i'm hearing good for you i thought that might be a result when i released it but 
when I released it, the main point was just to kind of entertain people because it was just like a softball that was waiting for someone to hit it out of the park. It just seemed so obvious. So I went and did it. But I thought, you know what? What if this becomes popular enough and they have to reconsider it? And that's part of what happened there. So I can hang my hat on that. And I'm glad they did the right thing. But it's funny because somebody responded to Sean McCormack's tweet, which did not address the guy quitting, did not address the Seinfeld video. It just said, you know, we're restoring the guarantees back to their original amount, whatever it was. Like he just kind of factually said what they're doing without stating why. Someone said, oh, this is great. This has a happy ending. Very good. And someone said, happy ending. They shouldn't have done this in the first place. Which is a good point. Like, uh, you can't thank them for honoring what they were supposed to honor in the first place. It's better than not doing it, but like, they don't deserve a gold star for this. You can't say thank you for not ripping us off with a guarantee. And again, I'll just make the very simple statement. If your room is too small to be able to afford an overlay, then don't run guarantee tournaments. It's that simple. You can't run them as a marketing ploy and then not honor them when they might cost you money. So I have no sympathy for rooms that run into this. I have no sympathy for what happened to MGM Grand Poker's reputation as a result of this, or the fact that Jerry Seinfeld's not making fun of them, even if it's a fake Jerry Seinfeld. So I, I might do more of these, though, in the future, where I make parodies or something with the AI thing. It's, it's, it's kind of fun to make. It's kind of fun and kind of tedious at the same time. Like, it's kind of cool to build this and then listen to it afterwards and hear that I like I really like created a little Seinfeld clip with, with his actual voice and the, the laugh track and all that. Like it, it's kind of fun to go back and listen to and say, hey, I made this thing. But then on the other hand, it's like it is kind of tedious to do everything here. So I had to be like a writer, a director, an editor. I have to deal with the idiosyncrasies of the AI, of which there's many. So I, I had a number of people saying, wait, how the hell could you have made something like this? And like, yes, it's AI, but it's not as simple as you might think. Not even close. And if you don't believe me, go try it yourself. So that was uh, at least a, a good end result. And hopefully this will be a trend. Hopefully more employees will start pushing back. I can't expect them all to publicly quit, but hopefully more will start pushing back. And hopefully the poker playing public will get angrier about this and maybe rooms will stop this practice. But I think maybe I'll do another uh, video next time this happens. Maybe that's the way to put an end to this. Let's move on. Now, uh, Brandon, I know you don't have the whole show to be here, so would you like me to talk about the Vegas topics here? What, what would you like well, me to... first off, I'd like to give a shout-out to Poker Pete. Okay, shout-out to Poker Pete, mm-hmm. for sure. TML, TMLK? He still listens. I don't know about Poker Pete, but uh, TMLK listens. I see. I saw him posting in the, the forum the other day. Yeah, yeah. He listens to every cool. episode, I think. Is he still with that girl that beat him up? <laughs> she yells at him. I don't think she beats him up. Maybe she does that too, but she yells at him. She the... threw things at him once or something. All right. Anyhow, uh, what are the topics left? Oh, pretty much all of them. I was gonna. The next topic was what gonna have you be been doing for five hours. I, I've been talking about uh, Mars. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. So, what are the topics? We have a lot of them. The next one was gonna be about Phil Galfond and his mastermind event in Palm Springs, which is kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, I know about it, but is the Fountain Blue on one of your topics? No, it's actually not one of them. I actually... I mean, how can that not be when it's opening right now? It just opened. It can be more relevant than anything else. It literally just opened three hours ago. Why don't you make that a topic? That could be a brief topic. 
Okay. Well, you want to do a fountain blue topic? We can throw that in. We well, we only I mean, have like fifteen more topics, but ago. so like yeah, that's a good topic. Okay, go ahead. But I'll be honest to you, the only reason why, I mean, you know, for relevancy reasons, it would make sense to do it. Now, the only reason why I'd be a little hesitant is I'm not prepared, meaning uh, I don't have in front of me the history of, you know, like the, the, there's a big history behind this. And, I, you know, I'm going to get the times, the years wrong. So basically, I guess what I'm saying for those listening is literally the fountain blue is, uh, for better or worse, it, it's going to be it's a it's a historical opening today because this was literally 18 years in the making this property um no other casino even close to that number in terms of how long it took from uh the first shovel in the ground to literally opening its doors well you're close um, i want to quickly interrupt it didn't yeah. start construction till February 07, which is a little short of 17 years. They did okay, announce the project in the middle of 05, which is about 18 and a half years. Oh, that's where I'm getting Okay, that's the number I'm getting it from, from when they announced it. So, okay. So, still, what do we What did you say, 16 and a half? No, right? almost 17 years they started the construction. February 07. Yeah. So, it opened today. It's really, really strange. You go years and years. You know, so, I mean, the last property to open in Vegas was what, Truff? I mean, I know, but let's just... The Circa. No. Nope. God, really? The old Druff would have nailed that. Since mm. the, sorry, well, uh, Durango. Well, yeah, I'm not counting that. That was last week. But, okay, yes. Technically, the last property to open was a Durango last week. But before that, it had been two and a half, almost three years. What was the... Oh, Resorts World. That. I don't know how I... I yes, yeah, it was yeah, Resort World and then before... So, you know, these properties don't open up all the time. Like, you go years. You know, you've gone, we've gone five, six... So, last week, Durango Station opened up, which, Jesus, I just realized I was there and I, I wanted to do a trip report on that. <laughs> I'm never going to get off this call. But uh, I'll do that in the future. And then tonight, Fountain Blue opened. And it's kind of, you know, like I said, it doesn't really open up. You don't really have these openings very often. In fact... The last locals casino before Durango Station last week was what? What was that? Yes. What was the last locals casino to open in Nevada or in Las Vegas or Henderson uh, since Durango Station? Oh, that I'm not Durango, sure about. Durango Station. What would be your guess as the as far as locals? Product? Yeah, I don't know. Um... I don't know if you've been there. I think you have. You definitely, you've heard of it. Yeah, I've heard of all of them. I just don't know which one. Open. Definitely heard of it. Um, they used to have a. I mean, you might not know. This might give it away, or it might do nothing for you. There was a infamous horse tournament that was there, in which me and the great uh, Brian Mycon met former PFA. I don't know if he's even around anymore. Bootsy Collins at where a. Infamous I remember the tournament. Event. I don't remember where it was though. I wasn't there for it. All right, I'll give you, this is the biggest hint, and this should just give it away. It's on Las Vegas Boulevard. Locals Casino on Las Vegas Boulevard. Hmm. All right, I'll give you, this is the the best hint I can give you, and if you don't know now, you're never going to know it. It's also the official hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't know what their official hotel is. It's where the team stays. I, I don't know where they stay, team. to be honest. Okay, it's the M Casino. Oh, the M, okay. Have yeah. you ever been there? Yes, I've been there. Okay. All right. So anyhow, the Fountain Blue opened today at 3 o'clock for VIPs and invited guests. You know, they have like the luminaries and I'm sure the governor was there and, you know, county city commissioners and, you know, all the like 
Wayne Newtons of the world and things like that. So then it opened to the public at midnight. Um, obviously, I'm not there. Uh, probably it might be a week or two before I check it out, but it opened tonight. And the funny thing, and I'm going to read this real fast. Uh, they put out a really weird press release. And I'm actually going to give credit to Nolan Dallas Facebook because that's where I saw this. So let me read this to you, and you tell me what you think of this, okay? Yeah. All right, so this is the press release that uh, that Fountain Blue released earlier today in preparation for tonight. Okay. Guests will have access to the resort once the first doors open only on the southwest pedestrian entrance on Las Vegas Boulevard. All other entrances will be closed. So there's only one entrance to get in. The Fountain Blue parking garage will be closed to the public until at least 1 a.m. There will be no ride share or drop-off services available at the Fountain Blue until December 13th. Oh, I'm sorry. There will be no, I've read it wrong. There will be no ride share or drop-off services available at the Fountain Blue on December 13th. Ride share passengers can be dropped off at nearby locations. It's kind of big. <laughs> All right. Ride shares will begin on the morning of the 14th after 2 a.m. So meaning all day today, which is the 13th, until I guess tomorrow. So, you know, a good 26 hours from when it opened, there's no ride share. That's kind of strange. So since the garage is closed, parking will be held at the Las Vegas Convention Center West Hall on a first-come, first-served basis, accessible from Paradise Road or Convention Center Drive. And lastly, Elvis Presley Boulevard and the northbound right turn lane on Las Vegas Boulevard will be closed until 3 a.m. on December 14th. I don't... Anyhow, so Nolan Dalla wrote a post. This is what it's entitled. The Fountain Blue is already floundering, and it hasn't even opened up yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Now, for those that don't know, Nolan Dow is very pointed and, 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 you know, outspoken on his beliefs. And so that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a fail. I mean, that's actually it doesn't mean it's going to be a fail. But I thought that was kind of strange that they're not really making it easy for people to get there. Yeah. And I've seen complaints from various people who are like social media posters or influencers. What do you want to call them? based in Vegas that a lot of them were denied access to the early opening that wasn't open to the general public that they felt that they were kind of screwed there too some of these people are kind of entitled to so I don't know what to think about that but yeah it kind of all goes along with it uh, I see that it's going to be the tallest occupiable building in Nevada being 737 feet high we're not counting things like the stratosphere tower because you, you can't uh First of all, it's not a building. It's just a tower with a thing on top. And and second, yeah. uh, you can't stay there. Yeah. Well, what I did is I pulled up, and I'm not going to lie, because I know a lot about this history, but, you know, it's 18 years or however you look at 18 and a half years since it was announced, 16 and a half years since a shovel was thrown in the dirt, you forget things. So I pulled up the Wikipedia just so I can give a precise history lesson on this. And I'm going to ask you some questions that, that I don't know. I, well, you're I'm not going to be. I, I've been reading it, too, so you can't stump me with any of that uh, stuff. Okay. Well, okay, well, here's one question. What is the actual city that the Fountain Blue is technically located in? It's not Las Vegas. 
Yeah, I, I saw that it's Winchester, which is not a city, it's like a town. Yeah, okay. See, we might as well explain to people here. Las Vegas is kind of funny with the way the city borders work. So some of what you know of Las Vegas is the actual city of Las Vegas, which is an incorporated city. And the rest is unincorporated Clark County. So they have various names like Paradise and Enterprise and Winchester, but these aren't real cities. They don't have a mayor. They don't have a city government. There's, there's no city laws. These are all just Clark County, but they're just uh, areas. So this is Winchester, Nevada, technically, but that's really kind of only for uh, ways to describe the area or for the post office and things like that. And it, it's really considered Las Vegas. So that's, that's what Winchester is in case you don't know what Winchester is, but that's uh, there is no city of Winchester. You don't, you don't ever hear whatever happens in Winchester stays in Winchester. I'll tell you that. <laughs> now, most uh, of the strip is, is not Las Vegas, also, by the way. The, a lot of the strip is Paradise or uh, or Winchester. So, that's, right, so if you would have showed up, if you had one of those time machines like Doc Brown had, remember that one movie? And you would have showed up today thinking it was the opening but your time machine hit 1953 what casino would you have walked into that would have been the the thunderbird which uh, i it does have a connection to me because in the 1960s a young couple went to las vegas for the very first time and not having a lot of money they stayed at the thunderbird which was not a very good place that'd be correct because it says here that the algiers is where the Fountain Blue is now that sat adjacent to the Thunderbird. So maybe it's both. So maybe you're technically right and wrong, but it was originally the land that the Fountain Blue is, according to Wikipedia, opened up in 1953 on November 23rd. I'm sorry, November 25th, 1953, as the 110-room sister property called the Algiers. I believe the Algiers came came after the Thunderbird. Well, no, the Algiers opened in 1953 okay. adjacent to the Thunderbird. Okay. All right, either way, it doesn't really matter. In 1991... Wait, wait, hold on. I, did, uh, I didn't say who the young couple was. Oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. The young couple was my parents. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Now, I didn't exist yet. This is in the 60s, but this was uh, one of their first trips. Did you exist for some other reason, too, with your, your parents? Something else happened? Well, yeah, my, I was almost a miscarriage. Wow. I was like a super close, almost miscarriage. Super wow. close, yeah. So you know what? In a way, and I mean, it's kind of a roundabout way. We have, if it wasn't for the Fountain Blue, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> All right. So anyhow, it sat on, we're going to call it the Algiers slash Thunderbird Casino until 1991. It was marked, earmarked for possible condemnation. I don't even know. I mean, I know what it means, but what does that mean for possible? All right. Well, either way, allowing for the realignment of nearby streets, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So in May of 2005, okay, it was announced that they were going to create and build what is now, what at the time was called the Fountain Blue Resorts, owned by a guy named Jeff Soffer. Uh, the project was designed by various people, doesn't matter, but construction on the Fountain Blue actually began in February of 2007. So in about two months from now, it will actually be 17 years. So we're 16 months and 16 years and 10 months since the first shovel went into the ground. Uh, 
uh, it stands at 737 feet, which now, as Druff said, is the tallest occupiable building in Nevada. So here's the history. A group of banks agreed to finance a project, uh, but they were sued by the Fountain Blue in April 2009 after it cut off funding. Construction was then put on hold two months later when the project entered Chapter 11. Although the Fountain Blue was 70% completed and the opening had been scheduled for October of 2009. Can you imagine that? 70% completed and then you stop for another 14, 15 years almost? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. And it was scheduled to open in 09. That's also crazy. It's opening at the end of 23. And, uh, of course, if you think about those years, what happened at the year 2008, it was, of course, the major financial and real estate crash that occurred in 2008. And that's really what threw Las Vegas for a tremendous loop. And Las Vegas took one of the biggest hits in property values of any city in the U.S. There were a few other comparable areas that took similar hits, but Las Vegas was really hard hit. So if you bought a condo in those years, you got clobbered. If you bought a house in those years, you got clobbered. Unless you were patient and waited all the way up until today, and then things have kind of come back, but uh, you'd have to be pretty patient. I mean, it really took a beating. The uh, apartment that I lived in that turned condo, and then I didn't buy, I just left. Had I bought that, it actually declined about 90% in value, which is a tremendous decline from a real estate crash that didn't have to do with any physical damage to the property. There's no physical damage. It was just uh, the the crash did that. It took 90% of the value off of it. So because of... Uh, you, could have, you Basically, you could have had a tornado and a hurricane hit your unit in like Beverly Hills, hit your condo there, and it would still be worth more than the, the standing yes. Vegas <laughs> one that's healthy and right. You know, the roof is solid, shingles, yeah. Yeah, so that was just a, a killer for Vegas. And then, so they lost financing. And also, a lot of people stopped coming to Vegas because a lot of people all of a sudden didn't have money to go spend on gambling. So this really hurt Vegas tourism and also the ability to get financing got much tougher. Just everything got much tougher. Anything related to banking and real estate got much tougher in the late 2000s. And that just walloped this project here and it never got finished. That's what happened. Yeah. All right. So I you alluded or you said that you had read some of this. So you probably know the answer. So after that Chapter 11 filing, property stalled in bankruptcy until it was purchased out of bankruptcy in 2010 by who? Uh, I don't know who got it in 2010. Carl Icahn, who also owns, I believe, I know he owned at one point the Stratosphere and I think Arizona Charlie's. I don't know if he still has those holdings, but anyhow, he bought the project in 2010. Now, I'm not reading this off of Wikipedia anymore. I, I'm reading, I'm just talking to you guys. I read this article the other day, and I remember reading it years ago, and this is quite impressive. So at the height of the financial crisis here, he bought it for, I believe, I could be off a couple million. Again, I'm going all, all this off memory. He bought it for around $175 million out of bankruptcy, which kind of reminds me of like what they did with the Rebel in New Jersey, where they literally bought it for like cents on the dollar. Uh, same kind of thing happened, but he bought it for $175 million, and he literally just let it sit there for years and years and years. 
and let the, the economy in Vegas recover. He did nothing with it. But the one thing he did do is, and I didn't know this, you know, or maybe I didn't, I've forgotten, uh, but he hired for all those years a complete staff that kept the electricity running, that kept the plumbing. Like they literally had to like flush toilets and run water and do all that to keep the, uh, you know, physical part of the property intact, to keep, you know, the, the pipes working. And so in, in essence, he had a whole staff all those years and their job was to come in there and maintain it, make sure everything was in working order with the idea already in his mind that he was going to sell it. And obviously, you know, it would maintain its value and obviously increase in value if it was in working order, you know, because it was all, at that point, remember, it was already 70% completed. So anyway, long story short, uh, someone can find the number, but he made almost $500 million, basically half a billion dollars, just holding it. Now, of course, minus whatever the fees were of having people in there. You know, but it definitely wasn't half a billion dollars. Um, so he kept it for, let's see. He kept it. He bought it in 2009 and sold it seven years later, just the same way it was. Um, and he made $485 million seven years later. And he sold it to an investment firm called the Whitkoff Group. And they planned to open it under a totally new name. Now, I know we talked about this on radio. Yes, we did. Uh, this was in uh, 2016, so now it's almost eight years ago. What did they plan on calling it? They you know, Fountain Blue was a name everyone knew and, and, and you know was in their head and sketched in their brain. But when this new ownership, the Whitcoff Group, bought it, they were going to call it the what? They were going to call it the Drew, and this is because... The Drew Las Vegas. Yeah, it's because the, yes. th- this Whitcoff guy, the, the one who was the owner of the Whitcoff group. He had a 22-year-old son named Andrew who died of an oxy... Stephen Stephen Whitcoff, by the way. Yeah. His son, Andrew, died... How do you remember the son? Did you look that up, or do you really know that in your No, I knew it because of the Drew, Andrew. Oh, Andrew, Drew. Yeah. Yeah. So so he he died of an oxy-overdose in 2011, and so this was like a tribute to him, and some people thought this was kind of weird not only just to name it after a kid who died of an overdose he was 22 andrew when he died but also because it, it was how thought, do you know how old he was that's amazing it, it was thought that this whitcoff guy was not a very good father that he was too focused oh. on business and not enough on his son as, as often happens with with workaholics and sometimes really rich people who are so focused on business and they kind of ignore their kids athletes and, athletes too yeah athletes too and then the kids end up messed up or sometimes have these uh, tragic situations like overdoses and then at that point they're like oh i you know i feel so terrible i love my son so much and he's like oh, well where, where were you when they were growing up and having problems why didn't you uh, pay more attention to them so some were saying that this was you know, partially steve woodcock's fault for not being there for his son when he was having his issues that led to the oxy overdose. But anyway, uh, th- that's not what it ended up opening as. I'll let you continue the story. Yeah. And then ironically enough, I guess if you want to hold on one second, get back to work. if you want to even use that term, his son died of an Oxycontin overdose at the later closed sunset Plaza drive, sober living facility in Los Angeles, California. So thankfully it's closed, but if it wasn't, I'd say don't put your loved ones in there. I guess they're getting pills at the at the rehab facility. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Jesus. All right. So, on a brighter note, 
it was going to be called the Drew Las Vegas. And then at that point, they gave the opening date in early 2022. However, something happened in March of 2020 that stopped construction. And what was that, Druff? That'd be a certain virus. It was a certain virus. You're very, you know a lot about your uh, spur-of-the-moment fountain blue history. A certain virus, the COVID-19 pandemic in Nevada, stopped all construction. Then, in February of 2021, David Sulfur, who was the original guy back in 2006, decided to buy back the project through his new company called Fountain Blue Development with Koch Real Estate Investments as a partner. Software then eliminated the Drew Las Vegas as the name. He reinstated the original name to the project. Construction began again or resumed again in November of 2021 with a scheduled opening date of December 13th, 2023. And ironically enough, they hit that target date. Uh, today is the obviously the 13th and just opened. And... Uh, that's what we uh, know so far. Now, obviously, one could go to a Wikipedia page and there's a more detailed history of, of you know, we're not going to get through all that to take the rest of the morning here. But it's open now. And it's interesting for a couple of reasons. First reason why it's interesting is because of its location. It's very similar to Resort Worlds in its location. Both properties are located on the northern part of Las Vegas Boulevard, uh, which in fact, the Fountain Blue is directly across the street from Resort Worlds, which the local media and you see it on Twitter have kind of, I don't know how true this is. I mean, I'm sure it's true to some degree, but I'm not sure if it's being drummed up for, you know, dramatic reasons, but you've seen a lot of, or I've seen a lot of comments made that basically the Fountain Blue and Resort Worlds are now going to be arch rivals and they're going to be going after each other. And it's going to be all this, you know, competition that only one will survive because, you know, they're both high end, you know, not, I wouldn't say boutique, but, you know, they, they're targeting the same demographic. They're both, you know, fancy rooms, fancy restaurants, same kind of nightclubs, same, you know, same demographic. You know, they're going after the high rollers. So that will be interesting. But from a Vegas standpoint, What's also interesting is the finally, after years and years of hearing this term, the prospect of revitalization of the northern part of the strip and what it will do for that area, not just the casinos, but, you know, the businesses around it, real estate, you know, apartments, condos. Is this going to spark like what happened with Aria, you know, with the city center and, you know, condos and more restaurants and more hotels and, you know, more supportive businesses around so that will be interesting to follow. I mean, they've been talking about this for like almost 20 years. Just, you know, the, the revitalization of that area. Yeah, and that, that of- might be what really happens. And I don't think this is going to be bad for Resorts World because it's not like people go to Resorts World because they're like, oh, I got to be at the north end of the strip. Yeah, I got to be there. And I guess Resorts World is our only choice. We'll go there. That's not what people do. People who go to Resorts World are going there for Resorts World. And the fact that it's where it is located is actually a negative for it, not a positive. It's kind of out there. It's a little bit far to walk to anything else from there. So the fact that there is going to be something substantial across the street, because before that, the closest thing was the win, which wasn't super close. So this will now be the closest thing. And that's a hell of a lot better than 
what was the situation before. I, I criticized before that Resorts World was across the street from a Denny's and other stuff that just makes it look like it's just kind of placed there in an area where it doesn't really belong. And there's nothing really to walk to from there. And it's almost feels like an island that once you're there, if you don't have a car or don't call an Uber, you're kind of stuck there. So at least now there will be a second substantial thing that is very close by. And then the wind, if you want to walk a little further. So I think that that can only help. Yeah. Well, another interesting thing, think about this. Is this the potential, do you think, to make the north side of the strip more viable than the south side? And just follow me for a second. What I mean by that, if you think about the south, especially the southwest side of Las Vegas Boulevard, you got the Excalibur, you got the Luxor, then you got New York, New York. You got three old properties, two of them which... I don't know. I don't want to say they're in disrepair, but you know they're they're pretty old and they don't have the best reputation. You know, when I when I say that, I just mean you know they're old, and especially the Excalibur and Luxor, they both attract, and even the New York, New York to to some degree, they attract a lot of kids. Uh, you know, they're, they they attract a, a lower clientele because the rates are, or I should say, a lower income clientele because the rates are cheaper. So anyhow, think about that. Think about what the northern end of the strip. Now think about. Or I'm sorry, think about, you know, that the south part of the strip, I should say, with those three properties. Now think about the northern part that are going to have the win. And although I know it's not like next to it, but you're going to have the win. And then you're going to have Resort Worlds and Fountain Blue, three really high-end properties all on that side. Now, I mean, do you think this even has a potential to change the trajectory of, you know, just... You know, like that becomes like the high end part of the strip where everyone wants to be. And you know what I mean? It kind of like, like a role reversal almost where the other end where it's kind of aging and old becomes, you know, the decrepit, like no one really goes there where the other place becomes can't miss. Everyone wants to be there. It's it's a happening thing kind of vibe. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean, sense? but it just it's still away from the properties in the strip that people know of and kind of want to be close to yeah but what properties are those even anymore it's all the I mean, cent- all the center strip got, properties i mean you got the venetian okay but hold on you got the venetian and the plaza and that's next to the wind by the way so then outside of like say aria and bellagio what high-end new like you got to see properties are even there i'm not talking about high-end i'm just talking about the major properties in the middle of the strip that uh people associate with Las Vegas. It doesn't have to be the highest-end properties. It's just that if you think about what everybody knows, where everybody kind of wants to be on the Strip, they're all kind of clumped together with uh, between the win and uh, I, I would say, what, like the Park MGM Monte Carlo? Like, it's, that's kind of the, the stretch there. And then everything else is kind of off to the side. So this is still kind of off to the side. I think for it not to be off to the side, there had to be more there and more past it. It's just not enough. But I do think this will help a lot in that it's no longer kind of an island there that you go to, but you're kind of not going to walk anywhere else, especially at night. So so now there's something else very major, very close to it, which can only help. And I think it will help the area. And then there can be other things that, pop up over time of course there, there is an area issue but you know that, that can fix itself if they change what's there but really as you get towards the stratosphere the area goes downhill 
pretty fast. So there's there's still a lot to change over there, but uh, this this will definitely help that north part of the strip. I also wonder if they're going to get past some people's fear that it was a building that sat unoccupied for a very long time. I know you said Icon had a staff of people that were trying to keep it maintained. But it, it does have that reputation of, like, do you really feel comfortable there? Are you going to feel safe there, like, in the case of an earthquake hitting Vegas? Or in, in just, do you trust that building as much as you trust every other building? Because the, the trusting buildings people pretty much take for granted. A new property goes up. You don't think, oh, wow, I, I hope this property is safe. This I keep hearing yeah, people I say. I don't think that, but I don't think that was the concern. The concern wasn't the structure. It was the plumbing and the heating and A.C. Like, once that structure is built, I mean, it was already complete. Like, the structure part of it, you know, like the, the I don't know, you know, I'm not a construction guy, but you know what I mean. Like, the shell of the place, that was all intact. The parts that weren't finished were, like, the interior. So, I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking you, maybe you know more about this than me, what would that change from, like, the Bellagio or any other property that's, you know, or the resort world, you know, or whatever, any other place, if the structural integrity is just as good as all those other properties. The fact that it was vacant for years should mean nothing, right? Just because of the fact that there wasn't uh, as active of usage right. of it to where there's not uh, the checking of it, there's not there's not as much discovery that would occur if there are issues. And I think some people have that perception, whether it's uh, a correct perception to have or not. And I wonder well, if that's going to hold I anything kind of back. I disagree because I think guys like you and me that you know find it interesting – like the history behind this stuff, the average everyday person that comes in there, they're not going to know that it, this was 18 years in the making. I don't think they're going to know that. I don't think they're going to even know the history. They're going to think this is just the new on the ground up, you know, Vegas hotspot, nightclub, restaurant, the cool kids go here. You know what I mean? They're not going to know the history. Well, I don't know. I, I keep hearing th- stories about this. Oh, wow, the Fountain Blues opening, it was built uh, through the 2000s. It's at uh, unoccupied right, all this time. Those are just the knowledgeable, pe- knowledgeable people that you follow. That you know what I mean. The average person that comes here isn't gonna. I think that's the most interesting that. story about it, though. I don't think. I think the general stories that are being put out about it mention this. It's just it's hard to not see. So well, you know what? Let's do this informally. What's the radio? The the, the text line seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Okay, so let's be honest here, guys. Let's do like an official or unofficial PFA kind of poll thing. So text Druff, and you know, in a comment or two, a sentence or two, just let him know. Whether you knew the history of the Fountain Blue, you know, and I when I mean that I just mean that it's been open, you know, or it, it was announced, you know, eighteen years ago, or do you just have you just heard oh a new casino's opening in Vegas? And then secondly, if you want, text him if it ever even crossed your mind to not stay there because of possible ramifications of an earthquake. And we'll just get like some listeners, you know, we'll gauge their opinions and then in a future episode, maybe whatever. Actually, the next time we come on, we'll read some of the comments. And uh, I, I think you're overestimating. I just think you follow people that are intelligent. You know, when it comes to like Vegas history, and that that stuff's important to them, whereas the everyday person is not going to pay attention. I've heard no one mention the the earthquake fear at all. It's funny. I've I've, I've had a lot of people saying this to me, discussing the Fountain Blue. Like, oh, I wouldn't trust staying in that place. Like, I've heard this a lot of times, and not because I suggested to them or anything. I mean, you got to realize, you know. The foremost experts in architecture have looked at it. People from, you know, literally maybe even around the globe, definitely around the United States at various points, you know, especially after what happened in Surfside, Florida. And I, 
I would not have any fear of staying there or being there. I would feel told. I mean, just as confident as I'd be anywhere. Not, it's not to say it's not going to come crashing down that there is a, you know, catastrophic earthquake, but that wouldn't be a concern of mine. Well, I just I got a text. I, I got a text really here from five three zero that said they had no clue. So that's one point for you. Yeah, it's not a point for me. I'm not. You know, I'm just saying. I don't think. Well, I think you're just the people that you follow on Twitter, the people that you engage with, just know that stuff. The average person that's going to come here and stay there, they're not. They're just going to see the marketing when they start going into like a full blast. And we get close to summertime next year, and they have a big marketing campaign for their pool and their nightclubs and their restaurants. And you know, oh, and, and the other thing, uh, just you know, in case anyone asked or was curious, um, the theme of the hotel, which again I have not been in, is actually going to be shockingly South Beach, Miami, shades of blue, ocean, tropical. So they're basically paying homage to the original fountain blue which became very very famous and i even though i lived in that area you know i I grew up in in south florida i spent many many uh, nights days in miami beach over the years i first became aware of the fountain blue when i was a young kid maybe 1982 84 i don't know early 80s because the fountain blue was famously depicted in what movie i don't know the opening scene of a certain James Bond movie was filmed and shot at the Fountain Blue using the Fountain Blue name and you know the way it stood back then. What movie was that? When was this? In the eighties? It was. It, it was a James Bond movie. Well, I saw the movie in the eighties. The movie came out in nineteen fifty-seven, I think fifty-eight, oh. maybe sixty-four. I mean, it was, it was either late fifties or early sixties. All right, whatever. I just tell you, it was. One of the legendary Sean Connery Bond movies, Goldfinger. Hmm. In the beginning of Goldfinger, have you heard of Goldfinger? Yes. In the beginning of Goldfinger, the first scene of the opening movie, uh, Goldfinger appears, and he is on the pool deck playing gin rummy, cheating with against another person who's never in the movie again. And there is a young, pretty blonde with binoculars up on her balcony looking at the other man's hand and Goldfinger has an earpiece in it and he's being relayed. Oh no, well this is a fraud show. It's a cheat. This was probably the first card cheating thing. Okay. Uh, and she was relaying the opponent's hand, like, you know, with the cards he had in his hand. So he knew what he needed, what to throw out, what not to, but anyhow, the opening scene, they zoom in and you just see the sign fountain blue and you see literally like the fountains in the pool and all these pretty people walking around. It just, it looks really glamorous and a lot of people, you know, from that generation, that was like their first memory of like, you know, because it just was portrayed, you know, James Bond's there and he has this gorgeous suite and he's eating caviar. Like he literally has caviar in, in his bed that he's eating with this girl and she's beautiful. So, but anyhow, it pays homage. This property pays homage to that legendary one by the same name. And uh, that is the theme of it. And of course, when I eventually do go, because I don't have concerns about the property collapsing. I will report back to your listeners. And again, I, I'm not being arrogant here, you know, and I'm not, I'm definitely not talking down to you, but I think you've overstated just because you have bias. Your bias is that the people you talk to all care about this. They know about this stuff like me too. Whereas the average person, they're not going to know. They're just not, they don't care. They're not They don't care about the history. Yeah. Some people will know, of course, but the average everyday person that's going to come here. Nah, none of that's going to matter. It's not going to matter that it's, you know, been there for so long they're not gonna know the history they're just gonna know it's the you know newest place to go you know that's like almost i mean i know it's not the same thing but it's almost like with the cosmo 
you know, when you ask people, did you know it was a condo? Did you know it went into bankruptcy after a year? Like, none, no one knows any of that. We know all that stuff. They just know it was like a cool, hip, you know, resort, has balconies, and that's why they went. So, but anyhow, so it opened up tonight, and uh, I'll tell you, outside of Nolan Dalla's trip report, or not even trip report, it's just his kind of his scathing, scathing review, I've heard good things. The people that I know, the people that I've read that have been there, you know, because over the lead up to it opening they allow vips and media and just you know family members to come in and see the rooms in fact it's little known that uh you know when a new property opens i know they did this with durango station and they did this with resort worlds and they did it with fountain blue i don't know like quite when it starts i mean probably logically you know a couple of weeks ago it probably started but leading up to the opening they usually allow family members and employees that are working there to stay for free at the hotel. That's how they work out the kinks, eat for free at the restaurants. That's how they do like their soft. I don't know if you want to call it openings, but you know, they just start testing out menu items They get feedback. So it's always funny just to think like before it even opens, like, you know, you're not the first one in the bed. You're not the first one staying in that room. You're not the first one at the restaurant. Uh, I would probably guess it goes back, you know, a month or two, maybe longer, but that's how they work out the kinks, you know, Oh, you know, they let the employees stay there with, you know, their perspective or their agreement that they're going to report. Oh, you know, this isn't working in the room or this switch isn't, you know, they have them test everything, touch every button, play with the remotes, play with, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the remote control for the curtains, you know, just every electronical technical thing. And, and then again, like I said, with the restaurants, you're trying out new menu items and giving your feedback. So they, they've done all that. Um, so with that in mind, what, what I meant to say, or what I was getting at was the reviews have been really good. Like, you know, from what I've read, like, you know, in terms of like what the rooms look like, the layouts, the restaurants, uh, the one thing is it's, it's massive. It's a massive property. Uh, I want to say there's upwards of 20 something restaurants there. I know counting bars and lounges, it's like in the forties or fifties. So, I mean, it's a big expansive property. So there's a lot to check out there. I know it's so big. They have two steakhouses, like two high-end steakhouses in the property. Not, you know, no, no, normal resort, normal resorts will have like one, like, you know, one high-end, like, you know, meat and potato place with your $200, $1,000, $500 steaks. They have two of them there. I know one of them is called Poppy Steak. And I can't think of the second. I read a review about it, but I can't remember what it's called. But uh, anyhow. It's good for Vegas. It's good for that part of the strip. And I tell you, a lot of people have hedged their current financial situations on the fountain blue. And what I mean by that is I've heard stories the last years, things have gotten closer to the opening, especially the last six months of various people in various positions that have left their current stable jobs to take a job at the fountain blue. Um, in fact, I don't know. I assume it was resolved, but I know at one point there were some lawsuits that were filed because the Fountain Blue was accused of poaching employees. I guess maybe employees that had contracts. Um, and th these aren't like, you know, bartenders or blackjack dealers. There's, you know, that they, they never have contracts. These were higher end, you know, executives on, on that level. But there definitely were some lawsuits that were filed. And I think they were resolved. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. But I know that, you know, kind of fed the whole you know, I don't know, resort worlds and other casinos like verse the fountain blue kind of 
mania competition, you know, whatever, because of the, the alleged poaching of employees. So, but I do know a lot of people left various jobs, even, you know, a couple of people I met that I've known left, um, reward center jobs, bartending jobs, just various things, because, you know, you move to a property like that and it has high expectations, but at the end of the day, you never really know, you know, you never know. Yeah, well, they better hope they, they better hope they do well with, with it being yes. this large and with you know two steakhouses and so many restaurants yeah. and the whole place being so big. Then they really have to have a much bigger crowd of people to sustain it. Well, that was the other thing. In another article I read, it said it had some statistics that has shown over the course of the history of Vegas, maybe only going back like thirty years or whatever. Usually within three to six months of a massive property built, you know, opening, what inevitably happens more often than not, layoffs, they overhire just to make sure, you know, and think about that, like to make sure that in the initial rollout, everyone's taken care of all their cocktail waitresses and every spot and plenty of servers and, and, you know, room attendants and dealers. But then after a couple of months when the shine, you know, starts you know, coming off and, and, you know, it's a Tuesday afternoon. It's, you know, the dog days of summer, you don't have that kind of crowd in there. They have to start laying people off. So that's always a concern too, if you're even going to stick around, because I'm sure a lot of these higher end employees, you know, in marketing and, you know, the, the real people high up there, they have contracts. So they're going to get paid, you know, for the duration of their contract, but you know, blackjack dealers, bartenders, they can give up jobs with, you know, seniority and, and whatnot, and they don't have a contract. They can be laid off at any time. Yeah, I don't think that's very you smart know. because, uh, yeah, no, exactly. But, you know, but, you know, you walk into a place like this and it's it's gin, you know, and, you know, say for dealers or bartenders are making 500 a 1000 a day, you know, compared to, you know, whatever they're making before. It's a gamble. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, if you're moving up in the clientele that you're serving where you're moving from a lower or middle end casino to this, then it could be worth it. If your expected tips are going to be a lot higher. I could see that moving from yeah. something that's already uh, one of the higher end places to there, I think would be a big mistake for that reason. Now, but, if I'm a dealer, if I'm a, a 21 dealer or carnival games dealer, or whatever at the Orleans, I can get in at the, you know, found blue. That's a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, you just obviously. Yeah. You know, cause there's not really any downside, but if you're working, at the win, you know, you're working maybe at the Cosmo or, you know, Blasia. I don't know if you do that. I don't know if you do that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That. Yeah. I, I wouldn't yeah. do that if I worked at one of those places. If I was at a lower middle end place, then I, I would. So, yeah. okay. Um, we, we have got a lot of topics. Uh, interesting no, no, know. topic that, did, you know. By the way, hold on. Did, did you get any more texts? Uh, so far, I only from the 530. That's the problem with doing this topic at 330 in the morning. So. Okay. Well, I'm sure you will get some. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there anything more you want to add about it, the opening? Not really. Uh, um, oh, the only thing I want to add, there's one thing I thought of. If you were planning to come stay there, and I mean like in the immediate future, like for the remainder of 2023, I would advise against it because Resorts World had a lot of problems in the first few weeks maintenance-wise. A lot of problems. And they also weren't very well equipped to deal with it from a customer service but, standpoint. But Fountain Blues also had 18 years to iron these out. So, <laughs> But yeah, seriously, I would, I would advise not staying there until at least a few weeks pass after the opening. And then once they've got a lot of people staying there and a lot of different maintenance calls, by then they will have fixed a lot of these issues because it, it's just very hard for them to 
get a hold of what's really wrong in the various rooms until they not only have a full occupancy, but also people that will speak up about the problems or notice the problems. Right. So you did really you want a few what, weeks to pass. What I mentioned about like how they have staff stay there with their families leading up to it just to iron out those things. Yeah. Did you know, that's oh, okay. I thought it was interesting. That is interesting. Do it. Yeah. Wait, I'm saying you did know they do that or you didn't? Uh, yeah, I had heard about that. Um, I, I forgot about it, but it it didn't do much good with, with Resorts World. I don't know if they did it there, but yeah, b- boy, they had a lot of problems. They're like a massive well, problems. Know, not to go on too much of a, a tangent, and this will be the last thing I'll add. The only time, well, you know, I shouldn't say that. I went to Resort Worlds about three months after it opened. I got a really good deal to stay at Crockford's, and that was her higher end. That's her highest end tower for two nights, and I had no problem at all. Before that, to my best of my recollection, the only time I ever stayed at a property right when it opened, I stayed at the Circa relatively shortly, like within a month after it opened. And, oh, I had a extreme fail. Uh, I had a curtain, like with the rod and the whole thing, fall down. On me. <laughs> like, while I, I come out, I'm in the shower. I get out of the shower. I have a towel around me. And I heard this massive bang in my room. I walk into the, you know, and this was just a normal room. I mean, it was like an oversized, it, it wasn't normal, I shouldn't say that. It was like a corner uh room so it was a little bit bigger but you know it wasn't a suite or nothing and massive bang and the whole curtain the rod in the wall all of it in fact i have a picture of it i'm gonna see if i can find it and i'll send it to you the internet didn't work because as i said it was a corner room at the end of the hallway so i had one bar half a bar of wi-fi i remember bringing laptops i wanted to play online couldn't do that kept getting disconnected i was getting utterly frustrated and obviously, yeah, they later ended up, I think they gave me like $100 or no, they waived a resort fees for two nights, whatever it was. You know, they did something. But, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it It's frustrating, you know, that when you stay somewhere brand new like that and it's, you know, there's levels of fail. So let me see if I can find this curtain thing. That is but funny. Yeah, uh, that's all I got to add if you want to wrap you know say anything else to it you know no that's that's all i have here let's, let's uh move on i got a lot of topics left we, this is okay. a bonus topic we had a lot of extra topics and then we <laughs> threw in a bonus so. topic that's it was my, a good topic it's just, that, but that's specific for tonight that's it is specific for tonight right now i don't know why i skipped it i just when i was putting the agenda together i, I yeah. looked and i go yeah we'll skip it this week but it doesn't make sense to talk about it in two weeks like it opened like three hours ago yeah well what were the other topics you said i know well we've got a lot of them here i yeah it can move to talk about the uh, wsb paradise i can talk about uh um the guy who stole from the jacksonville jaguars i could talk oh, let's about talk about that yeah i, I thought you made that. like that I mean, topic I know, yeah I, I know that whole that story is really bizarre but go ahead only bizarre because the amounts of money that he got away with and what he betted on. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think that's being exaggerated. Okay, well let's let's talk about this here. Story. Yeah, yeah, we'll get. So, a guy named Amit Patel, A M I T P A T E L, Amit Patel, was arrested for stealing twenty-two million dollars from the Jacksonville Jaguars of the NFL, and. It is said that he mainly shot it off on high-stakes daily fantasy sports contests on FanDuel and DraftKings. Now, you might wonder if he also is a poker player, and the answer is yes. He was not a big-time poker player, but if you look at his hand in mob, you will find, and I think he's listed there as Namit Patel, with, with an N at the beginning, but it is the same guy. And he... Played on and off from 2018 to two th- or 2008 to 2014, 
then nothing for five years as far as what he cashed in tournaments, but then he did cash once in 2019. So it's not like someone who quit 10 years ago. He did cash in January 2019, which is five years ago. I don't know if he's played since then. His biggest cash was his first cash in 08 at a $500 WPT event in Atlantic City at the Borgata. He got second place for 31K. So he was by no means a big-time poker pro, but he did play mainly in Atlantic City. He actually did play in Jacksonville at the WPT in 2014. He wasn't working for the Jaguars yet. But it seems like poker wasn't his main game. It just seems like he was a gambler who also played poker. The picture that's been distributed of him in the media was one where he won a poker tournament, smaller one. So that's the one that's been going around. But he allegedly stole $22 million from the Jaguars, which is pretty amazing that he could have done this without getting caught for that type of money. And this wasn't all at once. And like he took $22 million before people caught him. Like he, he was doing this over a period of time. And his time with the Jaguars was about five years. It was from 2018 through early 2023, at which point they fired him when they became aware of it. His titles were Coordinator, Financial Planning and Analysis, Manager, Financial Planning and Analysis, and I guess those were the two titles, Coordinator and Manager of Financial Planning and Analysis. The theft occurred over a, a period of a few years, I think between uh, like late 19 and early 23 when they fired him. He did not have access to any of the confidential team data. Nothing about the players, nothing about the strategy. So they're not worried about that getting out. He was just on the financial side. But he basically did this to feed his gambling addiction. But the weird part is the way he gambled, because this wasn't the typical person who steals from a company to gamble who then just shoots it off at casino games. That's happened a lot, where we've seen people embezzle money from their company and then just go to Vegas and shoot it off at, at the tables or at the slots. I mean, it's stupid, but we've seen that. We've seen people do it and shoot it off in poker. But this was Daily Fantasy Sports, which, to my knowledge, this is the first major embezzlement which was done for the purpose of playing Daily Fantasy Sports. This was the press release from the Jaguars. Or sorry, this is the press release from, from his attorney about the situation. Said in February of this year, Mr. Patel met with officials from the NFL who were investigating his gambling activities, primarily involving daily fantasy sports. Subsequent to that meeting, Mr. Patel was suspended and later terminated from his position with the Jacksonville Jaguars, stemming from his gambling activity utilizing the Jaguars' virtual credit card program. During the course of his employment with the Jaguars, Mr. Patel used VCC, meaning virtual credit card, funds to gamble on daily fantasy sports, the vast majority of which was done on FanDuel, and a significant portion on DraftKings. Approximately 99% of the funds misappropriated from the Jaguars' VCC were gambling losses, almost all of which occurred on those two websites. The losses were most significant in the final months leading up to the NFL's investigation. This is from his own attorney, so they're, they're admitting to this. Mr. Patel suffers from a serious gambling addiction and in the spring of this year checked himself into extensive inpatient rehabilitation to address his addiction. Mr. Patel's serious gambling addiction does not excuse his actions, which he takes full responsibility for. Although incomprehensible to most, a gambling addiction is similar to substance abuse, such that the disorder can stimulate the brain's dopamine response, much like drugs and alcohol do. 
It provides an uncontrollable urge to keep gambling despite the toll it takes on one's life and creates a willingness to risk more and more despite the impact it has. Almost the entirety of the funds Mr. Patel used from the VCC were spent on the gambling websites and efforts to win money back, with the anticipation that he would repay the funds with the winnings and make the Jaguars whole. Unfortunately, Mr. Patel's compulsive gambling only exacerbated the situation, and he continued to misappropriate the funds in an effort to have gambling winnings offset his significant losses. So they're not even denying that he took $22 million or that he did it on Daily Fantasy Sports. They're just saying that he's a sick gambler, he couldn't help himself, and even though it's wrong, he just was out of control because of his uh, gambling addiction. And some more clarity on this came from a longtime poker player named Matt Smith, who goes by Sam E. Knoll, which is presumably a play on uh, Seminole for the Florida Seminoles. It is. And, Tallahassee. Yeah, and I've, I've met him before. He used to play on Poker Stars, and I remember I was in a tournament with him in the 2000s in the World Series of Poker, and he recognized me, and he told me who he was, and he's like, oh, you're Dan Druff. Oh, you're always killing me on the limit games here. So I guess he was more of a no-limit tournament player, so he was remarking that I was one of the tougher people he went up against on Poker Stars. He was a nice guy. I think that was the only time I've met him. But anyway, apparently he's into Daily Fantasy Sports, and he had noticed Amit's account, which was named Parlay Picker, as like a huge daily fantasy sports fish. And he used to discuss this with his friends that played on FanDuel and DraftKings. Like, oh, there's Parlay Picker. He's awful. What's his deal? So he was like a legendary fish there. And they weren't understanding like his style of play. So, for example, one of the dumb things he did, this isn't even the dumbest thing he did. But one of the dumb things he did was he did something called running a train. Now, do you know what that is in daily fantasy sports? It's not sexual, in case you are wondering that. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Running a train is submitting the same lineup over and over and over again in the hopes that that's going to be the winning lineup and you're going to occupy all the top spots. (laughs) And that's a stupid strategy. And the reason it's a stupid strategy, you could say, well, you know, what if that's the one that wins? You're going to win a lot of money because you're going to get first place, second place, third place, fourth place, fifth place, all the way down. Like a Sammy Knoll said that he did this with 23 lineups in one of the cases where he could have occupied first through 23rd entirely had that one. The reason this is big time negative expectation is because your upside gets more and more limited with each additional pick. So every lineup that you submit that's different has a chance to win any place that cashes all the way up to first. But if you submit the same lineup every time, then the next one, the best it can do is finish second. The next one, the best it can do is finish third. The next one, the best it can do is finish fourth. So that's why this isn't very smart. In addition to bringing on more variance, it's also just negative expectation to do. So no good daily fantasy sports player would ever do this, but he was doing this a whole lot. He was also even dumber. This, this wasn't the dumbest thing he did. The dumbest thing he did was he would register for high-stakes daily fantasy sports tournaments and then sometimes just not submit lineups at all. <laughs> and they were perplexed by that, too. Like, like how is this guy entering so many of these high-stakes contests and then sometimes not even submitting a lineup where you're guaranteed not to win. 
he also included some screenshots, Sammy Knoll, of disgusting parlay picker. This is before they knew who he was. So they had this discussion where his friend said to him, I beat parlay picker last night. That dude must have more money than wakey wakey. That must be some other fish on there. And then Sammy Knoll said back, LOL, wonder who he is on DraftKings. And maybe he had a different name on DraftKings. And then the friend said, just look for the guy maxing trains in the 3K, meaning the $3,000 entry tournaments. And then Sammy Knoll said in another text exchange, Parlay Picker went with a 23-team train. And the friend said, ha, 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 love that dude, Parlay Picker. So they, they were laughing about Parlay Picker before they had any idea that he was stealing from the Jaguars. There's like, I wonder what this guy is, and I wonder what his name is on DraftKings. Let's figure out who he is there, too. So he's like a legendary fish over there. And I'm guessing that maybe the reason he ran these trains was that once he got far enough in the hole, he felt this was his only way out of it. Maybe he got so far down that even winning first place was just not going to put enough of a dent into it. So he's like, okay, well, the only way I'm going to get out of this hole is if I win like the top 23 spots. That's probably why he was doing that. Now, why he was entering contests and forgetting to submit lineups, I don't know. But maybe just because it wasn't his money, who knows, that he would just forget to do it sometimes. <laughs> it's just so weird to enter these contests and then not submit the lineup and just lose by default. According to the investigation by the Jaguars, they found that nobody else was involved in these thefts, that it was just him acting alone. And they're confident that it was basically just him and his gambling addiction. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing that he got away with it. I, I've always wondered how these things can happen at these big companies where one person is granted the power to do something like this without any kind of oversight, even computer oversight, even if you don't want to assign humans to do it. Why don't they have controls in place that just monitor how much is spent or how much is accessed by a particular person. And if it exceeds something that you'd expect, then it would monitor that person's supervisor or it would notify that person's supervisor. It would notify someone at the company that would look into it. But it seems like a lot of these places just don't have it. Like this isn't all that different from the story I told about that Aria hotel manager. And he wasn't like a high manager, some kind of like middle manager at the front desk of the Aria who just kept refunding people's stays back to his own credit card. So someone would stay, have a satisfying stay at the Aria, wouldn't complain about anything. You know, just leave and have no issue paying the bill in full. And then after they leave, then he would submit a phony complaint on their behalf and authorize a refund to them for their whole stay and then just refund it back to his own credit card or his own debit card, I think is where he sent it to. So this guy did that over a period of a year and like got like $800,000 doing this. And I thought, how did it not catch this? The only reason he got caught is because he started dating another dude who worked there who turned him in. But had that not happened, it could have still been going on. But I wondered, how could one middle manager have the authority to just keep issuing these refunds way past what everybody else would typically be doing? Because he wasn't just sneaking one here, one there. That would be impossible to catch. But the fact that he just kept doing it over and over and to the same debit card, you would think there would be some internal control that would catch this. But apparently they don't have this stuff. But I would really recommend that any company would have this to have this type of oversight, at least automated oversight, 
of employees who have access to anything financial. But apparently the Jaguars didn't, and they're $22 million lighter for it. And, you know, they're not going to get that back from him. He's never going to have that type of money. No. <laughs> so I guess it sucks for the DraftKings and FanDuel players that one of the biggest fish is gone. A. Hoosier A thought that perhaps he knew this guy from high school, of all things, because he went to high school within a meat Patel, and that that guy had actually gone to jail for scamming shortly after high school, and also this guy was coaching football after getting out of jail. So he thought, hey, well, it all makes sense. The, the guy is approximately the right age. He was interested in football. He was a scammer. So it all fit, but then he looked up I, I guess the current picture of this guy inside was a different person. So close, but no cigar. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's not that hard to steal it from major now, sports teams. What about teams. that whole know your customer thing? Could there be some trouble for these for these corporations, these companies, because this guy funneled through and bezeled, you know, whatever it was, eighteen million. Well, they you know they say that, but you know they also said he bought luxury. You know, condos and cars, but whatever. You know, say hypothetically lost several million on this site. Could they be liable because they weren't correctly finding out or tracking where that money was coming from? That is a good question that's been brought up as something people are concerned about because every other legalized uh, gambling entity in the United States does have a responsibility to track source of funds when anything suspicious is happening. So if just some new guy shows up and just keeps chunking off money at an outrageous rate, they are responsible by law to demand that person prove their source of funds before continuing to gamble and also to report anything suspicious to the government. And apparently DraftKings and FanDuel did not do this. Now, as Brandon said, we don't have the exact number that was lost on those sites Though his own attorney claims ninety nine percent was lost on those sites, so if that's true, then it really was that almost twenty two million. Be true. How can ninety nine percent be on those sites? Yet he bought luxury condos, cars, vacations. I mean, it lists all the things he did with the money. Yeah. I remember thinking to myself when I read that, how can his attorney at one point say ninety nine percent went to these sites, but they also list all these other things he did? He did all that with the one percent. Yeah, it's probably bullshit. I, I agree, and it probably looks better. Strangely yeah. enough, that he, that it happened through gambling rather than buying stuff for himself, because oh, yeah, gambling, he can say it's an addiction. Watches, luxury wristwatches, luxury yeah. condos, travel, clothes, vacations. What with a one percent? Yeah, I don't believe that either. But yeah, that looks much worse for him because if you're buying just nice stuff for yourself, you can't blame a gambling addiction. That's just you being greedy right. and stealing. So what I think is more likely, the majority of it went on the bullshit that he you know bought with it and then some of it yeah he shot off like on a sunday you know what i mean but i don't think that that was the majority of it i guess we'll see when more comes out that's an interesting theory but but even if a good deal of this was wasted on just shit he bought still i bet a lot of it was lost a lot of millions were lost to these daily fantasy football sites or daily fantasy sites and i think that uh there is a good question to be raised of why they did not question this and why every other legalized U.S. gambling site, both live and online, like the brick and mortar has to do this, online has to do this. They are supposed to well, and the other watch out is, for this. I don't know if you said this 
So forgive me if you said this. He, legally, he wasn't even allowed or supposed to be on those sites because he was an NFL employee. That's the other bizarre thing. That of all, like you know, he could go to a casino, he could play blackjack, he could shoot it off in slots, he could shoot it off online in a casino, but he's not allowed to play in uh, on any you know daily fantasy because you know he's privy to inside information as for being an employee. So that's really strange too. I don't think that even got a lot of attention. It didn't, but tomorrow. but they can get out of that one by just saying, "Look, we don't know every employee of every football team, so that's up to oh, him." No, no, to- no, 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 no. I'm not blaming the site. Like, yes, of course, and he could have used a fake name. Like, no, you can't stop that. You know, like all these kids are getting caught now for gambling on their games, and and you know they're using their parents' names. Or no, there's no way you can't hold the accountability to the sites. But I'm just saying, from another perspective, he wasn't even supposed to be on that site. So it's a weird way to shoot off the money. I mean, you know, if you have a gambling addiction, like you're going to think, yeah, okay, maybe he shot off on online poker. That's common. Or he shot off on, you know, blackjack or roulette. But it's kind of strange that that was his choice. Yeah, this is the first one I know of. I've never heard of a Daily Fantasy Sports embezzlement scandal for a lot of money until now. Yeah. By the way, we have a new co-host on here. Yo, buddy. Yo, yo, buddy, what's happening? (laughs) <laughs> he didn't. He didn't fix that Jacksonville Jaguar game we had earlier in the season, did he? Oh, well, that's Matos's fault. But, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, uh, guys. I know some people get mad when I say this because they they minimize the pain that we're suffering here. But they're down to like thirteen people in that circuit contest for nine point six million. And honestly, we we've been still picking as if we're still in and betting a token amount on each one of them, but you know, nothing compared to what money would be at stake here. And really, we've gotten still we've gotten every single one of them right. We follow the exact rules as if we were still in. We've gotten every single one right, except that Week 10 game where we were a hair away from picking Pittsburgh, who won, and... I wouldn't even say it was a hair. I had the app opened. I was hitting, getting ready to hit submit. Like it was closer than a hair. Yeah, super. I mean, that's what I mean. It was about as close as it can be. And and for half the call, I was on the Pittsburgh side and kind of changed my mind in the middle. And and we were so close to Pittsburgh, and we ended up going with Cincinnati, who almost won anyway. But uh, it did. But lost, knocked us out. And had we gone with Pittsburgh, we'd still be, and we'd be one of the last people, last teams there. When well, we'd have tremendous we'd equity. Hedging. I mean, we yeah, we'd be hedging, hedging, obviously, but yes. We'd, but, guarantee, we'd be guaranteed several hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's so painful to see this because it, the re- and what people don't get, I have people saying, oh, come on, you can't say that. Everybody who got knocked out can say that. Oh, you know, I had a bad beat. I had a bad loss. You know, that's, that's what's so hard is to never lose. I understand that. So had we just gone with the obvious pick and then it lost because it got upset. Okay, that's part of the contest, and I wouldn't be looking at it the same way. It's because we were so close to going the other way with a team that won and then would have picked correctly ever since then, and now they're down to 13 teams out of 9,000-something entrants. That's what's so painful. It's not just that we lost only one week. It's that we lost when we were super close to picking the actual winner that week. Super as close as you can get. We we're on the phone a long time. It's so painful to think about. It's just so painful. For all and all, all three of us were part of this thing. That's so main, yeah, that's main event money. I mean, that's yeah. main event winner money. Yeah, and then some. I think right. What is what the main event win? What's the what the winner win last year? No, they got twelve million. So no, it's not okay, quite well, it's that. Close. It's better yeah. than the second. Place. I mean, it's just it's it's uh, yes, it probably would have chopped. Is it's probably getting close to the point where they're going to chop? But still, it's a lot of money, and we'd still be there. And it's just so painful because. 
it's not trivial, obviously, to, to have gotten to the final 13. You, we may never have this shot again where we pick everything right. And, and we really would have picked everything right if we just went the other way. We were so close. As Brandon says, he had it just up to, to hit Pittsburgh, and we, at the last minute, changed it. Well, in all fairness, three years ago, Trader Ruski and I did one that was, I don't know, like $50 entry or whatever it was, 100 And we went undefeated. So it could happen. It almost happened this year. I'm not, you know, it's hard. But I also think the way we did it last year or this year that we've learned, and of course you need things to go right, but we have a good, you know, without going into too much detail, I think we had a good system in place. I think we have a bunch of smart minds. We're just not people throwing at dartboards. So I, I definitely think we have an edge on the field. No, we do. Really we do. do. No, there's no way we yeah, could have so gotten this much right smart. with that. With that uh... You know, we, we, you know, we did a pathway. We looked at the future. Like we weren't just, I mean, there were so many people that, there was a one week where people, like 40 people were forced to take the Jets because they had taken all the other good teams. I think that was Christmas. They had to take the Jets against my, not Christmas, Thanksgiving or, you know, weekend. You know what I mean? Or Black Friday week, whatever it was. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? What week was that where? Whatever yeah, I'm forgetting. But week. whatever. Yeah, we had a good path and, and, and we were constantly right. adjusting things for, you know, the way the season was changing and the way teams were better or worse than expected. And we, we did a good job with all that. We, you know, there's still things we could have improved, obviously. But, uh, you know, to have gotten everything, we had three tickets and, you know, two of them lost early. But that third one to go as far as it did and then to get everything right after that when we were so close to getting at that one, that just shows, you know, we were definitely yeah, doing a lot right. Thing too. We hung on by a thread. We had three to start on by, you know, week three, we were only down to one. We still, you know, kept going. That's the only other painful thing is if we had a fourth ticket, there's a good chance that we'd still be alive now because we had a fourth we ticket. We had a good chance. We would have used one on each. Well, provided that fourth ticket was still alive. We, if we had at least two tickets alive, then hundred percent we'd oh, be alive now because we would have split it that week. No chance. There's no way we would have not split it that week. So, we 100% would have split it that week because we were having a, such a hard time deciding. Yeah. Well, on another note, now that we have Trader Ruski here, we could ask him a question. He could be an independent, totally neutral uh, poll answer. Trader Ruski, you still with us? He's here. Dreaming about the okay. men's group. You got to answer this question as honestly as you can, okay? We're doing like an informal poll. People are going to be texting Druff their, their answer, so just give an honest answer, whatever it is, okay? You agree? Go ahead. Okay, so what are your concerns personally about potential earthquakes and, and any possible you know safety problems to yourself or people you care about if and when you visit the Fountain Bloom? Do you have any, a lot, or none? The Fountain Bloom? Mm-hmm. I have no clue what that is. Okay, well, we got our answer. <laughs> so there, there we go. Okay. The Fountain Blue is a hotel that just, a resort that just opened up on the Las Vegas Strip about four hours and 13 minutes ago. And Druff had stated that he had heard from a number of people that they had had concerns because the property had stood idle for seven, eight years uh, at 70% at a 70% finished construction rate before it was finally resumed. And now it's finished that they were concerned if there was a potential catastrophic earthquake in Las Vegas that the property would not hold up well because it was vacant for seven years. I argued that the majority, the high majority of people that are going to visit it, that have heard about it, that will visit it, have no idea about the history of the product of, of the property and they don't care. So we started doing an informal poll, asking people to be honest and tell us if they even knew the history. And if they did, if an earthquake was even on their mind as a list of reasons, they'd you know be hesitant to go. 
And uh, that that's why I asked you. And you you proved my point or my argument, which was that most people aren't going to know that they're just not going to know the history to even come up with that sort of a worry in their mind. So did I explain it right, Dave or Traderis? Could you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I, you I didn't even know, you didn't even know that. that that's the point. You didn't even know, which most people aren't going to know. Exactly. Uh, it's across the street from it's across it's right directly across the street from Resort Worlds, on the north side of the Strip. Got it. Yep. I bet you're wondering what happened to the rest of the show. I bet you're wondering why we're ending with this music instead of the usual All in the Family closing theme. But I think in honor of Norman Lear and his passing, we'll run a different show's end song, which he was involved with. So we're right around the halfway mark. The show is actually about 11 and a half hours, including breaks. But there are only two breaks, so... There was a good 11 hours of content. Maybe a little bit less. So we're stopping like right in the middle here. And we'll get to all the remaining topics except for the Hertz thing. In part two, which has already been recorded. But I just have to edit it. So I knew I was not going to edit this whole thing in one shot. So stay tuned, wait a few days, and we will have the remainder for you in the archives. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. And look for the next part pretty soon.